Hi, this is Randy Bailey from Survivor Gabon, and you are listening to the Survivor Historians. Four losers with no lives that have nothing better to do but talk about a show that was on nine years ago. Oh my God. Hello and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast that comes with a handful of antidepressants. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher, and just Mike, just hold, hold, hold the slingshot out. Hold it, hold it out. No, no, you don't have to. Mm. I'm Mike Bloom, and I'm hoping this podcast lasts longer than the duration of Susie's bath during the auction. Um, I'm Paul Oselson, and I just tried, just very much like Susie. I just tried, and I just wanted to show success in trying. All right, and we are here with part three of our big uh, Gabon uh, memorial here, and uh, this is going to be a fun one because we got a lot of episodes. We unfortunately cut part two a little short. One we cut one episode out that we should have used, uh, so, should have talked about. So here we are. We're going to jump right into this one. You guys all ready to uh, skip the foreplay and go right into the fun stuff? Yeah, I mean we can. I, I also want to note that you know you say we had to cut part two short. It was still it still clocked in at over two and a half hours, right? I mean. Yeah. Yeah, our scale is a little different than most people. Yeah, but yeah, so okay. The pacing of these, the pacing of these episodes are so weird, like the one we're going to talk about. So it's only fitting that the pacing of our historians' episodes are also wacky. All right, so time to hunker down. We got we have a four-hour podcast here, people. So here we go. We left off in part two, where uh, uh, Golden Boy Marcus was just voted out. We had the big uh, twist. The two teams split up. The onions got split up, and poor Marcus was left dangling and. Susie voted him out, and it's a big, uh, big season-changing moment here. Wow, yes, Jay, would you, ha- do you have something you'd like to add, Jay? Oh, left dangling—that's so good. <laughs> yes. So anyway, yes. So Marcus was left dangling and floppy, and we got rid of him. So we are about to see the aftermath of Marcus being voted out, and here we go into episode eight. Uh, with this will be known as the Charlie episode, the, the refractory period after. Yes, the refract. Yes, exactly. Yes, we're now we're now in post Marcus territory. Yeah, so we're in post Marcus territory. So we have Bob here. It's uh, uh, I forget which which tribe is which. It's Coda now. Bob is on Coda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Bob is like, well, you know, Marcus got voted out. I'm next. You know, I mean, it's uh, you can see the writing on the wall. So uh, so basically, here's all the preamble into this episode. Bob's on Coda. He's like, well, it's three against one. I'm toast unless I win immunity or unless there's a merge. And uh, this is where Bob tells a great dad joke. 
very pleased as, a, as the only dad of the four of us here where Bob says, I know I'm history, even though I teach science. And he has to add, that's a little joke. So very pleased with that. It's so interesting because I think we sort of uh, outlined this in the first two parts about how our eventual winner, Bob, outside of a couple of camp building scenes in the first couple episodes, really is nowhere to be seen in the first seven episodes of this season. But I do feel like starting now, the post-merge really is Bob's... I don't know if I want to use the, the words time to shine, because, again, I think there's a lot of uh, contesting opinions about his win in general, but we're at, least, we're at least going to see more of him in a variety of capacities. And here's the first one, where, obviously, from a storytelling perspective, he's in a very vulnerable position. The first time he's really vulnerable in the entire game. Yeah. yeah. But I think that it speaks to a larger thing, and it goes to a point, and a lot of people are probably going to be very angry with me, and I can't wait for the emails to tell me how much they hate me about this. But it, a lot of, a lot of columns have been written on the internet and on websites, and a lot of podcasts have spent a lot of minutes and hours talking about how people play the game and who's a better player and all that sort of stuff. And it's like you can somewhat try to parse that out. And I mean, we do it here too. I'm guilty, just as guilty of it as anybody else. But you know, this game is, is it's funny, we even use the word game, but sometimes, you know, it, it is in, in a sense a game, but it's like really how you win the game is you are the one that's left at the end. You have to get to the end and then have people vote you a million dollars. And it's like, sometimes you do things, but sometimes you don't do things. And sometimes it just is enough to just be there and to, you know, not be the one to have the vote on you. And I know that, I know that I'm just speaking very basic things that you guys already know, but I think that Bob is sort of living uh, evidence of it. He wasn't really in trouble. He was doing okay on his tribe. They were winning a lot. And now, he, you know, his, his tribe is, is starting to get, or, you know, his alliance is starting to get picked off. But, you know, they're picking off Marcus. They're picking off bigger targets. And it's not about Bob. You know what I mean? And it's like, he's like, well, I'm next unless something happens. But, you know, he's still there. Yeah, and in, in Bob's defense, he even talks about this in the reunion show where he says, my strategy was to be well-liked and necessary. I wanted them to need me around. So, I mean, he, he was doing things, just perhaps not what the audience at home wants to see. And my aside for Bob here is I love that we're starting this off talking about um, his dad joke, because one thing that really kind of occurred to me this time watching it, I think one of the, the biggest struggles for people when they watch Gabon is to really understand the whole story of Gabon because it's just so wacky. And one thing that I hadn't really put together before is that one thing we get story-wise from very early on is Sugar and the loss of her father and the need for a father figure. And at the very end of the season, we're going to eventually get to the point at the end of this seven-hour podcast where you know we'll talk about her needing to bring Bob to the end because she sees him as a father. And, and I started kind of connecting the dots here that that's kind of a way that makes this season that's so much focused around Sugar's story. It helps me make sense of it more if I think about the fact of that Bob is this father figure that maybe he's not close to Sugar yet, but we're getting seeing these things of him. He's, he helps out around camp. He, he makes all these things. He makes these corny jokes. So that's just it's interesting that we're bringing this, that, the dad joke up because that's, that's kind of what I started looking at Gabon when I watched this last stretch of episodes. You know, it's it's interesting you say that, Paul, because this is something I've written about for years, that it's really just the sugar story about sugar and her father, like that's Gabon. And I'm always surprised that more people don't watch the season that way. To me, it's like that's that's how I've always seen the season. No, it's Sugar's story, and then they get the father thing at the end. And it's like I've never seen it any other way, and I'm always surprised. I hear, like you said, I hear a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I just started thinking of it that way. I'm like, really? I'm always surprised people don't look at it that way. 
Well, because I think that Survivor is entering, and we're going to talk about this. It's 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 not there yet, but it is entering this modern era, right? Like we've we've had Micronesia behind us, and people are starting to think about the game. And so, you know, for the most part, and it, it's not always the case. And Bob certainly isn't the first winner in this case, but you know, people I think are very satisfied when, as an audience, not as 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 contestants or anything like that, but I think audiences are satisfied when a season ends with the winner that they can comprehend and they can sort of see the victory path. Maybe they don't like it or agree with it, but if they can see it, they're more satisfied in a way. And with Bob, you know, it's less about Bob this season. It, the story is more about sugar, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Bob is ancillary to that. But Bob is is an important figure, especially at the end when it comes to sugar. And you can see it if you if you connect all these sorts of dots. But I think that that's not a satisfying narrative for a lot of people because the story focused so much on sugar and I think that that's sort of something that muddies the water here. And, you know, nowadays, so so that's why people had a problem with it back then. And nowadays, I would say as people get more focused on, you know, just the, 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 the game part of Survivor as far as, you know, votes and vote splits and alliance this and flip here and flip there and voting block this and blah, blah, blah. It's like people sort of lose the humanity or the narrative in there. And so I think the people who are really modern fans look at these older seasons and just go, well, I don't like it because they're not, you know, playing super logically and blah 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 and they're not doing this and they're not doing this and they don't know this and it's like well yeah it's a different time and but the people at the time didn't enjoy the narrative because the narrative wasn't driven by bob you know bob is ancillary but he's still important and so it's just this it's it's sort of this weird thing we are going to see a very emotionally charged second half of this game and it's not just sugar yeah. even though i think sugar is sort of like the you know tent pole holding up this giant canopy that is Gabon in terms of her emotions. But even coming up in this episode, Kenny's going to target Charlie kind of out of spite, at least from what we're being told about what happened at the merge feast, where next episode is the Randy episode, which has a lot of vitriol in it. We're going to get into Corinne's boot. Then we start getting to everything with Crystal and Ken. So I think that's another reason why some people really aren't entirely happy with the season overall is because there's a lot of negativity over the course of the second half of the season, really from both sides. I know we talked last time about how Jeff sort of markets the season as sort of like the good guys against the bad guys and how you really can't figure out who's a good guy and who's a bad guy, <laughs> depending on how you view things. But this is sort of an example of it where you have these two groups of people that not only are they against each other, they just don't like each other. And as a result, yeah. there's going to be some very personal comments that get hurled from across the bow on both ends. And as we're about to hurl some insults towards from one tribe to the other, Corinne will give us a nice little speech as we head into the first post-Marcus reward challenge, where she says, uh, for talking about who was voted out last night, as long as it's me, Charlie, and Marcus, I don't care who goes home. So Corinne is about to have a rude awakening here. So we, should we talk about the gift then? Of course. <laughs> so we get to the reward challenge, and we're going to get to – this is a great reward challenge, by the way. But before we get there, folks – if you've been on the internet in the past 10 years, you've probably seen it. It's uh, the reaction of, of, uh, of, of seeing Marcus be voted out. Yeah, for, for those, I, I feel bad I even have to describe this. Most people know what we're talking about. There's the scene where Corinne, Maddie, and Sugar are standing there watching as the other tribe, as the Kodas walk in. And this is where they finally see that Marcus got shanghaied last night, that the Susie ended up voting him out. And it's just, 
the perfect timing and the perfect reaction shots of Corinne, the hand up over the mouth in horror, Sugar, hand up over the mouth in surprise, and then Maddie with the biggest, most satisfied shit-eating grin you've ever seen in your life. And it's so perfect. It's one of those things you'd swear it was staged. It's just, it, it can't, you can't believe a reality TV show shot worked out exactly like that. It's like one of those, a picture says a thousand words. And this is by far the most popular Survivor-based GIF on the internet, right? Oh, absolutely. It's used all the time for things um, to bring a little bit of more modern perspective in it. Um, uh, when Game of Thrones had the Red Wedding, right? You know, that was one of the things where it was like book watch, book readers versus, you know, non-book readers reaction to the Red Wedding. And, you know, they, it, it gets used for all of those things. When, when you have a perspective of like some people are going to hate it and someone's going to absolutely love it, that Maddie gif always gets thrown in there. It's, it's just one of those. It's, it, it's, it's a thing that the Internet just constantly recycles. And most of the people who use it probably don't know that it's Survivor, but they know it's a GIF, and they, they like the facial reactions, and they use it. Yeah, I, I have a very personal history with this GIF, and I, I, I haven't told this story very much, but people will get a kick out of it. That you know, I've, I've used that one on the Funny 115. It's in version 2, and it's like the star of this Maddie entry. And every so often, like I have a little hit counter to see how many people are looking at my website, and it's usually you know a couple thousand. And it's like I've I have a pretty standard amount of viewers, and then every so often my hit counter will go from like one thousand hits a day to one point two million. Like what the hell just happened? And every single time, I swear to God, every single time it's someone found this GIF and they thought it was a porn thing, and they and it, like it's they put it on a porn site and they'll link it to the funny 115. Oh, this is where I got it because they all think it's like it's like a two girls one cup staring at something disgusting, and like my website has crashed three different times because of that stupid GIF because it's so popular and because it, it doubles so well as a porn picture. And so I actually had to turn off hot linking on my website so nobody can direct link to my pictures anymore, all because that GIF is so goddamn popular. I like how you initially, I guess, unintentionally invented that Brazzers meme of the past yes. couple of years by having a picture uh, GIF that's unintentionally good for more salacious purposes. Yeah, but it's so many people out there know that GIF, and like Jay said, they don't know it's about Survivor. They think it's about some weird odd german porn thing i don't know what it is but that's it always this is the one that always comes back and haunts me on my website so the maddie gif it's even more popular than you know it's all over the place so i'm sure i'm glad that i'm sure maddie was happy that is his contribution to survivor culture but yes the maddie gif if you've never seen it just google it it's all over the place it's so funny one of my absolute favorites probably the single funniest survivor gif ever it's just perfect and I mean, contained within this as well, it's just a little blip, but again, it's going to really be indicative of these two sides kind of warring against each other for the rest of the merge is, you know, it's, it's always a hassle on Survivor when someone brings up the D word, deserve. And here we get it here where Corinne speaks up about why she's pissed and she decides to throw out saying that, you know, Marcus didn't deserve to go, which I think gets some proper admonishment from Susie and Kenny who are essentially saying like, hey, if Marcus didn't deserve to go, you're essentially insulting us by saying that you meant one of us should deserve to go. But I mean, it's clear that the subtext in her statement is essentially like Marcus was my friend and I wish he didn't go. But it's always tough when you're trying to, you know, rationalize your statements to a larger audience by saying like, oh, no, he deserved to be here because he helped out in challenges. You know who else is very sad that Marcus isn't there? Charlie. Charlie. Yeah. Charlie. Poor Charlie. It'll be not, the death of him. <laughs> I was just going to say that Ken is almost the right person. You know, it, it's funny because, you know, Ken comes from uh, eSports background, you know, and it's not that eSports is any different from other sports. But, you know, 
I think that it's it's a more analog way to look at things, you know, because it's a video game as opposed to maybe playing football or something like that. But every once in a while, you'll see that where, like, you know, you'll see uh, teams play a, a sport in a championship and you'd be like, well, these guys have been working hard all year and these guys came on late and, you know, talk about, well, this team maybe deserved it more. But it's like it doesn't matter. It's uh, Mario. You know, you were a fan of the Seattle Mariners, right? Like, you know, in what, 2001, they won a bajillion games that year. 116. Yes. The major league record. Major League record, 116 games. And you're sitting there going, well, they deserve to win the World Series because they set the record for the most uh, games won in the regular season. It's like, well, no, they don't because they didn't win it. You know what I mean? And it's like, deserve means nothing. You have to play the games in the orders that they come in and you have to go. And I think that Ken, coming from a, from a competitive sports background, you know, even, you know, even, even, even though it's Super Smash Brothers and stuff like that, like he's just like, look, you don't, de- you don't deserve it. You, you either win or you don't. You know, and at this point, he's like, look, Marcus didn't win. Yeah, also go to hell. Thank you for bringing that up, Jay. Hey, that was a good team. <laughs> All right. So anyway, yeah. So this is the reward challenge here is the famous golf reward challenge, which I ah! absolutely love. I wish they would do this in other seasons. This is a Vic bone specific one. Uh, they have a little thing where they do a slingshot. They shoot a golf ball into a, a little sand pit. And uh, the first tribe to win two out of three holes wins a trip to a Gabonese village. This is a one of the standout challenges of Gabon, I would say. So cool. I mean, Jay, you talked about this in the first part about how there's a lot of land in Survivor Gabon. Not a lot of water, but as a result, they have these rolling hills and they really have this sort of topography to build challenges off of. And this is one key example of that where they're able to play essentially a golf game. They say three holes in the challenge, but something tells me, you know, we saw like a number five on the last hole on the flag. I wonder if they did like a best three out of five and just cut it because it might take the length of an actual golf tournament if they did decide to show it in full. But this is just so much fun because it sort of combines teamwork, a little bit of athleticism, but not in a a typical way. Uh, And just like the, the new aspects of it make it so much fun to watch, even not including how Fang is going to end up winning this challenge, even though they nearly biff it at the very end. This is like the only challenge my dad like ever watched on Survivor because he always hated Survivor when we were watching it, but he's like a huge golfer. So we're like, Dad, it's a golfing challenge. Golfing one, it's like the only challenge he's watched on the show. So That's not golf. You don't use a slingshot in golf, Paul. Yeah, he wasn't 100% into it, but it, we at least got him to look at the screen. So that was a plus. So yeah, to recap this challenge, um, you have Coda and is basically Ken and Bob, and they win the first hole. And then Randy and, and Maddie are basically the stars of Fang, Fong, Fang, I guess we're calling him Fang. They come back and win the second one. So it's basically a winner takes all for the third challenge. And oh boy, this is a fun last hole. <laughs> so essentially what happens is Fang gets the ball extremely close. And the other thing that I love about this as well is that I know, know that you said, Mario, that they sort of have like Bob and Kenny, for example, are the stars on the Suncota, but it's almost like switching out your like nine iron for your putter in that, you know, Bob yeah. does the big drives at first. And once he gets close to the hole, then Kenny comes because he doesn't really have the upper body strength and he just sort of pops it into the hole. Uh, Fang, as Jeff says, gets a huge kick on the ball in the last hole and, you know, it basically lands like right next to the little ramp leading up to it. And I believe it's Randy and Charlie holding the the sides and Maddie launching. And all hell kind of breaks loose here when Randy's trying to sort of like sternly tell Charlie, like, okay, you got to give attention. You got to give attention. Maddie decides to shush him, uh, really playing up the golf aspect of it, you know, 
quite on the green. Charlie, poor Charlie, is just trying to play peacekeeper in all of this. And then as they're about to shoot, Maddie calls an audible and just says, no, 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 chill out, everybody. Let's take a second and review what's going on. Randy's trying to throw his name in the hat, and nobody decides to accept that volunteering. So eventually, they just, they do probably, what, like, 40 seconds to a full minute of arguing and posturing only to just drop the ball literally three inches yeah. from where they shot it. That, that's, that's what makes it so good is that, you know, golf is a, you know, it's, a, it's the, you know, getting, getting the ball in the hole in the lowest amount of strokes is, is the winner of the hole, right? And so they got in a tremendous kick. So they are literally on top of the ramp. And uh, Bob's tribe has, uh, what, Coda has, like, already... Um, They've already shot one extra stroke and missed. So basically all Fang has to do is just make this and they win. Like it's 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 cut and dry. And even if they don't make it, they still, you know, they're not they haven't lost. Right. Like, you know, then it just then worst case scenario is a tie. Worst case scenario is a tie and Coda has to then make their next shot and then Fang has to. But it's it's there. I can't stress to you how close to the to the pit they are. They're literally on top of the pit. And that was the argument was, you know, Maddie was, you know, they're trying to figure out like. Okay, we'll just give it a light touch so it just kind of just plops in. But then Randy was just basically saying, all we have to do is just drop it in. Like, all we have to do is just literally drop it in and we win. Like, you know, and so they're basically, they're arguing, they're arguing just about how to literally finesse this ball three inches into the hole. Which, and the hole is not like a golf hole. Like, you know, it's these gigantic sand pits because they're playing this slingshot golf. And so they're just basically arguing about the best way to make this ridiculously easy shot. And it's just they're getting so mad. And then they're getting so mad that, you know, Charlie's there trying to diffuse the tension. But even like Corinne, who's like sitting out, you know, Corinne like, who's like 60 feet away on a platform. Yeah. And, and like sugar and stuff. And they're just like basically like, hey, come on, guys, like get it, get it together or whatever. You know, they're, they're just literally like, you know, really trying to uh, to to get this going. And it is it is just it's funny. And then what's funny, ultimately, what's funny to me is that. They argue and bicker, as Mike said, for about 40 seconds. Then they shoot, and they make the shot, predictably. And they win the challenge, and they're still pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff's like, you know, yeah, bang, wins, wins, wins reward. And they're like, fuck. fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is this? I had a, uh, this is one I memorialized on the Funny 115, and pre- predictably enough, the title of the entry is The Stupidest Fight Ever. And it's one of my favorite entries. Yeah, because like Jay said, it's they're fighting just for a little bit in the episode. You know, it went on much longer in real life than you say in the episode. That was probably a 10-minute fight for a 10-inch shot. So, yeah, it's just hilarious. And then Randy is so pissed. They like to have to have, to have a timeout after the challenge because they're so mad at each other. It's just one of these great moments. And it will come up later. It's going to come up later at Tribal Council where Randy is still pissed that they didn't take his advice on the shot. Right, and they're, and they're just they're just so mad, and but Fang wins, and uh, they're going to get their reward, and they have to choose someone to go to exile on, and they can't they can't send Sugar. Yeah, we get Bob. Bob goes to exile, right? This is yeah. this is the start of Bob Bob's ascent to greatness, right here. His literal ascent as he climbs a hill and gets you know fifteen helicopter shots attributed to that. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. To wrap it up. So, yeah. So Fong wins. Even though they're all pissed, they're going to get to go to the Japanese village. Sometime, at some point during this challenge, Maddie utters his crazy laugh again. I wrote it down. I don't remember. I, 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 think, I think it's right after they win as Randy is kicking sand. 
Yeah. <laughs> and then Probes is like, well, this is going to be a fun reward or something like that. <laughs> yeah, so they send Bob to Exile Island. Bob's going to go, and we're going to get the whole fake idol that's going to influence a lot of stuff rest of the, the rest of the season. So, Although there's one thing I wanted to mention, Mike, how you mentioned that Bob is the one on Coda who was driving the long shots in this one. Is this Would that make Bob the happy Gilmore of the team there with the long drive with the no finesse game? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, and I don't know if that makes Randy the shooter McGavin on the other side. It does. He's going to go eat some hay. <laughs> All right. So anyway, yeah, so Maddie and Randy have won the challenge, and we got cut to confessionals, and they're still pissed about this challenge. They've won the challenge. They're still venting that they hate each other and how angry they are about the, how the way the golf challenge ended. So to break the tension, we're going to have this fun reward. We're all going to go to a Gabonese village. I, what I do like about Gabon, obviously, I think, is the location. And I think that in addition to this, we're going to get a couple of other big cultural rewards over the course of this season. But this is a great example of it where, I mean, they utilize the natives profusely in this season. Between this reward, they're going to be sitting at the top of the hill during the rites of passage at the very end. They're going to be in the audience at the reunion. So obviously, I think like they're playing up on the culture shock here, but... Uh, you know, you'd think you'd get, like, shades of Kasaya at the, uh, the Panamadian village. And we get it a bit, you know, with Randy getting his grind on with a couple of the natives. But otherwise, despite all the tension that existed in Fang going into this reward, I'd say it got promptly beaten out of them uh, when they got beaten, ironically enough, with wet leaves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a little scary to see Corinne with a kid, not gonna lie. Yeah, for those who don't remember the scene, there's a scene where Corinne finds a little two-year-old Gabonese child and buddies up with her and becomes, like, her big sister. And I thought it was horrible because in a cut scene, you learn later that Corinne told her she was fat and gave the kid an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was really unnecessary. That actually wasn't a cut scene. No, I was kidding. So yeah, but Corinne but chummy, uh, chums up with a little two-year-old. And then uh, Maddie's all excited. This is the first reward he's ever won. And uh, what else happens here? And then uh, Randy. Randy gets a lap dance, basically, where the women grind up against him, which Randy said is the first time a girl's hit on him in years. <laughs> all right, so Randy, if you're listening to the podcast, nice work there. I don't know if you guys noticed, uh, Randy obviously had the highlight of the dancing, but I don't know if you noticed Maddie's dancing. It was like he was inventing crumping, like, six years before the fact. It is, of course, like, the only type of weird dance Maddie could do, which is an ex- a mixture of some sort of hip-hop dance and, like, Lord of the Dance with his foot movements. Yeah, he, wasn't, he didn't stand out at all during that. Classic Maddie. And uh, what else do we get here? We get a... Uh... Some sad news. Turns out that someone's very sad that Marcus was voted out, and it turns out to be Charlie. Charlie is not happy. He gives us a confessional. So if you're, stor- if you're scoring along at home, Marcus is still sad about Charlie. Or Charlie's still sad about Marcus. Yeah, so. again, like I, I, I definitely take pity on Charlie here. But again, not a good look for his edit when he has a confessional saying, now we need someone to do the thinking for the alliance, <laughs> which is Charlie essentially saying, like, Marcus was our leader and none of us did any thinking. Now we need to find someone that can actually lead us. <laughs> yes. Okay, so Fong gets, gets their little, you know, uh, chance to chill out and have some fun. It's a fun little dance scene. So we're going to go back, and now the, the focus of the episode, the rest of the way, is going to be on Kenny here. Kenny's going to suddenly ascend to be a major, major... Hero slash villain. It's, it's very interesting how his edit is going to go from here. So we go back to Coda, back at camp, and Kenny's out there trying to fish. He's trying to learn to fish, and this is where I think his boat gets caught on a piece of wood, and it shows him trying to figure out how to, how to steer a boat in the water. And he's like, you know, this isn't really my element, but I'm learning. I'm getting better. I'm, I'm starting to figure out how this game works. And it's going to be a metaphor that Kenny's going to become very powerful here. Yeah. Go Kenny. <laughs> right. 
All right, so let's see. So let's cut to Exile Island. Oh, yeah, Ken gives the quote. And then, again, a lot of people at the time thought Ken might be the winner of this season because he's starting to get winner quotes here. Like he says, I know I can win this game. I can do it. I know it. So, again, Ken's going to become a very, very major character if you haven't seen this season in a while, if you, if you don't remember this. All right, over to Exile Island, and it's time for the Bob show. Well, more like, you know, Hobby Lobby with Bob as it's like guest lecturer talking about the art of making... Uh, fake immunity idols bobby lobby <laughs> bobby lobby i like that <laughs> yeah so anyway yeah so bob goes to exile island and he this is his first time there he figures out all the clues just like sugar did and he gets to the end and he sees the empty peg where where the idol would have been that sugar now has and bob's like huh well it turns looks like someone else has it so he's like i guess i'm gonna make a fake idol i'll just make something that looks like what should be an idol and and we learned that the reunion show at the at the at the reunion show, Bob admits that what he used to do is he collects everything. He grabs beads, he grabs shells, anything he can find. He's like a little crow. And at one point, they had a bunch of beads on the tribe flag back at Coda. And at one point, he reached up and just stripped off all the beads and pulled them off and put them into his pocket. And that's how he has all these beads with him. When he gets to Exile Island, there's a string on the piece of parchment to say, do you want to go the clue or the comfort? He takes that string, and this is all the stuff that he's collected. And he's like, I'm just going to start making an idol. And he makes a creation here that puts Yao Man's eye eye to shame. Didn't, didn't take much to put it to shame, but yeah, this is impeccable. Though I will say, this might be a hot take, but we're going to talk about Bob's second fake idol in a couple of episodes. I actually like that one more than the first one. Maybe it's because uh, while the skull face-like work is admirable, it might be a little shoddy in comparison to what Sugar has, for example. This is very, very admirable, and obviously he's going to become, like, one of Bob's big hallmarks of his game. It's also interesting, too, in that, you know, we've obviously had fake Kenan immunity idols in the past. It's basically become a bastion of seasons 14 through 16 at this point. But I believe this is the first time that someone has made a fake idol for themselves to play, right? Because usually it was Yao Man painted the coconut to have someone else find. You know, uh, Ozzy made the stick to put in the under the rock so that someone else could find it. But this is the first time someone's saying, I'm going to try to bluff by making a hidden immunity idol, which, again, is, is a different step in the game of how to utilize idols, or the idea of idols, at least. Yeah. I mean, if we, again, when you're watching these seasons, you have to keep them in historical context. And yeah, Bob is absolutely making a game-changing move here. He's the first one to really do that. Not to mention the first one to make an immunity idol that looks actually pretty good. Like, again, the ones in the past, maybe not the most passable as real idols. I'm How not gonna, dare you? That yeah. stick had a face, Mario. No, I don't want to. I don't want to bash Ozzy. I don't want to besmirch him. But yeah, it was perhaps the not not the most realistic idol. Bob's, however, is a work of art. It's amazing. He's got like resin in there. I don't know what else he's got, but it's amazing some of the stuff he pulls out. All right, so Bob gives us a great quote here. And again, like Mike said, this is really the first time you'd seen this in Survivor history where someone's using a fake idol for good, not evil, which is hilarious now that I say that this is going to be the most evil purpose ever that they're going to use this one for. But anyway, Bob holds it up and he says, uh, it's like holding up a bank. You don't necessarily need a gun. You just need something that looks like a gun and they'll leave you alone. So again, Bob Bob is kind of already a Survivor legend. Win or lose, even if he didn't win this season, this is thinking outside the box. This is a really cool thing. And I remember this was kind of the talk of all the message boards afterwards. Like, that was really cool. Like, I can't believe this old guy is doing this cool stuff like that out there. He's doing a lot. This is this is defensive, right? Like, a lot of times when you when you think about Survivor, it's all about, in a lot of ways, it's playing offense in a lot of ways. It's, it's gathering information, which is more defensive things. But it's it's then, you know, 
trying to convince people to come to your side, right? Like, hey, you know, uh, this will work for you. Or if we flip, this person's really not in your best interest and my interests are more in your interests. And, you know, it, it's all about persuasion, right? And so a lot of people that are sort of in Bob's position where he's laid low, tried to make himself useful around camp and likable, but, you know, maybe not the biggest influencer on planet Earth. If he's in trouble, he's not like if he all automatically starts going around going, hey, don't vote for me. OK, vote for this person instead. Like people aren't going to necessarily vote for that. But if he says, hey, I've got an idol. Yeah. Like it's not super offensive. Like he's going to throw it in people's face. But if he's just like, yeah, I've got an idol. You probably don't want to touch me. It's like an extra layer of defense so that, you know, he can continue to play his. I'm still likable, I'm still here, I'm still necessary, and it's very tough to get rid of me because I have a hidden immunity idol. He is basically playing the hedgehog strategy. Yeah. Just don't just don't attack me. It's gonna hurt if you attack me. Don't even bother. I can say that because we have a pet hedgehog. I know him well. That's all they do. <laughs> all right. So anyway, uh, Bob makes his fake idol, we go back to camp, and now we have a great quote here from Randy. Randy just being a straight up dick to people. Here we go, some more Randy dick moments. Uh, they get tree mail for the uh, next uh, immunity challenge. And Randy says, you know, if there's a merge and I have to see Sasquatch, I'll puke. And Charlie's like, oh, who's Sasquatch? And Randy, of course, has to clarify because he forgot that Crystal has many nicknames. He says, well, Sasquatch is Bigfoot, which is Crystal, which is also T-Rex. So Randy Randy and Crystal clearly not exchanging Christmas cards at this point. And yeah, it's going to come to a head coming up here. When uh, Randy insults someone, you need like a thesaurus of like, you know, all these different terms you can interchange just to be insulting one person. Not thesaurus, you need like a biology book. I don't know where T-Rex came from. (laughs) Yes. So anyway, okay, so there we go. We're going to the immunity challenge. So we go to the immunity challenge, and this is where Jeff says, we're now merged. Everyone's merged. Yay, that fake twist just to get rid of Marcus is all done. Now we're going to merge. So, uh. Here we are. So now that these are the final, we're at nine people, right? Nine people mm-hmm. here. And I also yeah. want to point out, I sort of mentioned how I think the Kenny Maddie bromance is sort of an understated hallmark of Survivor Gabon. Get another little taste of it here where you get this really nice lingering shot of the two of them like gripping each other very tightly and Maddie whispering to Kenny about how much he missed him, which again, a couple of other moments uh, throughout these next group of episodes, it's going to culminate in Kenny betraying Maddie and trying to blindside him that I think is just a nice little step in this relationship that not a lot of people talk about. Yep. And you know how pissed Charlie must have been when he saw that. Like, I have nobody to hold. I I wish Marcus was here. I'm sure if there was fruit at the merge, at that challenge right there, I'm sure Kenny would be eating it right off of uh, Maddie's shoulder. (laughs) All right. So this is a, the famous uh, fire starter immunity challenge where they basically just have to, who's the first one that can light a fire? And uh, it's... they're they're like crap. It's the merge episode. We tried it. We crammed in a really elaborate reward challenge. We sent them on reward. We need something like really basic, like three minutes. <laughs> yeah. And it's and it's funny because you think if you again if you haven't watched these episodes in a while, you think maybe a fire starting challenge isn't going to be that exciting. And you, you w- w- what's funny is that you're actually underestimating how unexciting this challenge is because only one person even lights a fire the entire time. And that, of course, is Susie, the one who no one is really cheering for, who makes no uh, impact on the game whatsoever if she wins immunity. But Susie wins a heroic fire-starting immunity in, in the one episode that I bet you do not remember if you haven't watched Gabon in a while. Well, Sugar, Sugar also st- started a fire. Yeah. Was she? Okay, that's right. I wrote in my notes, no one else was even close, but perhaps... Perhaps I'm off a little bit, yes. Well, Su- Susie, Susie, Susie got hers, and, and Susie had, like, a fire going, and then Sugar got her fire 
started and was trying to build it, but it's like it, it was not. You're right; it wasn't close because, like, you know, Susie was many minutes ahead on her fire and getting it going, and you know, burning her rope and all that sort of stuff. So it was very, it was a very boring sort of challenge. It was just like, okay, here's a fire challenge. Susie wins. So America cheers, and by America, I mean mostly Paul when Susie wins her big heroic immunity challenge. Was that like a yeah, big moment know. in your house, Paul? I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to, that was tricky about Gabon knowing exactly who I was following the whole time, but I always did have that soft spot for Susie. So it was, it was good. And, and by this, by this point, I, I don't think if I've revealed the podcast, what uh, my mom's nickname for Susie was, have we talked about this? No. So <laughs> her nickname for it, because, you know, everyone got like really like dirty out there and just kind of the way things hung on their clothes or sometimes like, like it's hard to tell exactly what, what, like, ages the clothes and make them look bad but if if Susie is is one of the people that really in her chest area it gets really dark like her shirt and so like my mom's nickname for her was Susie Black Boobs oh I remember this now I remember when she won this challenge I remember my mom being like woohoo Susie Black Boobs and um, that kind of became a thing for a while so this is the yay Susie Black Boobs moment yeah a key moment for SBB Wow, that might be the title of this podcast. I just thought it. Good job, Paul. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, please don't Thanks, let that Barb. be the title of the podcast. <laughs> oh my god! No one can take that one wrong out of context or be exactly. offended. Yeah. So anyway, we uh, she wins. We go back to camp and uh, we get a really original merge name, and uh, we're off and running. Oh boy! I mean, uh, I mean, I, I, I usually don't like disparage the merge tribe names, even if it's just sort of a portmanteau of the two. But this is—I don't know—it's so maybe cyclically weird that it comes around to being actually sort of ironically funny at the same time. But this is this is just sort of like a—I don't know—name it no bag or something, and then I was like, yeah, it's fine. I, I really—I I could care less about what our merge tribe name is. Let's call it just put Gabon backwards in a weird, like, Trolls 2-like way of, you know, a message that reads both forward and backwards. I, I'm i okay with it in the sense that, you know, we, we lose things as seasons go on. This is this is the 17th season of Survivor, and to wish that everything was just like the first season or the first two seasons or something like that, it, it's, it's wishful thinking because things change, people change, all that sort of stuff. We have lamented on this show how Survivor doesn't do things sort of like they do anymore, like they don't always do... Uh, you know the the uh, you know the, the rites of passage or, or things like that, which which I always wish for and I think are part of Survivor. But you know, part of the excitement in the early seasons was the fact that you make the merge and that you get to make this new tribe name, and they really you know gave it a lot of thought and all that sort of stuff. And it's like it doesn't matter to the people anymore; like they don't care. So now they're just like, oh, let's just let's just do Gabon backwards. That's ah, fine. That's fine. You know, and like you can sit here and go, it's a really bad merge name. And I mean, w- this is not the first bad merge name, or it's not even the last. Like most merge names, like in in more modern eras of Survivor, are just awful. And a lot of people are like, oh, these names are no good. But it's like, this is clearly a thing that the Survivors don't care about anymore. So maybe we just give them a merge name. And I have to say, just like with uh, Paul's Susie Blackboob story, that when my dog got neutered, that's what we called him, No Bag. So no Bag, actually, yeah. yeah. It worked out real well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, ironically, though, No Bag also sort of represents Fong's rice situation. So it really is, maybe it's deeper than I initially thought. <laughs> yeah. All right. 
So we get back to camp, and this is the merge. And right off the bat, we have the big uh, feud between Randy and Crystal, who hate each other. Randy will not live with Crystal one more minute. Crystal doesn't want to live with Randy one more minute. They're going to go at it. So basically, again, stop me if you've heard this before, but it's going to break down to four people on one side and four people on the other. And right in the middle, there's Sugar. All right, let me break this down. The votes, if, if you don't <laughs> see this in a while. I was waiting for you to jump in. You guys didn't come in fast enough. I just figured I'd, I'd yeah. lead up to myself. Yeah, you got to keep going. Yeah. Which is, so Corinne, yeah. Corinne, Randy, Bob, and Charlie, basically the onions, against Ken, Maddie, Susie, and Crystal. And then again, right in the middle, there's Sugar. There's the lady of the hour. Yeah. I mean, th- there's not much to say. I mean, I guess you want more in-depth analysis, but that's literally what it is. Sugar has presented herself to be sort of the wild card out there. Not not just free agent, but wild card. Is as, as in, you know, the only semi-alliance that she was sort of in at this point was with Ace. And uh, you know, Mr. Bond, he expected him to die, and he did. So, you know, we no longer have Ace. And Sugar's just out there. And as as we've talked about, Sugar is playing this game moment to moment. And what I love about this, what I absolutely love, like I am a big Sugar fan. And no one can take that away from me because what she brought to the season is unbelievable as far as, you know, just emotion and television and great moments. But beside, aside from all that, like every once in a while, you know, people go on Survivor and they're like, I'm going to be a monkey wrench. I'm going to be a wild card. I'm going to flip alliances or blah, blah. And it's like Sugar actually does it. Like mm. she literally just goes out there and says, you know what? I'm going to vote with these guys today. And because this is how I feel. And, and the thing is, is that I believe her. And I think that it's legitimate. And it's also probably, if you're another player out there, extremely frightening to play with. Because I'm not saying that, you know, I'm saying that in Sugar's, I I feel like every decision that Sugar makes, she can justify. But I feel like if you're trying to play like rational game theory of Survivor, it's not rational a lot of the times. Mm -hmm. She's playing with, you know, her heart and her emotions, which is totally valid and totally a thing to do. But yet, you know, when you're trying to corral and think about all the different things, it's not going with anything out there. And it's so ironically great that Sugar is like in the middle or, or the potential swing vote or we can just gain power in this game if we can get Sugar to vote with us. When it's like Sugar is going, you know, convincing Sugar to vote with you is the game at this point. It's no longer all this other thing. The game is get Sugar. It's so interesting, too, because like Mario said... We have these two sides, but Sugar has a very interesting history with both sides. It's not as complicated, again, as these are the good guys, these are the bad guys. She outlines it here where Kenny and Crystal lied to her. They concocted this lie about something that Ace and Maddie said so that she would vote him out. But at the same time, she sort of has, like, personal conflicts with Randy and Corinne. And it's interesting when we look ahead to the end game that she's essentially going to eliminate all four of those people and instead cobble together her own alliance, essentially, by saying, I want to go to the end with Bob and Maddie, which is sort of one from each side. So, again... It's not really a story of Sugar sides with the Fongs and decimates the other side. It's mm-hmm. Sugar sides with the Fongs. Let me vote out the two people that I don't like. Okay, now that Bob has left, let's see if we can sort of get some amalgam going that takes out the other people. It's it's hard for us to follow the logic of it too. It's not like we're not watching it, seeing like you know Sugar maneuver strategically from this pair to this pair, from this alliance to this alliance. It's just kind of whatever Sugar wants. It's like that's another difficulty some people have with Gabon is following the step by step process as Sugar decides who she wants to be going to the end of the game with. 
Yeah. And this is something we brought up right at the start of the podcast, too, that really it, this is the Sugar Show. It's Sugar and then a bunch of other players. I know people hate looking at a season like that because she's not the strategist. But like like Mike just pointed out, really the storyline is don't dish Sugar because she's going to get rid of you later. She'll remember it. But, but I think that Mike brings up a really excellent point, which is the fact that Sugar decided who she liked. And it's not super obvious totally at this point, like, you know, the fact that Sugar wants to go to the end with Bob and Maddie, like, 100% totally, because, you know, minds can get made up and all that sort of, and minds can change and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, what, what's funny is that we have these seemingly very rigid alliances that have been made through these shufflings and reshufflings and all that sort of stuff. It's the onions versus the non-onions. You know, you've got, you know, sort of the Bob and Randy and Corinne and Charlie on one side, and you've got Crystal, Maddie, Ken and Susie on the other side and you've got Sugar in the middle and Sugar wants, as Mike said, Sugar wants Bob and Sugar wants Maddie, one on one side, one on the other side. And it's like she's literally going to use both sides to cut down all the people that she doesn't want in the game. And not once do they think, well, let's work with the other side and maybe get out Sugar. Like they're they're just so rigid and their side has to win. And so they're just basically like, well, we need Sugar and let's try to pacify Sugar. And it's like it, it never, you know, Sugar is just able to use them because she's never, like, their main target of ire. And she's a, a tool for them to use, in theory, but it's it's actually the other way around. Sugar uses them to get what she wants. And I think, it, I, I think it's noteworthy to point out as well that Sugar is the only person in Survivor history to never have her name written down on the parchment. Whether that means that she never got a vote for her... And she never got a vote at the final tribal council. In addition, I believe Sugar also has a 100% perfect voting record. She voted for the person who went home every single time, which I don't think anyone else in this season had as well. So, again, I'm sure we're going to talk about some definite weaknesses in Sugar's game, in particular maybe some of her tact in handling these people as she votes them out. But, I mean, those are some pretty stark numbers to look at. Right. It's different, you know, it's different from, you know, I remember when we talked in the Pearl Islands podcast about Lil and how Lil cut a swath through that game, you know, and Lil played with emotion, much, much like Sugar did. But I feel like with Lil, it was different, right? It was just like Lil woke up and then realized that this person was not great or she didn't like this one person. She's like, well, I want to vote them out. And then fair play and other people sort of manipulated around her. Sort of go like, okay, we've got Lil. Lil is in this direction. Let's let's just go and stuff like that. So it's like Lil basically like blew up alliances because you know the other people were able to see where she was directing her her dislike, and they were able to sort of weaponize her in a lot of ways. Whereas like with Sugar, she's Sugar's in control for the most part. It seems like she's not in control, but she's in control, which is the amazing thing. Yeah, and the other thing is that well. I mean, you make the comparison, but Lil was always quite predictable. You can kind of see where she was going to go. You could kind of head her in that direction. Sugar is almost the complete opposite. She's, it's hard for them to predict where she's going to zig or where she's going to zag. So I think that's what makes her so dangerous. And again, it is kind of shocking when you realize what a powerful player she was. I mean, just not like 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 a, the best strategist always, but she was always all controlling the vote. And I'm amazed she'd never got votes. Like, she was so unpredictable and dangerous. I'm just shocked she never really got a vote. But, you know, to her credit, she never did. Sugar's run in this, in Gabon, is unbelievably awesome. And it, it's, it's a thing that, you know, a lot of people, I mean, 
there's never going to be another boss and Rob. There's never going to be another Sandra or Kim or, you know, insert Tony, insert icon here. But in a lot of ways, there are, you know, there are people that have played like Sandra and one, not exactly Sandra ish, but like Sandra and one. And there are people that have played like Boston Rob and one there. There's things like that. But in sugar certainly doesn't win Gabon, but just the control and unpredictability that sugar wields in Gabon, I feel like is not really matched. There are people that have been un, you know, uh, unpredictable wrenches in games, casts and things like that. But sugar did it with such precision and control because I think if, I think Mike's got it right. If you look at the fact that sugar wanted to go to the end with Maddie and Bob, it's masterful at that point. I mean, you could almost compare her to like fair player Sesternino at that point and just how much control she had over what was going on. Yeah. And she's even more underestimated than they were. I mean, there's a great quote here where, you know, Corinne has to act like she wants to ally with Sugar. She's like, I hate Sugar. I hate this girl. What does she say? She's like, I've been mean and nasty to Sugar for 25 days. Now I'm nice to her once and she buys it. She's such a moron. And like, Sugar's got this advantage where she's kind of playing a character. I mean, again, her name's Jessica. She's not not Sugar. She's playing this 50s pinup girl, Sugar, on the show. So she's got a whole different level of of uh she can kind of play dumb a little more than maybe she would in real life and people just totally don't don't uh don't even legitimize her as a strategist like she's not a threat at all she's a moron you hear corinne saying it left and right so it's one of these things that they just don't respect or fear her at all and they don't realize she's the one calling the shots on everything but it's like she isn't she isn't because she's not trying to do this from like an alliance perspective or majority perspective she's got the hidden immunity idol and she's and she's 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 firmly in the middle of these two alliances, so she's quite safe. And so that's the thing is that even though some people don't like her and and blah blah, blah and that's going to be her downfall ultimately in Final Trial Castle is that people just don't like her, and then they recognize that she, you know she played a bunch of them in in the sort of machinations that she does and and whatnot. But like, you know, Sugar is fairly safe, and so then she's able to from this safe spot figure out what she wants. And is able to get it. She's in this unique position that not everyone can sort of carve out, but she's got it carved out where she's she's fairly safe and she's in the middle of these very rigid alliances that are not budging. And so at that point, she can sort of she has she has wiggle room and she uses it. Yep. All right. So here we come to one of the more pivotal moments of the game here where, uh, you know, again, sugar's in the middle and she's choosing between two sides, the onions and the non onions. And this is where Kenny Kenny decides he's going to basically take over the game here. He's mad at Charlie. He claims he he's comes up with a, a reasoning that you know when they had the fake uh, merge feast, Kenny would have had a uh, hidden idol, but Charlie spotted it. Charlie took it from him at the banquet, and Kenny's mad. He still holds a grudge about that, so he's going to get rid of Charlie tonight. So Ken, Kenny walks around and starts this rumor. What's the rumor here? That uh, Charlie's the brains. He's the one that's always been calling the shot over there with the onions. And so he basically tries to convince the rest of his alliance plus Sugar that we get rid of Charlie. That's the head of the snake. We get rid of Charlie and they crumble and this game is ours from here on out. And this is really, Ken just portrays this, and I don't know if it is or not, that it's just flat out revenge. I just don't like him. He screwed me over. I'm going to get him back right now. It's so hilarious. It's coming on the heels of what Mike pointed out of Charlie saying, now we have to think because Marcus was the brain for all of us. It's just really funny that that falls in the same episode. Yes. Uh, what I also like about I also like about Kenny is he's got like this like total like situational 100 percent equity at all times where he's like, you know, he says, hey, I'm a little mad at Charlie because he got, you know, he, he he spoiled that clue. But it's like you think back to that fake merge feast, like how on earth is anyone going to get that fake idol? Like you have mm-hmm. to get the clue. Then you have to surreptitiously walk away from the table and dig 
underneath a tree branch in order to get it. Like, I suppose you could, but, like, that's some sly shit. And it's like, if anyone sees you do it, then all of a sudden they're watching you again. It's that whole problem where, like, either, you know, everyone has the idol or nobody has the idol because everyone's watching you do it and it becomes this sort of weaponized thing. But it's like, it doesn't matter. Kenny's like, I, I could have had the clue, therefore I could have had an idol. Like, it's just, it's that other step. Like, well, of course, I'm just going to get it and it's going to be no problem. Well, it's interesting because Mario goes back to this whole, like, hero-villain thing with Kenny, and I know we're going to get this, like, big growth narrative confessional from him earlier on in the episode, but even at this point in the game, Kenny's ego is huge. It's as big as all of Africa at this point, because let's remember that, you know, he was the one to bring Sugar over to take out Ace. He was the one to help bring Susie over to take out Marcus. Uh, You know, in a few episodes, he's going to see his sister and basically say, okay, here's everything that's going on. He one-ups Christy Smith by being like, I'm in control of the game. I orchestrated five blind sides in a row. So even at this point, I feel like Kenny just has this mentality in his head that I am so much better than everybody else, which even he admits he did like an AMA on Reddit a couple of years ago, and even he admits, like, oh, yeah, I had such a big head out there. And this is one clear indication, as you said, Jay, where I think a perfectly logical Survivor player would be like, okay, I have some petty feelings towards Charlie for what he did, but I feel like there are bigger fish to fry. You know, Randy's a clear target that's drawing a lot of ire. Let's get rid of him easily. But instead he says, you know what? No, I'm going to go for Charlie uh, because, you know, I'm pissed that he did this and he tried to screw with my perfect game. Should we bring up, I don't know if this is well something we want to delve too much into, a couple people emailed us about this, and I wasn't aware of this, maybe you guys are, that there were some rumors after the season that people said, oh, uh, Kenny just didn't like Charlie for other reasons, and he was making up the stuff about the merge feast. Did you guys read those emails or hear about that stuff? Yeah, and I, <laughs> I, I don't want to get too much into it because this is all happenstance. It's hearsay. It's, it's hearsay, but I'll, I'll present what I've been hearing, which again, might be fraudulent and it might not, but apparently, uh, you know, when the tribes first swapped, I guess like Randy and Susie told Charlie that, you know, Kenny was referring to Charlie as sort of like homo uh, when just referring to Charlie. And then there's this weird suspicious, if you look at Kenny's uh, extended final words when they used to do the full voting confessionals pre-Nicaragua, Kenny, when he voted for Charlie in this episode, is saying, like, not to be homophobic or anything, which, you know, it's a different time, and who knows what background Kenny's from, uh, but it's, it's not a good look, because it sort of paints this possible light that maybe there's another reason why Kenny went for Charlie specifically. A couple people have emailed us about that, and then again, we didn't want to get too much into it, but we get yelled at if we don't talk about it. But yeah, there's always been this rumor that, you know, there may have been more to that Kenny-Charlie vote, but who knows? Again, we're just, everything you hear is secondhand, and this is one of those seasons where everybody seemed to hate each other anyway, so who knows exactly what the truth was. But we would be remiss if we did not bring up that there has been rumors on that one for a while. Yep, and so we get to Tribal Council, and, you know, we've been talking about Charlie being the brains, and Ken and Charlie and Sugar, and so naturally at Tribal Council, we get Randy and Crystal yelling at each other. <laughs> well, yeah, let's not forget that we also get Randy and Maddie yelling at each other over the golf shot. <laughs> well, yeah, that too. Still mad. Like, what was, what was the argument that uh, Maddie says, or Randy says, Maddie would make that shot nine times out of ten. My shot would work ten times out of ten, and they're still going on about this, and Probes is like, you guys won. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Yeah, and so now we get Randy and Crystal, the big fight, and it's just, this season is just a mess, and everyone's just arguing with each other, Randy hates Crystal, Crystal hates Randy, she calls him a troll, he says that she was a bully, and then in the middle we have Sugar saying, you know, I, I'm just not mean like everyone here, everyone's so mean, which is funny, because we're going to get Sugar being exceptionally mean to Randy in a little bit, but uh, yeah, so it's just just a horribly mean tribal council, capped off by 
a lot of people don't remember this, Randy going up and voting for Crystal, and his one voting comment is just screaming, bitch! Well, does he vote for Crystal or does he vote for CC? Who's CC? <laughs> is. CC is T-Rex, C. C. who is Bigfoot, who is uh, Godzilla. Well, yeah, pe- people don't remember this, that Jeff pulled a Denver diva here. He actually, when he pulls out the vote, he asks, who cast this vote? And Randy has to speak up and sort of gets admonished for the fact that he sort of uh, wrote an abbreviation on there. Now, I I feel like CC is enough of a hint personally <laughs> to decode Crystal Cox, unless Jeff thinks that CC Hike's going to just come walking out of the jungle and suddenly join the game. But I don't know. It's, it's, it's his call. I mean, Sarah Sarah Jones back in Marquesas, she always voted with initials, but she had big fake boobs, so he, she never got called out. <laughs> Sarah Black Boobs, the original? <laughs> right, when she, voted, when she voted for he, Hunter Ellis. <laughs> he, I remember. Okay, yeah, so we have lots of nasty voting comments, and we have Charlie going off on Crystal. You took away Marcus, and that makes me really mad. <laughs> Yeah. Still going on about Marcus. Uh, well, between this and his final words, where his the end part of the final words that get broadcast is him just suddenly <laughs> erupting to glee of like, oh, great, I get to see Marcus again. Like, we can't say this enough. The, the guy seems like the nicest person in the world, and I'm assuming that he definitely had a good head about him. I mean, I feel like he had a guaranteed spot in the final three if the Onions did end up winning out at that merge, but they definitely focused the edit around maybe a different perspective than Charlie would have liked. Yeah. So anyway, yes, this is the end of Charlie. Charlie gets voted out five to four because Sugar, right in the middle, milking every bit of airtime in the middle of Tribal Council, mugging for the camera, gets uh, she's the key vote. Charlie goes home, and just like that, like Mike said, Charlie gets to go join Marcus. And in his final words, he's overjoyed because that's what he—that's all he wants to talk about. I get to go see Marcus. Uh, poor Charlie. Yeah, that's. <laughs> We're making we great to- time here, by the way. Exactly, yeah, we've got through one episode, so we're going <laughs> to... Well, nothing happens in this next episode, right? Yeah. We'll just skip ahead to the final three now. Nothing goes on. All right, so anyway, just to sum it up, I wish we had more to say about Charlie, but the episodes never gave us more about Charlie, so um feel bad. But Did you guys really catch who, that epi- who this episode was uh, dedicated to? Yeah, the person that Mario accidentally snubbed once, Rudy's wife. Yes, Marge Bo. She had just died right before this episode aired, so this tribute is still in there. Even when you watch it online and on the DVD, it's in memory of Marge Bosch, again, Rudy's wife from season one. Not Susie Blackboobs. All right, let's go into episode nine. Okay, so we've lost, we've lost Marcus, we've lost Charlie. The onions are scrambling now. It's really just Bob, Randy, and Corinne, and they're in trouble. And this is the famous Randy episode, who some would call one of the funniest moments or episodes in general in Survivor history. It's the Randy episode, and it's also like just very much continuing this narrative of Kenny being the strategist. The previously on Survivor segment is all about him, and and you know talking about him and the idols, and that really is kind of driving um, the narrative right now is what Kenny's going to do. Yep. Yeah, and in Kenny and Crystal in the previously on segment, Jeff has stopped shitting on Fang. Now he's just hyping up Kenny and Crystal. They are calling the shots. They're choosing who goes home. So it's like, yeah, man, Probst has changed his narrative all of a sudden. <laughs> so we think we think that the the lines are clearly drawn here, right? Again, it's like okay, we had five people vote at the last tribal council, and like you said, Randy, Corone, and Bob are just sort of den men walking. But again, Sugar complicates things a little bit when she pulls Bob aside the next morning to be like, "Hey, you know, like I want to work with you." And then Bob, as a result, decides to reveal to her, "Hey, I have this idol." 
by the way, it's fake. And this is when the wheels are really going to start turning in Sugar's head of possibly, you know, something that makes for great TV but might not make for a great strategy when you're trying to appeal to people for jury votes at the end. Yeah, I think even Sugar is surprised here. She's like, why is he telling me this? Why is he telling me he has a fake idol? But okay. So now Bob and Sugar are kind of this little surreptitious pair off to the side. And uh, yeah, so Sugar's the only one that knows about this idol. And again, she's not mean. She doesn't do mean things to people, but it will come back later. All right, so let's see what's happening here. Uh, Randy and Coran basically decide we hate everyone here. We hate them all. Randy says basically our only move at this point is to work on Maddie. We need Maddie in here as our fourth. And that's how it's going to go. And with that in mind, we go right to the food auction. No drama here, by the way. No drama in the food auction. All right. Who wants to recap the, the, the cookie gate here? Oh, boy. Well, I guess we can, like, quickly go through the items here because uh, even though he uh, – there's when you're in trouble in Survivor and an auction comes about, uh, there are a couple of options you can take. You can go the Corinne route, which is – I know, you know, since season 11, they usually have uh, an advantage or some sort of message coming in that'll help save my butt. Uh, at some point in the auction, let me save my money for that. Or you'll do the Randy route, which is let me just bid on as much stuff as possible. So I'll just go through the lineup here. So the first one is beer and peanuts. Uh, Randy gets it. Uh, Sugar gets in a bidding war with him, but admits that she only did it to just make Randy bid higher. Again, Sugar doesn't do anything mean. I think that's very indicative here. Uh, next is a covered item. Kenny ends up winning it, and it's a note that I believe this was the uh, the Natalie note. It was the Becky note as well from Survivor Cook Islands. Send one person to exile and take all their money. Uh, he decides to choose Bob. He does not choose to uh, talk to Bob about how, you know, I don't know why you're being aggro. Just go to Exile Island uh, like Natalie did with Jason Siska. Then we get another covered item, and it goes to sugar, chocolate, and peanut butter. She decides, uh, despite her maybe uh, potential career path, to not take off her clothes for that, surprisingly enough. Uh, next, we get the hot bath that Parvati got, and plus a clean set of clothes. Uh, Susie decides to get it uh, after Randy jokes that he'll pay $100 to bathe her if she wins. I guess just trying to step it up from what Eric did of licking a chocolate cake off of Suri's hands last time. Uh, then the next item is a burger with fries that goes to Maddie. And after one item, Susie says the bath is too hot and gets out of the only bath she's had in almost a month after what, like five minutes. Uh, and everyone and slips into some weird pajama things that it's like, what is that outfit she's wearing? What did your mom call her at that point? I'm not sure it was confusing because she was not wearing her Susie black boobs shirt. It was very confusing. So... Then we get another covered item. Randy and Kenny will go back and forth, but Kenny lets Randy have it, and it's Randy's second alcoholic beverage of the day. It's a glass of wine with spaghetti and garlic bread. Uh, then comes the thing that Corinne's been waiting for, the sealed bottle with the advantage in the next challenge. Corinne just offers 500 and Kenny decides to relinquish it, despite the, only, the fact that he's the only one that can challenge it. And then the very last item, the Peace Day Resistance, as another covered item, but with a little bit of a twist, the first person to offer $20 wins it for the entire tribe. And Randy decides to take the deal only to have a plate of cookies revealed for him to share with the entire tribe on paper. Yeah. This is one of those scenes everyone seems to remember, but they kind of forget the specifics of how exactly it went down. They basically remember that there's a fight and Randy doesn't get a cookie. So here's – I'm going to lay it out John Madden style. I'm going to lay out the telestrator here. So, so I need Randy to hear gets, some booms in here when you go. Uh, boom. Here we go. Tough to acting to acting. All right. So anyway, so uh, Randy gets the plate of cookies. He 
it's for everybody. He walks over to Sugar, offers her a cookie. She declines. She's a lady. I, I do not need a cookie. So then he starts giving the cookies to everyone else. And then at a certain point, they get to Maddie, and Sugar says, well, Maddie can have my half that I didn't eat. And Randy points out, it's not your half anymore because you turned it down. And so there's that little bickering, and there's this goes on for a little bit, and then Randy's finally gives everyone a cookie, and he gets to the end, and he's only got one cookie left, and he offers it to Sugar, and she says, thank you, and she takes it, takes his cookie, and she gives it right to Maddie, which she specifically said she couldn't do, and then she does it just to spite him, and again, it's just a very passive-aggressive fight over baked goods, and bam, and that's how you get the uh, sugar fi- the uh, cookie fight, which will come up throughout the rest of the season, all the way till the end of the reunion show when Randy says that this is basically the reason the, uh, this was the, the million dollar cookie that changed his vote and gave Bob the win at the end over Susie. It's all, it's all convoluted logic on all, you know, all because of a fight over a cookie here. I'm surprised Clint Eastwood passed up directing million dollar cookie, but I think he went in a better direction. <laughs> yes. Yes. It was just, again, again, another ridiculous childish fight among the members of the no bag tribe. And, uh, yeah. So again, it's just you're, you're friends with Randy. Do you, for the record, I know we're jumping ahead and we're doing this because it's a final podcast and everything like that. But do you believe him on that? That that it was the mil- no. I don't think so at all. I don't think so either. Well, well, let's remember that like this isn't directly in the, this deals with Susie right instead of Sugar because essentially what's going to happen and I won't get too far. Susie ahead. talks about the cookie later. Yeah. Yeah. Because well, because what happens is when Randy pays the twenty dollars, Jeff is going to like present the cookies to Randy and Randy. I think jokingly says, oh, but I can keep these all to myself, right? And Jeff says, no, for the tribe, Randy, which is another fun moment, another one coming up at the end of this as well as at the end of all of this when, you know, Jeff does his Propstein recap of, like, Sugar gives Randy's cookie to Maddie and Randy just turns to Jeff and says, yeah, you want to repeat that? Uh, oh. It's so funny. But I think Sh- Susie took that initial comment of Randy saying, like, oh, like, are, do these have to be for the tribe? She took that to mean oh, Randy didn't want to give us the cookies to begin with. And of course, apparently Susie's a bit of a blabbermouth, and she decides to say that ad nauseum back at camp to the point of where Randy tells her to shut the fuck up later on in the episode. And that, according to Randy, is the reason why Susie did not win the game. No, no. to answer your question, Jay, I don't buy that's the only reason. I think he just didn't like Susie. I think it's great. He can humiliate her and point out that you screwed yourself out of a million dollars by being a biatch. But I no, I don't think that made a difference. I think he would have voted for Bob regardless. Me too. Yep. So yeah, so Randy is pissed off again. <laughs> again, stop me if you've heard this before, but Randy's kind of pissed now that uh, Sugar pulled the little stunt with a cookie and he gives a confessional. Sugar, she can kiss my ass. She thought I was bad before. I'm just going to turn it up now. So Randy goes back to camp and now he's furious. He's still ranting and raving about the cookie. Now he's going to burn this place down. You know, I'm, I'm getting voted out soon. I hate these people. I hate Crystal. I hate sugar. I'm just going to burn this place down. It's uh, it's scorched earth policy. So uh, this is so yeah. Randy is furious, and we get some shots of Randy and Corinne trying to pull in Maddie, just trying to force a tie, trying to do anything to get rid of these nincompoops that are running the game. And yeah, it's just Randy's going through his own little survivor cookie hell here. That's a love the Randy quote here. I left the auction broke, full, half drunk, and pissed off. Which I, I think didn't Penner have a confessional too about him leaving? the Survivor Cook Islands auction drunk, so it, it, it ties in nicely with that. Yeah. All right, so uh, 
So okay, so we go to Exile Island. We're going to get Bob. This is the little walkabout. I thought I, th- I thought the walkabout was on his first Exile trip. It's actually this trip, where you know he's already made his fake idol. He's going to Exile Island, and uh, because again from the auction, Ken got to pick uh, someone's. It was the 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 advantage Ken got. You uh, get to take take someone's money and send them to Exile Island, which is you called I believe the the Natalie and the Becky Lee. Uh, Reward. It's mm-hmm. actually the Mike Scoopin reward, where you take someone and swindle all their money out of them. <laughs> Figure I had to go a long way for that joke. Yeah, we see. So many we Bob's on Exile Island now, and he's doing his little walkabout. And like Mike said earlier, this is where we start getting all these shots of Bob walking up a hill, and you get these helicopter shots. If you, it's a kind of production speak here, where instead of you know the straight on camera of someone filming him, you get it from above. You see these shots of Bob, these majestic scenery shots. And this, in the online Survivor community, has long been known as a what's known as a winner shot. And is this one of those things that if someone gets a helicopter shot, they almost always win the season? Is that correct? I, I don't really follow uh, uh, Edgic like some other people mm. do, but is that true? It's usually a helicopter shot is the dead giveaway that this person's going to win the season. I mean, you you can appoint to a lot of people in the in the past who've had this. You Earl. know, the Earl is like the you know the big one that people point to and stuff. Um, this scene also gave me a lot of kind of flashbacks to uh, watching the Baron fight. You know, the final four Baron standing off on their rocks, looking down. Um, over Kenya so yeah this is definitely another like they're giving us little pieces each episode about Bob and Bob's journey and how far he's come and where he's going and stuff so and I'll point out the exception to the rule though the one that sticks out in my head is Aris uh, in the uh, in blood versus water when he went to go off to do yoga and meditate near the cliffs there's a big helicopter shot there and we all know what happened to Aris by the end of the game okay yeah, but just for kind of novice viewers that don't follow all the internet, the spoilers and stuff like that and Edgic, that's when people say helicopter shot, that's what they're referring to. Just watch Bob in this season on his walkabout, and there's like, what, five different helicopter shots? Like, they could not love this whole scene more. All right, so we go back to camp, and Randy is full-on scorched earth mode now. He just is pissed. He's going to take everyone down. And at some point, Randy and Corinne have figured out or assumed that Bob has an idol, right? They assume that Sugar's such a moron, there's no way she could have an idol. Bob must have found an idol out there. So did we see a scene of him actually admitting that, or they're just assuming this at this point? I mean, I think, you know, desperation makes fools of us all in a way. And so I, I think that, like you said, they try to appeal to Maddie. He says no. It's also noteworthy here. Uh, from down the line, that Maddie's going to try to make the pitch to his alliance of let's get rid of Bob now because Bob can win immunities down the line. And Sugars thinks, well, you're you're just saying that because you want to be the big physical threat. I don't want to get rid of Bob right now. Again, going along with I think Sugars' inner workings of her trying to cobble together her own final three alliance of people that she likes. But you know, Randy said he'd been thinking up the whole night of diabolical plans, and this was one of them to essentially say, hey, it's a shot in the dark, but maybe Bob has the idol because he's crafty like that. Let me try to wreck as much at camp as possible to draw all the Fong votes onto myself. I'll play the idol. We'll send Susie home. It'll be glorious. Yeah. And this is where, yeah, Randy, of course, brings up his grudge against Susie to go back to Jay's point about did the cookie cost Susie a vote? Now, you know, Randy's already ranting about Susie. He hates her guts already. He's like, she's the one that voted out Marcus. I hate her. Why can't she yawn and not make a noise? Which is a wonderful quote. Yeah, so he's like, Susie must pay for that flip to hell with her. So yeah, Randy's going to draw all this attention onto him, take the idol that he thinks Bob has, and swing it up against Susie. So that's his only play at this point. 
And uh, this is, the, I think we get the scene where Mike said earlier, where Randy's still ranting and raving about the cookie just because he's trying to be difficult and miserable to people. And Susie just tells him basically, you know, Randy, that cookie wasn't yours. Sugar could take it. That was her cookie. And Randy just says, shut the fuck up, Susie, right to her face, which is classic Randy. So, yeah. So there's a, lo- a lot of animosity here between these people. And with that, we're going to go right into the immunity challenge. Dominoes. This is the one, yeah, they, I just wrote in my notes, cross balance beam, do puzzle, whatever. Like, it's like, we've seen these these before, but this is the one where they have to, they have to build a little stacking thing at the end with the dominoes pieces and they push them down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this okay. is like training ground for like getting all the like, future Redemption Island duels. This was like part of the, you know, one of the practice ones to that, because that would later become a staple for all Redemption Island duels. And this is also okay. important because, again, Corinne got the advantage in the challenge, and I think... Correct me if I'm wrong here, guys. This might be the first time that someone got an advantage in a challenge where it was you got to skip essentially one berth. You got to go automatically to the final round. So Corinne was basically guaranteed a spot in the finals. It didn't end up amounting to much, but I think this is the first time, and we'll see it a couple other times, thinking about like Abby Maria in Survivor Philippines, for example, where that auction advantage is essentially saying, well, you have a one in three shot of winning the challenge now. Yeah. Okay, so just to skip over, most of the challenge is boring, but we get to the final three, the final three people, which are Maddie and Kenny and Corinne, and they have to build the little dominoes thing that uh, you might remember Marissa and Candace had to build on, on, in Blood versus Water, where you push them and you have to, they go over a little uneven, uh, like up-down slopes to try to make the dominoes all fall in a row, and uh, there's two noteworthy things. The first is that Kenny wins. Ken uses his uh, amazing video game skills to make the dominoes fall. And that uh, Maddie, in the middle of this challenge, unleashes his most prominent turkey gobble. <laughs> and I just watched this last night. It's like, how does that sound come out of a human being? It's literally like... Well, not to mention, he's also like navigating a tripwire, which even outside of the gobble noise, like, Maddie has the best sort of, like, O-face going on. I don't want to get too much into him and Jamie's, you know, bedroom lives, but it seems pretty comparable of him, like, trying to navigate these tripwires, because sort of the thing that happens in this final part of the challenge is that you have to arrange these dominoes, but at the same time, there are all these tripwires set up, and if you trigger one of them, then all the dominoes are going to fall over. So Maddie's trying to be as agile as possible, and he's looking like such a goober, and then on top of that, he's doing this weird gobbling noise. Boston Rob probably came running, thinking that the chicken had finally come back. It was, it was all sorts of Maddie weirdness that I love. Yes. For a very inconsequential, boring challenge, yeah, there's some fun stuff. And it's actually kind of an exciting ending where Kenny's dominoes fall right before everyone else does. So Kenny wins immunity, and with that, we're going to go to Randy's last stand back at, back at No Bag. Okay, so let's see what I have in my notes here. So yeah, Randy and Corinne, it all depends on if Bob has the idol tonight. And Sugar tells us, you know, I loathe Randy. He's an ass. He's an ass to everyone. She's like, basically, Sheer Sugar not doing mean things to people because that's not what she's about. She's about not being mean. Is that I want to embarrass him on the way out. And she says, she, this is where she comes up with a plan that will be beloved by every Survivor fan on the face of the earth except for perhaps Randy. Uh, let's slip Randy this fake idol that Bob made and make him think it's real. And then let's see what happens with that tribal council tonight. And Bob, a lot of people don't remember that bob is kind of an integral part of this it's not just sugar coming up with the idol like bob has to physically do it and so bob's like well okay and bob's like you know sugar kind of is calling the shots right now and if i if i have to do this to please sugar and get in good with her i guess i will like bob doesn't really want to embarrass randy he has nothing against randy but he's like what else can i do it's sugar's call so he's going to go along with it so it's all the all the as babu bot would say the wheels are in motion now where sugar is going to make sure that randy gets that fake idol 
do you think he had to, though? Because obviously, again, they have this this close relationship that's going to become a lot more familial later on in the season. But I think what a lot of people have gripes with with this move for Bob is essentially saying, like, Randy's an ally of yours. Why are you essentially not only voting, and Randy's even going to say this in the final tribal council, like, you had the votes against me, but why did you have to embarrass me by giving the idol? Do you think it could be in the realm of possibility that Bob could say, okay, you know, I'll vote against Randy with you, but I don't think we should give the fake idol. I think we should use it somewhere else. Or do you think, again, Sugar was so set on this quote-unquote hilarious plan that he just had to go along with it? Yeah, I mean, obviously he doesn't have to go along with it, but I just think he sees this malicious glee in Sugar's eye, knowing Sugar is going to take such a jury hit for this down the road, maybe I won't get any blame for it. Maybe she will. I mean, although maybe... Bob, you could even make the argument. Maybe Bob thought if Randy had the fake idol, it might fool people, and they wouldn't vote for Randy, and then Bob, in a roundabout way, could be saving Randy. I mean, who knows what... I, I don't know. I mean, obviously he didn't have to do it, but I know it's more complicated than it looks in the episode. What about you guys? What do you think, J.R. Paul? I think that maybe he could have gotten out of it. I don't think that he for sure was dead in the water, although we know we did see people talking so much about how Bob had to be first, but I think it's just a good example of... You know, like I think was it Jay or yeah, Jay talking about earlier in the podcast about, you know, we talk about those really basic like survivor winner skills that sometimes people forget to talk about because we want to go to this really high level of strategy. But part of like being a winner of survivor and being a good player at survivor is when opportunities present themselves to go with the flow and to know when, you know, which way to, to zig, which way to zag with that. A very simple kind of move to go along with this plan, even if he thought, you know, it was the best thing in the world or you might piss some people off so um i don't think he was necessarily dead in the water but he obviously read the situation right yeah i mean it's a decent move to do i'm not saying it was like a bad move but i think that you know that that's another thing is that the question is did 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 they have to do this to randy you know and and the thing is is that this this is a very sugar motivated move to to give this fake idol and stuff like that and it, it makes somewhat of of sense to maybe you know do that but in a lot of ways though this is i think a lot of people's problem a lot of times is that they feel like bob didn't do a whole ton and then he gives away this idol to randy which wasn't super necessary and was just also kind of a dick move on the way out and so i feel like this is a a blight in a weird way against bob yeah and in his defense bob bob does regret this all the way the rest of the season he mentions it several times at the reunion show how much he felt bad that this happened and he regrets it well, it's also interesting as well, thinking about, again, the way these events are set up. It's much like the dominoes that ends up getting Kenny the win here, in that I wonder, had Randy decided to not go with this burn-them-all strategy and act so mean and so especially callous to these people in the last day, if Sugar would feel like she's emotionally desperate enough to come up with this idea? You know, would yeah. it have just been enough for her to say, no, let's get rid of Randy, it'll be fun, I'll laugh on the way out, instead of her saying, no, he's been making my life hell for the past 24 hours, I need to obliterate any sort of competency this guy has in the game. Yeah, and that's a fair argument, that's one I hadn't actually thought about, but, you know, a lot of people will think, you know, poor Randy, but it's like, it's not like Randy wasn't trying to be a dick to everyone, especially these last few days, so it's like, he kind of asked for it, so... While you can have some empathy for him, it's not like this came out of the blue against some just random... It's like no one's doing this to Roger Bingham. No one's doing this to someone that everyone likes. They do it to the guy who, who's just an asshole to everybody. All right, so yeah, so Randy's going to get set up horribly here, and we even get the shot of him holding up the idol where he says, looks like an idol to me. 
And Randy, of course, has claimed over the years that he knew this was fake. But I don't know. In the, in the episode, they sure don't make it look like he knows this. Randy is just like such a real life example of an unreliable narrator. <laughs> I hate to say that because I know he's listening to this and he was nice enough to give us the intro for this podcast. But, but that's kind of that's but that's the kind of the appeal of him. You know, you like never do know what's real. Well, that's the thing. No at, at, at the reunion, which I don't know if we'll talk about by the end, but it's such an interesting reunion. Hopefully, we'll spend at least like five minutes talking about it at the very end. But you have this whole sequence where like Randy's just no selling Jeff, and he's sort of like dryly saying that, oh, you know, used to be a pilot, used to do marathons, I cheated my way through an engineering degree. And like, again, it's one of those things where you can't tell if he's serious or not. And this might be another version of it, though. I think the main crux that he points to is this idea that the the type of reaction that happens at Tribal Council when the aisle gets revealed as fake, he says is from the Charlie vote, because I don't think we mentioned this, but the Onions were completely blindsided by the Charlie choice. I think they thought it was either going to be Randy or Corinne. So he said that was spliced together from that. Again, that's all hearsay. Yeah. And I mean, again, it's not like the Survivor editors don't splice stuff in there. So that's that sounds completely legit on that one. But who knows? So anyway, yeah, so we get to Tribal Council and Randy, you know, is, thinks he's got a fake uh, an idol on him. And Sugar can barely contain herself. She's giggling and laughing. You can see in her face every time every time she opens her mouth. And I think Crystal is also cracking up. She knows what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, of course, the cookie stuff comes up again because <laughs> no good feud in Gabon will ever die. The cookies comes up, and Randy and Susie start bickering, and Susie says, I feel sorry for you, Randy. And this is going to come up later, because Randy can, he does not drop a grudge. He will remember any slight. So yeah, Susie says that, and and, uh, and then Crystal has a great quote here at Tribal Council, where she says, you know, when Randy was rude to Susie, Randy told her to shut the fuck up today. Talking to her like that, that's hands down for a slap. And that's a quote I use quite a bit, the hands down for a slap, so I, I appreciate Crystal contributing that to my life. And uh, Crystal even says, I will never speak to Randy outside this game. He's a troll. I hate him. And then uh, here we go. Here come the votes for Randy where uh, everyone goes up. And it's funny. A lot of people remember the uh, sugar one, the sugar one where she holds up the L and says, you're an alcoholic. What, what's the exact quote? I'm sure somebody wrote it down here. I think it's, uh, you are a disgusting, old, hot-headed, chauvinistic, alcoholic bigot, and you need to grow up before you die alone. A loser. Yeah, and she holds up the little L, and it's a great little funny screenshot. I use it all the time, much to Randy's hatred. He hates it. I use that picture, I'm sure. But yeah, a lot of people remember that as being the good one, but to me, that's not the star. You know which vote <laughs> I'm going to talk about here. <laughs> is this this is the first time where someone comes up and yells a vote? It, it's Is it the first or not? I, I always forget the timeline here. Where someone goes up there and yells their voting comments so loud so everybody behind them can hear them. I don't know if you count Cesar Nino's uh, Casey Kasem vote, which allegedly, like, Prope said that everyone could hear back at camp, or back yeah. at Tribal Council, and he, like, yelled at him for it, saying it would never make the air. But I think this is the first time, I don't know if, if Crystal is purposely raising the volume of her voice, or whether she's just so emotionally filled to the brim that she decides to yell it. But again, we talked in the pre-merge about the fact that she had been workshopping this concept. You know, one vote she got, she has the forget you, go home, next vote she has the goodbye she finally has strung together her magnum opus, the definitive Crystal Cox voting confessional. You have made my life hell from day one. Forget you. Go home. Goodbye. And she absolutely screams it. And there's a great shot as they cut back to everyone on the bench looking up and listening to Crystal screaming. You can hear her yelling in the background. It's just a wonderful Crystal moment. And it caps off the Crystal-Randy rivalry perfectly. 
<laughs> All right, so yeah, so Sugar and Crystal have said their piece, and we go back to uh, to their bench, and everyone just kind of cracking up. You can just kind of see it on their face, and Randy, of course, you know, smugly pulls out his little idol. Well, I do have this idol, you know, I tricked them all to voting for me, Jeff, and he plays it, and Jeff says, the rules of survivors say, if you play a hidden immunity idol, all votes are nullified. This is not a hidden immunity idol. And then Randy does the little, and he does the little head twist, which, again, is alleged from a different uh, episode. But yeah, then Jeff throws it into the fire and everyone starts giggling and laughing. And and from what we hear, this is only hearsay. We don't see it in the episode. We just see Crystal laughing or Sugar and Crystal laughing. But allegedly, Sugar was like rolling around on the ground, laying down, laughing, like going so far over the top that this was the funniest thing ever, that this will come up repeatedly towards the end of the season about what a bad sport Sugar was this night. So it's too bad we didn't see that. Maybe that'll be on a cut scene. But yeah, it's... So Randy is humiliated quite soundly on the way out. He's not pissed, but it is a absolutely wonderful TV moment. And I hope, even in the the bottom of his dark dark heart, I hope Randy appreciates what a good TV moment this was. So of the three consecutive fake idol plays that we've seen so far in Survivor, between Jamie playing just the blocks of wood, Jason Siska and the fucking stick, and Randy with Bob's fake idol, from a storytelling or from like a TV perspective, which is your favorite of the three? That is so hard to pick. I mean, the obvious one, everyone loves Jason and the stick, but I love the other two so much with Crystal yelling. And I love just love Jamie with the block of wood just because the look on her face is just so so hilarious. It's like I'm going to be I'm going to be a contrarian and say my favorite is probably the Randy one, even though almost everyone will say the Siska. But the Randy with Crystal's vote just kills me. How about you guys? Um, I probably go Siska, but it's so funny that all these things happen like seasons so close to each other that it's mm-hmm. it's you know just such like an evolution of the show altogether that they all happen together. So I really do just like the whole movement of it all. But I probably would be inclined to say Siska, but this is also great. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Keep going. Well, I was gonna say it's also interesting as well as you said, Paul, talking about the history because people can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe this is the last time somebody tries to play a fake idol thinking it's real until, I don't know if you count, you know, Mike Holloway playing uh, Joe Anglum's fake idol just to test if it's real, but we have to go all the way to Survivor Millennials versus Gen X, where Jay finds David's hastily made fake idol and plays it thinking it's real. So, like you said, Paul, even though we get it back to back to back, nearly twi- like, twice the amount of seasons are going to pass before it really comes up again in terms of a Survivor storyline. Yeah, and I have to say that I mean, it's really funny that it's season 15, 16, and 17 where this happens. And it's really, you know, people who kind of, I've said it before, I know other people have said it too, where the era or Survivor kind of gets a little trashy, where they really get glee out of humiliating their players. And I really kind of hate that it happens because there's such big, fun moments and everyone loves these moments and what, it's what makes the season so great. But it's, there's really an underlying meanness to it that I've never really liked. But I do have to say that being said... It gave me some great material for the Phony 115, so thank God they happened. <laughs> three of my favorite write-ups, those three right there. So should we talk a little bit about Randy before we uh, we send him off here and his little Dementor hood that he wears during the Ponderosa? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, Randy, one of my all-time favorite players, just so unique. I can't think of anyone who's really like him. People say, well, he's kind of like Rudy. Like, no, because Rudy wasn't really mean to people. He wasn't ever trying to be an ass just to get airtime. Rudy was just kind of Rudy. Randy was so funny and dry, and it's funny, likable yet unlikable. Like, people who hate him really hate him, but, like, when they rank their the most valuable members of the tribe, he's always towards the top. People like Randy. So Randy's such a weird dichotomy, and I know he's one of these guys that uh, 
you know, applied for the show 15 times or something like that and eventually got on. And I know, I just know he's soured. He did not like his Survivor experience. He doesn't like the producers mucking with the game. He especially didn't like having to deal with Russell that last time. Just, I know he's not, he's just not happy with Survivor. I'm not sure he even is thrilled he ever went on the show, but just, I cannot think of another player in Survivor history who's anything like him. He's just so interesting. And almost every minute he's on screen, it's just interesting because he's going to do something going to do something memorable. You don't know what it is, but it's going to be something fun. So it's just absolutely one of my top 20 favorite players and characters, and I've been fortunate enough to actually kind of be friends with him outside the show, so it's always been real nice. It's always, and he's, again, he's he's always been uh, particularly nice with me. He helps me with my Funny 115 entries about him. He would give me trivia and stuff. He would send me screen caps. He sent me video. He recorded the intro to this podcast. Like he's He goes out of his way to be nice to people he knows are Survivor fans that respect the show and know their stuff. So like he kind of has a bristly exterior, but I, I have nothing bad to say about Randy. He's always been a straight-up guy as far as I've ever known him. He also is one of the most interesting people, I would argue, not only on the season, but just in Survivor in general. It's going to get brought up both in this next recap episode and at the reunion as well, but, like, Randy's a a wedding videographer, but he has this very storied life where he used to be a pilot, and he, you know, runs marathons, and it's so interesting. We hear so much about, you know, Sugar's recent loss, but we talked about this a little bit in the last part, but for those of you that don't know, Randy's situation is that essentially... You know, I don't know exactly what the circumstances were, but he doesn't really communicate with family or friends. He invites six random people as his plus ones to come to the reunion, just Survivor fans, because he figures, like, well, my family and friends don't really watch the show, so it would be a waste to have them come here. So I just invited people off the street, quite literally. But he talks about this in the recap episode that, like, his one tried and true companion for this sort of curmudgeonly like figure is his dog, who he unfortunately lost a couple years ago before coming out to play. And you see genuine emotion on Randy's face. Someone who you just mentioned, Mario, is not really known for having a lot show across his face. And so you could see a little bit into that. And it's so interesting to just sort of like compartmentalize that all into one person because he's going to come back as part of the villains tribe. He's definitely one of the biggest villains from the first 20 seasons of the show. But when you look at that, there's almost a little bit of pathos to it. And I know that like, if he's listening, he would hate for me to say that. Uh, but you, you almost kind of sympathize where he's coming from, where he's been, and why it makes him who he is. I would say this, uh, ultimately. You know, the first two uh, all-returnee seasons that we had in Survivor were Survivor All-Stars Season 8 and Season 20, Survivor Heroes versus Villains. And I think that of those casts... We've talked about Survivor All-Stars in the casting before, about how, you know, they were sort of hamstrung with certain people that they had to bring back and stuff like that. And I think that there were some people that you could sort of argue like, eh, is Amber Burkich one of the 16 people you bring back from the pool of 120 or 130 or so of viable All-Stars that you bring back because certain people won't come back? You know, there, there, there's issues. But for the most part, you think like, okay, uh, Richard Hatch, slam dunk, you bring it back in the first All-Stars, you know, um, um, Lex, Colby, people like that. Yes, slam dunk, you bring them back. Um, and with heroes versus villains, there's a couple people that make that list, like Candace from Cook Islands. You're like, well, is Candace someone you bring back? I don't know. You can have a debate here and there. Randy was brought back for heroes versus villains because he was season 17. It was the first all season. And he's a slam dunk. And I think that's the biggest compliment that I could give Randy. And it's it's a compliment that I sort of despise because I don't like returning seasons, but they had this all-star returning season, heroes versus villains, and they brought Randy back as a villain, and that is 
absolutely 100% the right choice. Randy was unbelievably good on the, on this season in the role that he played. Yeah, I want to bring up something that happened at the reunion. That Again, I don't know if we're going to get into that, but there's a great little segment where Corinne and Randy are speaking back-to-back, and every time Corinne says something, the audience boos. They hate her. Randy will say something that's just as mean-spirited, and the audience goes crazy and starts cheering. And it's the weirdest thing. Like, there's a certain charisma that Randy has that I don't think Corinne has, or Corinne even wants to have, or I don't even know if Randy's trying to have it. But there's a, a fundamental difference between those two, and it's hilarious to watch how popular Randy is for being a curmudgeonly asshole. <laughs> and that's the fun thing about it, too, is that even in response to that, Randy's like, this isn't funny. Why are you laughing at this? Which, again, might be a little bit of his dry sense of humor of him being like, I'm actually making a joke, but I'm trying to make it funnier by saying like I'm being completely serious. But it makes it really interesting to have him say things that he feels like are serious, but people are almost sort of like laughing and being like, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. You know, I, I don't know if it brings back any sort of PTSD memories to Sugar apparently ruffling literally when he gets voted out there. But it's, it's, I guess it's a full season of people laughing at Randy both intentionally and unintentionally. And I'm curious what Paul, what you think of Randy, because he's not really your type of player. Yeah, I mean, he's not like my like go-to like favorite, but I think what I can always appreciate about Randy is that he's such a complex character that we can spend so much time talking about him, but he's also seemingly just kind of a normal guy out of middle of middle America, you know, he's an older guy on the show. So I think those are kind of the best people to get on the show, people who are like someone who could be a Randy could easily be your grumpy neighbor. Yet, like, once you see him on the show and you see his interactions and you see what he does, there's just so many layers of complexity to him. So the more casting we can get, like Randy's, I think the better the show is. This is the kind of thing I'm going to get in trouble for, so I better phrase this very carefully. But uh, it's really funny. You interact with Survivor alums over the years, especially now in the last couple of years, the five, six, seven years in the returning era, where Survivor alumni are so cognizant of being in good with the show and not pissing off Jeff probes and always wanting to be on the the short list to be asked back. Like you could just see it on Twitter. People are always retweeting Jeff probes or hyping up the show. It's really clear. I want to, I want to be in good with CBS. I would like to be asked back to the show. Randy is not like that. And I, I totally respect and appreciate that because it's so rare to see in the survivor alum base these days that you just see, you know, alums after alums kissing ass, kissing ass to probes, kissing ass to the show, saying, oh, this twist was amazing. Oh, that was so good. I love Blood versus Water. I love Redemption Island. And then Randy on Twitter will be flat out saying, fuck you, Jeff Probes, you've ruined this franchise, <laughs> which, I mean, that's near and dear to my heart. I don't want to get anybody in trouble here on the podcast who is going to be working for CBS soon, but I just have to say near and dear to my heart that Randy will say what I would like to say, and it's very rare to see survivors saying that stuff. To be so, fair, he's, he's, moved, he's, he's moved on to Big Brother now as his next conquest. Yes. Well, he originally applied for The Bachelor, if I, if I am correct. I think Again, he, we, do, we, we don't know if this is a joke or not, but that's what he's been saying, yeah. <laughs> yes. All right, so we've talked enough about Randy. Anybody else got any final words before we move on to Corinne? Did any of you guys uh, watch the recap episode, or am I out on an island here? In, I I've, did not I've watch seen it. it before. I haven't rewatched it. I did know the show Sugar's it. license plate. <laughs> oh, the Sugar. No that, that's chair. Sugar. Yeah, I was I, gonna I, say. Yeah, go ahead. I, I'll just give like a quick minute on it because I will say it's one of the more interesting ones because they choose to tell the story of the season thus far from the perspective of the final seven. And we we haven't talked a lot about Corinne because, quite honestly, up to this point, there really hasn't been a lot of Corinne. 
And we're obviously going to get to her boot episode next, and she has a lot of stuff she's going to say at the end game that's going to draw a lot of controversy. But outside of a couple barbs thrown out here and there, she really has not been shown a lot on the show. They really backlog the Corinne confessionals here. Here's what Corinne thinks about the fact that the CODA members don't know what pate is. Here's what Corinne thinks about the fact that Sugar's trying to lecture her about, you know, being nice and not talking about people behind their back. So they they definitely edit things from a perspective of the final seven, which is also an interesting place to put the recap episode as well. I know obviously they this is when they were still doing things during the Thanksgiving week to not draw away viewers. So it's at a, sort of an awkward placing in that there's only like three episodes left of the show Anyway, the other fun thing that they do, as Paul alluded to, they do show parts of the audition videos of the top seven. Uh, we got to see Sugar's license plate that she decided the show blurs out, but I'm assuming she did not. Uh, Maddie just has one of the weirdest, most over-the-top, but Maddie-like audition tapes there is out there. Bob gets attacked by a man in a bear costume. It's like Survivor Gabon. It's a very piecemeal, but really kind of wacky clip show overall. What's Dan's audition video? Is he, like, trying to shoot a basket under a hoop or across a hoop? <laughs> well, you know, they said focus the camera on Dan, so instead it's focused on the ground instead. Yeah, it's near Dan, under Dan. <laughs> we had to slip in one into the podcast, one, one preposition joke. All right, so let's get to episode 11 here, the Corinne episode, which is kind of interesting because, like you pointed out, she isn't that major a character in the season. You kind of think she is because you remember her jury speech at the end. But she's really not, and this is kind of a forgettable episode here. We're kind of going to gloss through this one here. All right, so uh, so we get back to camp after the Randy episode, and Bob Bob is going to go madass here. Bob is going to show a bit of a temper. He's furious at the way that the girls were laughing at Randy on the way out. And he especially singles out Sugar, saying that was unnecessary. I never want to see that again. And again, if we're going to get into the whole Bob as a father figure for Sugar, this is kind of a pivotal moment here where he's the one person that can kind of lay down the law to sugar and she's going to listen to him so let's let's not forget that so yeah so bob is absolutely furious that his his idol was used for that evil of a purpose and that they were that gleeful and again sugar was literally raffling on the ground rolling around laughing at randy on the way out which we never saw but that would be fun to see someday we also didn't point this out last time but also noteworthy bob despite going through with this plan votes with corinne and randy against Susie, even though he knew the plan wouldn't work, and even though it would come back to them at the end of the day that he was the one who provided the fake idol to start this ball rolling, he still decides to show some loyalty by voting with them. It's really interesting. What I also love about this, like, uh, the two scenes they put together here as... Uh, the discussion moves into Sugar and Bob talking about, you know, how this whole thing went down. And there's, like, Sugar saying, like, I'm so sorry, Bob. Like, I'm so sorry. And then it cuts to her talking to Cam. Like, I do not feel sorry for Randy. So <laughs> it's a good work by the editors there. And I think here is where we get a – there's a fight between uh, – what is it? Corinne and Sugar over who's more fake. <laughs> it's just a good one. Yeah, go back to camp. And Corinne is just refusing to be nice to anybody now. I'm done. I hate all you people. And she goes off on Sugar, and Sugar goes off on Corinne. And, and uh, yeah, so uh, what else is happening? Look at my notes here. She's uh, living in a camp of mutants. Yeah. And Ken points out that Bob is bad at the game. Bob is kind of stupid. He just does. He just He's just here for the outdoorsy stuff, which is an mm-hmm. interesting way to no-sell your winner for the editors. Nice to include that quote. 
Oh yeah, so the, this is really Kenny's downfall arc is starting here, where he's, now he's going to start going off on Bob and start talking trash about him. So yeah, Kenny's downfall arc is going to kind of start soon. He he was built up very quickly as the big hero of the season, and now, like Mike said, his ego has gotten in the way, and now he's going to start to go down. All right, so let's get to the reward challenge. This is the episode 11 reward challenge, which is the loved ones. And this is the one where they have to go out and build a puzzle. They're like in teams, and they have to go out and build a big gear puzzle, correct? Yeah, they have to go out into this the swamp of sadness, essentially, which I'm surprised Sugar did not, you know, drown like the horse from the never-ending story, if that was the case. Um, but, yeah, they have to go out to this swamp, tie together in teams of three. It's interesting because this is the family visit. It starts off as just the family phone messages on the Samsung Instinct by Sprint, uh, but it turns into a family visit by the end of it. But it's interesting. I, I can't remember many family visit challenges where you start off in teams and then they do like, oh, the top three finishers then compete individually to get the reward. Also, yeah, so what, wait, wait, do my ears deceive me? Was that a never-ending story reference? That was amazing. <laughs> when he first said the Swamp of Sadness, I thought he was talking about the Princess Bride. I wasn't sure what the reference was, but then he pulled out a Treyu. So Mike is out-referencing uh, me today. That was very obscure, even by my standards. Well it's done. the fire swamps in uh, Princess yeah. Bride. The R-O-U-S, <laughs> the uh, rodents of unusual size. <laughs> All right, we're tackling our nerd fan base today. They're appreciating this part. All right, so yeah, so the teams on this one, yeah, it's Crystal, Sugar, and Bob against Susie, Maddie, and Ken. And surprisingly, Bob, the physics guy, is really good at the gears puzzle. <laughs> you wouldn't think. I have to, I have to give, I, I hesitate to say this because it's always fodder for more people to make fun of me, but one of my my huge weaknesses in life is I cannot figure out how gears work. It's like my, my, my kryptonite. I'm so bad at gear puzzles, and it's it's a long-standing thing that the, the point that my kids make fun of me and my wife makes fun of me. Like, when I was in high school, you'd take these aptitude tests, and, like, they would test your math and reasoning and verbal and all this stuff, and I'd get, like, 98, 99th percentile across the board because I was, like, a smart kid. And then you get to mechanical reasoning, and I'd get, like, a 20%. I was, like, literally the stupidest person at mechanical reasoning in the state of Washington. To the day, to this day, that whenever I see a gear puzzle, I just basically go George Costanza, and I think, "What's the opposite of my instinct?" And that's how that gear is going to turn. And I'm always wrong either, either way. So, it's like it, it, this. This challenge triggered me. Why? My we were watching it today, and my kids were in the room just laughing, like, "Hey, gear puzzle! Dad has to watch a gear puzzle." So, there you go. Something more that people can make fun of me about my lack of knowledge of how gears work. All right. So yeah. So Bob wins the gear puzzle. Then they have a second part of the puzzle, which is the slide puzzle. Bob somehow immediately wins that and like instantly he's, he's the anti-dan foley he, he solves the slide puzzle and so basically bob wins bob wins pizza and beer and brownies and a video from home well they sit on like a nicely decked out couch and coffee table so yeah you think initially this is a strange reward and jeffy admits at the outset like hey Usually, we like to bring love in. Unfortunately, we don't have it here today, but here's some, you know, some nice 30-second video messages, essentially, a la, you know, Survivor Borneo. You get part of your tape now, and then you get all of your tape if you win the challenge, unless you're Jenna Lewis. Uh, but So Bob wins, and he gets to watch a video with his wife, Peggy, and then when she steps out of frame, uh, a surprise happens. Yeah, this is a cool little moment where Jeff, where sometimes, you know, Sometimes Jeff hedges around the truth. This one, he flat out lies to them. He's like, your loved ones are not here. And then we go to Bob's watching the video, and then Peggy pops out from behind the tree. So she was there the whole time. So he was just being a dick. This whole thing is so much more polished and classy than the Vanuatu loved ones. And I was not you know, on historians around this time. 
but they were like over the top with that about how you're, you're going to Skype in and they Skype to them and they're really on the island and then they come out and they get on a boat and oh, they show up at the immunity challenge as well. And it was way too much. This was very nice, clean, simple, had a big impact. Very, a, a huge fan of how they did this. And I bet there was a lot of belief that maybe the loved ones wouldn't make it out to Gabon considering it's so remote and all the steps you have to get to. I mean, you know, even the Ponderosa clips you see about how hard it was to get you know, contestants around just to the Ponderosa. So um, I think they really did this one well. Although it does lead to the question, though. You know, he was only voted out an episode before. Who would have Randy's loved one have been? Yeah, that's the big what if, right? Because I don't know. Maybe they would take like a dream team member. And it's cause no, again, it would. He had um, it was a male, and I don't know if it, was, it must have been a friend or something. Because he, when they would go to Ponderosa, they each those those people who were voted off before the the loved ones, they each got their Samsung phone and got to watch the message of whoever it was. And his was he just said the name. It was some male guy, and he was talking to him about how. I bet you've like made some friends, but I bet you also have made some enemies out there. But it wasn't clear exactly who this guy was. Not just a male guy, it's the male guy. It's his mailman. I was going to say, do you mean mailman like literally a postal worker? I mean, he could have been. Who knows? It was Dan Foley. That was his loved one. Randy, I hope you're doing well. By the way, your electric bill's due on the 20th. Uh, I don't know if you want to take care of that. <laughs> I thought maybe Randy's loved one would have been they take his dog and like do a taxidermy and bring it out, like the stuffed dog. That would have been kind of cool. What do, you th- what do you think the 30-second message would have been from a taxidermy dog? I don't know. What's the 30-second message from his mailman? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that was always been the, the thing. That would have been fun to see Randy's loved ones. So, so yeah, so Peggy, Bob's wife, comes out. They have a great moment, and they hold hands, and they walk back to camp, and everyone's so excited because Peggy's there. And, and then over the hill, here come all the other loved ones. It's the parade of loved ones. And this is such a, like, I know, Paul, you're talking about the cheesiness of Vanuatu, but this is a pretty fun, cheesy moment here, too, where Bob's like, oh, wait, one more thing. And, you know, this is one of those examples where, like, usually we see everything that happens in the Survivor game that informs the narrative. But I guess off camera, a producer had probably told Bob, like, hey, you're going to do this thing. You're going to pretend like you would round it up all the loved ones. So he gives this sort of, like, wolf whistle, and all of these people come pouring over the hill. So we get, you know... Crystal's boyfriend, we get Corinne's brother, we get Susie's husband, we get Kenny's sister Jenny, uh, luckily their mother Penny did not show up, uh, so uh, there's a whole group of people, but I guess it sort of is most memorable for Maddie's girlfriend Jamie and eventually what happens at the dock. Well, let's not forget Sugar and her sister. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes, the spreading the dad's ashes over the, the lake that I think Kenny said in his AMA that they ended up drinking water, like, right from that source soon afterwards, so they could have all <laughs> ingested Sugar's father's ashes, for all they know. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> yes, yeah, the people, if people don't remember, yeah, Sugar's sister, um, Cinnamon, comes out, and they, uh, and they have the little vial of the dad's ashes, so they dump it into a lake so the dad can be a part of Gabon, and yeah, apparently Maddie said they drank from the water later. So. But it's a nice moment where Sugar and her sister can cry simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Not making fun, then. It was a nice scene. And then, yes, like Mike said, then we had uh, Maddie's girlfriend comes out, and Maddie, you know, is in love with his girlfriend, and he drops down to one knee and proposes to her with a little ring that he made out of, I don't know, what did he make it out of? Well, is it a ring or is it a necklace? Are we going like oh, Lord the of necklace. the Rings? Lo- yeah, like I'm are sorry. we going? Are we going Lord of the Rings here, where there's a ring on a necklace just for safekeeping? Yeah, he gives her a pearl necklace, or he gives her a necklace, and uh, 
And then uh, wow, wow, hoping someone will catch it. Like Ooh, that. that got Jay talking. Jay has to talk for ten minutes, but that got his attention. Good job, Mario. Keep him coming. You really dangled that joke out there, Mario. <laughs> so yeah, he gives her the engagement necklace, and she says yes. And are they still married? Did anybody do the research on this? Did they get married after the show? They did Paul? get married. Okay. Uh, I, yeah. I know that they got married because I think they had the, a photo spread and people or whatever because you know that happens all right so yeah so maddie proposes to his girlfriend it's very nice and again they get engaged and so yeah it's a real nice family scene everyone has a nice little character moment and now we go back to the game and now it's back to five against two it's bob and corinne against the world and this is where and the plan for everyone they're like okay we got to vote out bob bob's just good at everything let's get rid of him next we can get rid of corinne later we don't care about her so bob is the target so bob comes up with a very <laughs> cockamamie little story here which was featured very prominently in the premiere in the preview for this episode where he's like you know corinne when you remember when marcus went out and threw that idol into the water he's like you didn't actually see him throw it did you he had it hidden in his pocket so he came back and he gave it to me he hid it here and i found it and she's like oh my god is that true he's like no but it sounds good doesn't it <laughs> so this is bob's plan he's like what if i made a second fake idol the interesting thing about this is, like you said, it was built up in, like, the next time on after the Randy episode. And then we had the recap episode after that. So for two weeks, I remember the internet community was like, wait, what? Like, if this actually happened, Survivor would have told us about it, right? Like, I don't think people had it in their minds that, that Bob could come up with a lie like that. So, again, it's it's a fantastic little editing moment that he builds up this big narrative and you have this sort of the mystified music. And then when Corinne says, like, is that really true? He's like, no, I was just faking you. And then the music immediately drops out but like you said this is the next plan of bob to come up with another fake idol since he you know sort of utilized the last one in a more humiliating way and again i have to give major props to this idol i think this idol kicks the crap out of the first idol the first idol jeff was able to you know take the remnants out of the fire uh, to show it off uh the craftsmanship of bob but i think this one is just a more well done idol overall Ah, and see, it's funny because the first idol gets all the props and all the attention, but your argument is that the second one was actually the better one. Yeah, I think I think I think it's just the lack of the face. I think Bob decided, okay, it's not going to look like that, so he uses like a totem instead, and he uses more beads. I mean, they're both great, but I think this one's a little better. All right, it's a hot take there from Mike Bloom. All right, so we go to the immunity challenge. This is uh, basically Bob and Corinne's last stand. Basically, if one of them wins immunity, they can use this fake idol for the other one, and they can save them both. So this is one where it's a little Gabon trivia challenge. You answer questions about Gabon, and each time you win, you win a little ball, like a little uh, croquet ball. And then, again, another one of these famous Gabon topography challenges where they're throwing the balls to get down into a valley to try to land into a target. And it's really kind of a... A simple challenge, but it's kind of cool. I really like this one. I said it before in the previous podcasts, but I'm going to say it again. The challenges in Gabon are unbelievably good, and they're simple. And that that's what frustrates me about a lot of things. Is a lot of people think, oh, Survivor, you know, you got to make these big mechanisms or these complicated structures, and it's like you really don't. You just have to, you know, do something that's fun that people can get. You know, and, and I, I think that you mentioned it, Mike, the fact that they had all the space to do these challenges really was something special for the fact that they can sort of stretch out and do these just long, hilly, convoluted sort of things. Yep. And I will say, we, we only get four trivia questions, which again, I'm assuming they get more, but for some reason they cut it down just for time's sake. We do have a, our typical trolling 
uh, and not from a Randy perspective, but our trolling trivia question, much like the the shark question in Pearl Island. I think in Vanuatu, it was the like the Vanuatu like to drink hot lava to cleanse the soul. This one is uh, true or false. The Gabonese viper is harmless to humans, and <laughs> Susie and Corinne both think that somehow a poisonous snake is not deadly to humans. <laughs> yes. All right, so yeah, then they all get their little balls, and we get to go play Survivor Ski Ball, where they uh, throw balls off a cliff and try to tra- do the trajectory and the angle and land in a little circle. And, you know, stop me if you've heard this before, but the science guy is pretty good at this challenge. So yeah, Bob wins. Bob wins to the, the physics challenge. And uh, so yeah, so basically Bob's safe tonight. It's five against one. Corinne is in deep doo-doo. Her only chance to survive is Bob's new fake idol that he has somehow crafted out of nothing but dirt and gumption. And uh, yeah, so uh, the plan is they're, they, they're, they're dying for a swing vote, someone to help us, help us out. So they end up, end up going to Kenny, and they tell him about this idol. I think, do they show him? They show him the idol, don't they? Well, they show Crystal the idol, and she freaks the fuck out. She really... The whole thing about this segment is so it's so interesting because I think a lot of people just remember, oh yeah, you know, it, it goes it goes Marcus, Charlie, Randy, Corinne, boom, 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 boom. But there is so much complication in this vote, and this to me is really the crux of what happens to Kenny and Crystal and why they fall. Because for all intents and purposes, Kenny flips, which again pisses off the rest of his alliance and leads to him getting voted out a couple rounds later. But essentially and I don't know if this is spurred along by the idle lie or if it's Kenny just looking to make a move and deciding, okay, now's the time to take out Maddie. But they come up with the lie. They approach Kenny. They, they both agree it's in their best interest. Okay, let's take out Maddie. He goes to Crystal, and Bob shows the idol to Crystal, and she is so sold that it's a real idol that her and Kenny are jumping up and down in joy at the idea of the four of them joining up together to take out Maddie at this point. Yeah, yeah this is actually a very convoluted vote. Again, it's... Like Mike pointed out, there's a lot more going on here that we're kind of glossing over, but it becomes very tricky over whether Corinne's going to go home tonight or whether everyone's going to blindside Maddie tonight. And Kenny's kind of going to get stuck in the middle here where he's going to kind of hedge his bets, and he and Crystal split their votes. Kenny ends up voting against Maddie. It doesn't work out. Corinne's going to go home like she was going to go home anyway, and Ken takes a huge political hit because Maddie knows, hey, you voted against me tonight. Why did you do that? So it's, yeah, Kenny's going to have a rough uh, episode here. Yeah, Kenny gets, for lack of a better term, very, very cute here. He sort of is saying, like, let me have my cake and eat it, too, because he could have just gone along with the plan and said, okay, the four of us together are going to vote out Maddie. Then the game completely changes. I mean, I know Sugar still has the idol, so maybe she plays it to get one of them out, but those four could have made it to the end, which would have been pretty stupid for Kenny and Crystal because you're just letting two people into the end of the game when you have all of their allies sitting on the jury. But Kenny decides, no, you know what? Not only are we going to blindside Maddie, but we're also going to have Corinne or have Corinne falsely play this idol as well. So Crystal, you still vote for Corinne, and that's what set the, sets the things in motion because the idol's obviously not real. Crystal listens to Kenny and sides with the rest of the group to vote out Corinne, and now suddenly, as you said, Kenny's been completely outed as someone who is ready to turn on Maddie in an instant, and now he is absolutely screwed. And just a little more fuel to the fire here that Bob never does anything. If Bob doesn't make that really realistic-looking idol and start this whole thing, maybe Kenny never has his downfall later. So it's not like Bob does nothing. Right. I mean, yeah. I, again, I, I don't know if we need to justify Bob, but but I, I think that this this is there. Ken, th- this is where his his 
you know, and, and it's not just esports, but just sports in general. Like, you know, he's part of the sport culture where it's highly competitive. And again, I, I think that Ken has this problem every once in a while in in the game of Survivor where he he min maxes everything. You know, it's all about, you know, getting the maximum efficiency with everything. And the problem with that sometimes is it's it's the whole Icarus thing. Like, you know, you try to max out everything you end up things start falling apart and it's like ken is trying to maximize everything because he's basically like well we'll split our votes and if corinne doesn't play her idol and it's a fake idol or whatever goes wrong with the idol then corinne goes home but if it is real then we get maddie out and that's also good for us too and all that sort of stuff but i i and that that all looks good when you're trying to just trying to figure out all this vote stuff but i don't think ken really took into account a lot of the 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 social ramifications of this, which again is a part of survivor. Like, you know, when, if, if, if all everyone is, is just playing the game in a simulation and just, you know, our votes on a, on a, on a piece of paper or something like that, that's one thing, but they're out there living in such extreme and, and survival sort of, uh, uh, situations. So, so again, the social aspect comes into play and I don't think Ken really thought that out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you said it well, it's, uh, Looks good on paper, but maybe doesn't work so well in the game. And with that, we lose Corinne, and Ken is uh, going to be a public enemy number one here coming out of this episode. Well, and that's so, what I love about this season is that, you know, they do these things and then people get pissed. And it's yeah. like, you know, nowadays the game has gone so much where, like, this is now expected. So, like, someone does something like this and everyone just goes, well, they did a thing. And it's like back in the day, they do a thing like, why'd you do that thing? <laughs> yeah, I missed that. I missed the why'd you do that thing part of the show. All right, so I guess it's time to eulogize Corinne. This is interesting because it's tough to eulogize Corinne without tying in her comments to Sugar at the final Tribal Council, which we will definitely get to. But you sort of pointed it out earlier, Mario, that, I mean, Randy and Corinne, I wouldn't say they're on the same level, but they have similar temperaments to the rest of the people in the game. They both have very similar final words and essentially saying, like, screw all these people left in the game, I'm glad to be gone. And there could be a myriad of reasons as to why Corinne is not nearly as well-received as Randy. Through the years, I think people have accused Corinne of like being a try-hard, of being a Jerry Manthe knockoff, of you know, scripted confessionals coming in for only being there because of TV time. What I'll personally say is I do think there are a couple times when what Corinne says makes me a little uneasy and will certainly get to them. I think she has some fun sound bites in there, but I mean... It's her thing to be mean, and it's also kind of interesting to look at it from a character perspective of, here's someone who is growing slowly more and more insanely angry with the people around her, which carries over to her jury speech, which, granted, does not play well, but it represents her attitude of, even when she's out of the game, she feels she still feels like she's trapped within the confines of the game. It just makes her angrier. She says in her normal life, if there's someone who pisses her off, she can just walk away and not interact with them. But the gall of having to interact with these people just sort of sends her over the edge. And, you know, she really takes it to 11, and I think it creates a really polarizing view where people say, like, yes, Queen Corinne. I mean, Corinne has also made a name for herself in coming back to do Rob Cesternino's cast assessments, and obviously she started her own podcast with Max Dawson. So she's become more prevalent in the Survivor scene as of late, but I still think she's very polarizing in that some people go along with the snark. They think the offensive comments are fantastic. Other people say that's too much and she's way over the line. I mean, I think she she is real. I think that's what... I mean, watching the Ponderosa clips following um, Corinne's ouster, I mean, she is, like, 
equally horrible, if not more horrible, to these people at Ponderosa than she was in the game. I mean, she really led the charge to not even speak to Crystal once she gets voted off. Um, Kenny, when he gets voted off, he goes to kind of give her a hug. He's really willing to just, like, you know, let bygones be bygones. And she gives him an awkward handshake and is not into it at all. There's, like, a clip of when they're going to the final tribal council, or maybe it's the final five tribal council, and... Um, like Crystal is riding in a different car because she's like not riding with them, and Corinne like walks by and kind of slams the door like as Crystal's getting in and stuff. Like Corinne is not nice, and whether like you like that person or would associate with that person in real life, I think you you have to give like the show credit for finding someone like Corinne, and you have to uh, commend the consistency of Corinne over all these years and how involved she's been with the show post hand that she really hasn't wavered much from the person we saw in Gabon. We didn't see as much of her until much later on in Gabon, but she's been a very consistent Survivor character. Yeah, I actually like her in Gabon. I like her in, what, Caramoans, the other one she's in? Yes. Yeah, I think she's a good character for what she is. I, I don't mind if she's on the show. If you have to bring people back, I'd rather see her. I have to, I do have to mention something. And I, I, there's always things that I hesitate to talk about because I don't want to get in trouble or piss people off outside the show. But I've, I, I interact with some survivors over the years. I try not to, but every so often, I mean, I live in Los Angeles. I get invited to survivor events. So every so often, you kind of not really, it's not really your scene, but you get invited to these fancy parties or survivor parties or like, you know, pseudo Hollywood like parties where there's like important people walking around and stuff. And I was at one of them once. I was there well, actually with Randy. I was talking to Randy. And the only interaction I've ever had with Corinne in real life is she was there at the party, you know, dressed up, doing her social, social, uh, socialite thing. And she walks up and, she, and I'm talking to Randy. And Corinne does this one move. And you see this a lot in Los Angeles. And again, it's, you, it's very typical where Corinne looks at me. Two seconds, she's determined I'm not famous, thus she's not going to acknowledge that I'm there. And she'll just start talking to Randy. And it's one of those Los Angeles, you see a lot of actresses and socialites do that move. It's like, are you famous? If you are, you're worth my time. If you're not, I don't care about you. And it was so blatant the way she did that. And I just thought, you know, I don't think a lot of Corinne is an act. I think that pretty much is what she is. And it was, it was just very uh, staggering to see a survivor do that a lot of most survivors i would say 90 percent of them i've interacted with are very oh appreciative of the fans i love the fans i love attention oh it's so cool you watch the show let's talk about it like corinne wasn't like that at all completely the opposite like i'm a celebrity and you're not and i don't even know why you're standing next to me it was just an odd little moment to then to this day i don't even think she she would have even known she had an interaction with me it's just kind of an interesting story i don't know if i have much to say about corinne i mean i think that corinne is another one just as you guys brought up, um, she was an interesting character on Gabon. Uh, she certainly was memorable, I guess. And I think that when she was brought back on Karamoan, she was one of those people where I said, yeah, you know, Corinne, that, that's, that's a decent move to bring her back uh, and whatnot. But I, I think that she's also one, may, maybe I'm looking at it through, through uh, you know, weird lenses in, in the sense that, you know, she has made, she, Corinne has made a name for herself in her post-survivor career just with... Uh, her postcast assessments with uh, Rob as a podcast, and you know that in the in in the recently she has uh, you know got gotten her own podcast with Max Dawson, um, but it has been, you know, she's one where I think people remember her more because of the things that she's done outside of Survivor, and you know it, it, it's weird when you think about things like that, and, and Sestronino is such an interesting person because we've all we all have interacted with Rob, we all love Rob Sestronino. I mean that's that's not. Uh, 
that in and of itself. But I mean, Rob was pretty famous in the Survivor community for his game that he did in Survivor Amazon. And and then he he's the one that makes the podcast. And it's like, I mean, I would dare say that he's made a bigger name for himself with his podcast empire than being on the show. But that 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 in a way sort of insults what he did on the show. Whereas with Corinne, I feel like her impact on the show was probably not as big as her impact has been in the uh, the post show in the Survivor community. Yeah, and I think there's sort of a Mandela effect that happens as a result of that, where people are saying like, "Oh yeah, I remember Corinne from Gabon. She was fantastic. One of my favorites in there. Like really." bristly fun character when again she really was not shown much for the first half of the season to the point of where at the reunion jeff's gonna say that corinne actually complained to him not about the fact that like oh i'm not getting a positive edit but the fact that she wasn't shown enough that she was just as mean as randy if not meaner that you know her final tribal council statement was only a drop in the bucket of the things that she said about these people so it's interesting in that again looking back on corinne like you said jay because She's become a bigger figure in the Survivor community in the past few years. People are now remembering more of her from Survivor Gabon than maybe they would have in the past. Yeah. I just I mean, thought I of something. Exactly the point. I just thought of something. I just realized here one of the reasons why Corinne may have hated Sugar so much. I don't know if Sugar and Corinne were that different on the show. I think they were both went on there. This is my character. I'm going to be a big star. I'm going to get a lot of airtime. I'm going to be the player everyone talks about. But they just went about it in different ways. Sugar wanted to be the lovable blonde pinup model. I'm the 50s pinup model. I work with a photographer. And Corinne's like, I want to be the mean one. I'm going to get all the sound bites. I'm going to be the Jerry. I'm going to become famous because of this. And I wonder if Corinne was a little pissed that Sugar did it a little better than her. Sugar got a lot of the airtime that maybe Corinne thought she deserved. I just realized that right now. I wonder if maybe there was a little jealousy there between the two over that. All right, I guess my hot take has stunned everyone into silence. I I don't know, maybe. Who knows? Again, I just it's it's hearsay. It's 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 a thought. Who knows? Yeah. What I, what I will say is that I know in general, I think a lot of the Gabon cast was not entirely happy with the reception that Sugar got and that the reception was overwhelmingly positive. I think some of them sort of threw shade towards the show for portraying things and portraying Sugar in a very positive light that might be a little skewed compared to the way she was actually acting out there. Well, yeah, and again, we can just point out, hey, this happened in Pearl Islands with Rupert, too. All right, episode 12. We are now down to five against one. Bob is the lone coda left against all these these upstart fongs who have somehow taken over the game. And uh, so we start the third episode, and and Bob is like, well, you know, there was actually this third idol that I have. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So anyway, it's, it's all uh, – the start of the episode is Maddie being pissed at Kenny. You voted for me last night. There was no reason. It was all for Corinne. And Maddie's like, no, they tricked her. Kenny's like, they tricked me. I didn't mean to. So Kenny's in a horrible position right now. It's not so much five against one as it's kind of four against one against one at this point. Kenny's kind of on the outs. And so – no. No, nope. I was gonna. I was gonna say. I know as as much as I sort of talked about Sugar cobbling together this alliance with Bob and Maddie, but at this point, Sugar's actually with Kenny and Crystal because what we okay. see when when Maddie after Maddie has his little huff, he walks away and Sugar like discloses to them like, okay, it's okay. We're still gonna take out Maddie next time because. At this point, everyone assumes that Bob's going to win immunity, which is actually pretty funny from like a meta perspective of them saying, like, well, Bob, well, we're just going to assume he's going to be safe. So let's we're already going to assume we're going to have to turn on each other when usually it's not a guarantee until the immunity challenge. But it's not until later on, and this is really, you know, 
one of Sugar's big indicative emotionally fueled turns where she says like, oh, Kenny and Crystal aren't the good people. Let me go with Maddie. So at this point, it's been Crystal, Kenny, and Sugar since, you know, the ace days at Old Fong. And, you know, let's remember that back in those days, Maddie was still kind of on the outs because Maddie voted against Crystal. Maddie wasn't with them completely. So their plan at the moment is still to take out Maddie. Okay. So if it's four against one against one, maybe the one isn't Kenny. Maybe it's Maddie. <laughs> Mario, you're really revealing yourself to not be a, uh, you know, a strategy bot here. Yeah, you think so? <laughs> All right. But there is an important scene coming up, though. Yeah. Another thing to put on the fire of things that Gabon contestants will just not let go. Oh, this one. I've heard some stories about this one over the years. But yeah, this one, this one continued after the game. This one continued for years. But uh, here we go. So. Ken is mad that Bob and Corinne lied to him about the fake idol last night. So Ken goes into full puppy dog mode now and goes, I'm hurt. You guys were mean to me. You need to do something to make it up to me. And, and Bob says, well, all right, Ken, if, if I win the next immunity, I'll give you my idol. And Ken's like, promise. Cause I feel real scared and I'm, 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 I'm in danger now. And Bob's like, promise. I'll give you my idol if I win. Okay. Oh, is this not going to work out well for anybody? Well, there was a, there's a bit of a caveat to that. It's not just, oh, if I win it, I'll give it to you. That's what he says right here. If I win it, I'll give it to you. Well, yeah, but... I mean, the, the caveat will come later. <laughs> yeah. Caveat will come later, but there's I There's a lot think of that's... fine print. Well, the lawyers will go over the fine print later. We'll get but I, but I, think the, I think the fine print is important. Yeah, but it hasn't come up yet. It hasn't come up yet. I mean, Bob is just placating Ken at this point. That's fine. She's like, shut up. What do I have to say to make you go away, Ken? That's yeah. basically what Bob's saying. Okay. So now we go to the reward challenge. This is a famous one, the Crystal Cox Memorial Basketball Challenge. <laughs> this is one where they have to go out and retrieve these balls and then shoot them into a little tiny basketball hoop, which is it's like a, basically a uh, barker at the, at the carnival game. This is a very tough game to shoot fast into that little hoop. And uh, the winner gets uh, a trip. To, this is kind of a cool reward. This is one of the Gabonese, uh, one of the uh, regional re- rewards where they get to go to a, a gorilla sanctuary where uh, orphan gorillas whose parents have been hunted have been raised out in the fields in Gabon. It's actually a really cool place. So this is there's a lot they're playing for in this challenge. If you said it's a carnival game, do you think instead like they should have kept their auction money, it rolls over, and then they instead they pay Jeff for balls to shoot into that hoop? <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. And if you win, if you win three, you can trade a small gorilla for a large gorilla at the sanctuary. <laughs> you can trade an immunity necklace for an immunity idol. Yes. All right. So yeah. So they, it's a physics challenge basically, where you're trying to shoot a ball into a little tiny hoop. And surprisingly, again, the physics guy is pretty good at this challenge. So Bob wins the reward, and this is one of the hilarious ones where. Crystal is so inept at this challenge, she can't sink a single one of her baskets, she misses every one. At the end of the challenge, one of my favorite moments of the season, Crystal is so furious at her lack of athletic expertise, she takes a ball and she's going to run up and slam dunk it into the hoop just to make a point, and she misses that as well. She somehow bricks the dunk, which is a wonderful Crystal moment. So yeah, so Bob wins the reward, he's going to get to go to the Gabonese uh, Animal Preserve, he gets to pick one person to go with him, he picks Crystal. I'm not sure why he picks Crystal. And then he picks Kenny for the other one. So Crystal and Kenny will be going with Bob to the uh, sanctuary. And he gets to send one person to Exile Island. He chooses Susie, which is a wonderful reminder that there is a Susie on this season since we haven't seen her since Randy left. And yeah, so here we go. So Bob, Crystal, and Kenny going on the reward. And back at camp, it's just Maddie and Sugar. So uh, we're going to get some interesting discussions here. 
Yeah, so this is Maddie's new impetus because with three votes coming his way, he very much feels like he's on the chomping block. So his new goal is to try to turn Sugar against Kenny and Crystal. And it won't happen now, but again, it's sort of like planting these seeds where Maddie's going to sort of talk to her about saying like, well, you know, they're not really nice people. They're not the good people that they make themselves out to be. And it will sort of validate itself once Crystal decides to almost pull a Randy and make this decision to say, let me try to trash Maddie as much as possible later on. That Sugar gets very emotional and decides to side with him. But this is sort of like the the, the germination of that seed where he's saying, well, you, you might want to double you might want to think twice about you know joining up with these people because it might not be the the most moral decision you want to take at the end of the day i will say there's something important that happens in this scene is that one of my complaints with gabon is that it's a very drab looking season like everyone's just wearing some variant of brown or brownish green for most of the season it's kind of a drab season here in this reward bob the crystal and kenny all get these brand new brightly colored robes it injects a nice little injection of color into the season so it's very nice and it's also nice because i always wanted to see bob walking around in a dashiki because i do not believe he wears that a lot in maine no they can't compete with black boobs but pretty close <laughs> yes bob yes. green dashiki bobby green balls <laughs> yes. oh. i wonder yes. if, if kelly was around she could have talked him into getting like a 200 dollar uh, robe instead of just a, a 20 dollar one Oh, could you imagine Kelly at the auction? No, I cannot. I, got <laughs> I wish, Mike. I wish. That was only for you, Paul. Yeah, Jay just no-sold one of the 10th jokes. I love that. <laughs> All right. So here we go. So we go to the orphanage of the gorillas. And again, this is a really cool place where, you know, it's one of the things in Africa where gorillas are hunted for their meat and stuff. And so, you know, the parents are killed and these poor little baby gorillas are orphans. So this place takes them in and it's a real charity. I've looked it up. It's a cool place. And so they get to go and there's a really nice moment of Bob just uh, bonding with one of the gorillas, just kind of staring at him and looking into his eyes. And Bob's like, you know, I've, I'm not really a spiritual person. I'm a science guy. Science people don't really believe in like religion and spiritualism and stuff. But like, you can just see the thought process in that monkey's head. You can just see that we have a connection. It was, it's a nice little moment. And I'd kind of forgotten about this scene. I hadn't watched the season in so long. I forgot that they did this. But it's a neat little uh, just character moment for the three of them to interact with these gorillas. I, I'd actually, I thought this was a really cool reward. I put this up there with Jellyfish Lake and the Vanuatu volcano in terms of. Like, yes, going to the, the village was cool and doing all these other things, but actually getting to go to, like, a gorilla sanctuary and getting up and close with another species is so crazy. And I love, again, them taking advantage of the fact that they're in this new landscape in Africa and to really take advantage of the wildlife that's around them. This was just a really awesome opportunity that I'm glad they got to indulge in. Yeah, I can't you agree with you more. Yeah, I mean, I that, like, that, this is number one. This is aces. Can you imagine if, like, Corinne had been there or Randy, someone that you don't really care about seeing them have a moment? Like, again, with Corinne telling the gorilla that he's fat and gives him a, an eating disorder, like, it would have been, would have been quite as, as, as uh, touching if Corinne had been there. I'm just saying. So we get a big fight back at camp. This is Ken and Crystal, and they're kind of fat, fighting with Maddie. And this is one where, oh, yeah, Maddie's, so Maddie's kind of on the outs now back at camp. They, they think everyone's going to kind of turn on him because we just assume Bob's going to win immunity, so we're all going to vote on Maddie. So Ken and Crystal are kind of like browbeating Maddie, just saying that he sucks. I, I forget the exact discussion, but it's really kind of mean-spirited where they're kind of going after him. And Sugar sees this, and this Sugar does not like this. She's That's the thing. She doesn't like bullying on the show. She sees Kenny and Crystal going after Maddie, and she just can't take it. And, and this is where... Uh, 
Yeah, Sugar says, you know, they're bullies. The two of them are bad people. They throw their weight around. And and she goes to Maddie. She's like, they're kicking you when you're down. I can't take that. And so this is where Sugar promises Maddie, where she just starts mixing up the game again, where it's like, I am not going to vote for you. I know the vote's going to come for you. I'm not, I will not do it at the next episode. So Maddie all of a sudden has been given a, given a little second, uh, second chance at hope here. And there's this really weird quote that, like you said, Sugar's going to be talking a lot about, like, these are not good people, which I think makes sense from Sugar's narrative perspective, because then she's making a lot of decisions based on moral judgment and emotions. But Maddie says here, like, you know, I don't necessarily want to join up with Bob, but, you know, at least in the end, good will prevail. Which, again, is weird coming from someone like Maddie, who has not really been known to express the moral implications that comes with this game, but... I think it's just more representative of the fact of the general theme of this season, which, again, is this weird good versus evil and people constantly hopping over lines to live in different camps, but how, you know, Survivor is a game where you sort of build that narrative from yourself. I mean, Mario, you talk all the time about the fact that Tina Wesson was able to win the game by essentially saying, like, the good people should win in the end. It's something that helped you get through the game and helps you justify the idea of voting people out and, you know, crushing their dreams of winning a million dollars. We're getting rid of the bad people. So it's some of those it's one of those weird things that has a disconnect between the audience where I think people will sort of roll their eyes anytime someone says the good people deserve to go farther, but it's sort of a reality within the game. Yeah. Anybody who votes with me is good. <laughs> By the way, one thing I wanted to mention here is that you, you and Jay are talking about that Sugar all along wants to go to the end with Bob and Maddie. Where do you get that from? See, I watched this episode, and to me, this is just like Sugar making a snap decision. Again, okay, I was with the Fongs, I like Kenny and Crystal, but now they're being mean, so I'm not going to be with them anymore. I'm going to change the game up and make sure the good guys win. But according to you, she always wanted to go with Maddie and Bob, so she isn't flipping shit here. I don't necessarily think that she always wanted to go to the end with Maddie. Okay, I think Bob's. I I think Bob is is not not necessarily like overtly protected, but I I think that Sugar is hesitant to vote out Bob at all times. Where are you getting that though? Where Where are you getting that from? I'm just curious because I don't I don't have any that any of that in my notes until the end. I mean, look at what happens in the Randy episode where she pulls Bob Bob aside, knowing that he's in the minority, and essentially saying like, "No, I'll protect you." That's something that's completely unnecessary, doesn't need to happen, but she decides to do it. I think there's a reason why is because that's a relationship that she relies upon. And I think maybe what I'm basing it off of is the fact that once we get to the final four, Sugar's going to say it's basically choosing between like killing my brother or killing my father. So you have to feel like because she has such a familiarity with these two people, you would think that she'd want to bring them at least closer to the end than trying to get rid of them early on. Yeah. I don't know. To me, it just seems like Sugar has a, he's a sucker for the underdog. Anytime there's an underdog, she's going to help them out. Yeah, but I think that she, she pinpointed Bob around the merge. I think she pinpoints Bob pretty pretty immediately. And, you know, I mean, that's the whole thing is that, you know, we're not interested. The narrative is not about Sugar's choices so much as to who she's protecting at all times and, and, and things like that. It, it's, it's about how Sugar's reacting to, you know, the, the bigger forces that play around her. But I think it's pretty clear, as, as Mike pointed out, I mean, I think there's indications that Sugar pretty much liked Bob and, and not was like, I mean, she doesn't she doesn't overtly say, like, I want to go to the end with Bob. But I think that she's like, I want Bob here. And I think that that's enough. Right. Yeah. Whereas like other things happen. And it's like, I think she likes Maddie, but I think that, you know, she's with Crystal and Ken at some point. I think that she can understand maybe, OK, you know, the vote's going to go against Maddie. But I, I think that, you know, that they're. they're 
it's not it's not so cut and dry. It's not just like I like this person now I hate them and I like this person now I hate them and I I don't think it's like that. I think that she likes certain people and she doesn't like certain people, but I think that she will use people whether she likes or dislikes them. But I think ultimately she's just like you know what? I I don't want I I want I don't want Bob to go. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think That's it's true. like she, you know she most people have kind of like. You know, you just, I get a ranking in your head of people you like maybe more than other people. And I think Sugar is one of the people that, like, very, like, seldomly in Survivor. Like, she literally gets rid of all the people that she, like, doesn't want anything to do with. And she gets to a position where she's, like, still in control. And it's literally all people that she's worked with or likes. And so then she has to start kind of really, like, deciding which way she's going to go each time. I think it's very rare to be in a situation like that where you actually make it to the end of the game with all of your allies slash people you really like. Well, it's kind of like how we do it here on the podcast, how we all rank. We all know we like Jay the least. So it's kind of like that. We just Oh, I thought I was there. number four. Oh, you've moved I thought, up, I, I thought I was number four because I'm the most recent. <laughs> well, we all, we all know Mario is the sugar of the podcast. So <laughs> I'm Sasquatch slash Bigfoot slash t- T-Rex or whatever. I'm crying over here, Paul. I'm crying. Leave me alone. It's depression through your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just Different. curious. Has, has Sugar given many Survivor interviews? I'm, I'm just fascinated by her mindset in the season, more so than just about any other player in any other season. Does she, has she done a lot of interviews? I don't know that much about because I think because you know she comes back so quickly for Heroes vs. Villains and stuff, and then it just kind of you know that didn't end well. So I just like she's really kind of been off the the map as far as what I've seen. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's sort of like what happened to Randy until only a couple of years ago. Because I didn't want to you know go back to Randy's eulogy, but. He, you know, even though he has done more stuff as of late, until a couple of years ago, he really didn't interact with the Survivor community because he was sort of angry at the show in general. Uh, but like you said, Paul, Sugar didn't necessarily have a great showing in Heroes vs. Villains either, not to mention, you know, I think all this stuff with JT as well and her getting sort of more involved with the Survivor community kind of turned her off to it. So, I mean, I couldn't find many Sugar interviews. I do agree that I think she's probably one of the most fascinating people to sit down with and just sort of get her head... Uh, get her, her her mind wrapped around like what happened round after round in this game because there are so many flippant decisions happening but I couldn't find anything personally it's probably just because of the sour taste in her mouth after Heroes vs. Villains mm. I wonder if, just curious, we've only done the one interview with Chris and that was just easy because I knew Chris but I have no interaction with Sugar, I don't think any of us do, I'm just curious she would be a absolutely fascinating interview if she chose to talk about this stuff and it's one of those things like she's never got enough credit in the survivor community for what an important player she was or character Hmm, interesting okay okay so we go to the immunity challenge here where uh maddie is now realizing i might have a second chance because sugar's gonna save me maybe i'm not dead meat tonight so this is uh where they have to recreate a puzzle they're blindfolded and they go out and pick do puzzle pieces and bring it back and this one's great because they have to walk through a little obstacle course to get to their pieces and crystal of course, being so inept at challenges, ends up outside the course at one point. She gets, it's like nowhere near the ropes. She has no idea where she is. She's just absolutely inept even at the blindfold puzzle challenge. And hey, guess what? Bob wins the challenge again. Bob wins immunity, and it's his now fourth consecutive challenge win. Some great Jeff Probst narration here, though, where Crystal, you know, 
everyone is in their own little roped-off lane, but there's obviously a lot of room to mingle in between, so... Crystal sort of makes her way into the very end of the course, and Crystal just sort of keeps straddle- straddling this one rope in and off the course. You just have Jeff say, Crystal on the course, Crystal off the course, Crystal on the course, Crystal off the yeah. course. But I think the worst offender is actually Susie, who makes her way back to the start of the whole challenge arena, navigates her way under the rope outside, and is just wandering in an open field for the basically the duration of the entire challenge. And she's like looking in a sandy crater. She's pulling a dance. <laughs> <laughs> going back to Crystal, I don't know if we're going to save this for her eulogy, but I guess I should bring it up now since this is the last challenge that Crystal's going to participate in. Just how much I love the irony of the overall storyline of the Olympic athlete, the person who has been literally adorned with medals for her athletic pride, does the worst of basically anyone who's out there in Gabon with her. Now, it does sort of have an interesting epilogue to this story in that I believe in 2010, uh, it was found out that she was using performance-enhancing drugs during her time in the uh, Athens Summer Olympics. And so uh, I think she was ultimately encouraged uh, for her medal to be stripped. It ultimately wasn't, but still at the same time, her record was essentially invalidated. So it's kind of sad, but at the same time, just a really sort of, poetic ending of crystal to suck so badly in any sort of feat of athletics in the game that it ends up happening that outside of the game the only thing she was awarded for in terms of athletics got taken away from her yeah so bob wins and now is the big ethical dilemma very similar to the yao man and dreams with the whole car before but uh so bob wins immunity and of course he has promised kenny if i win immunity i will give it to you so it's time we're going to renegotiate that deal a little bit. Well, there are complications, though, right? Because this is yeah, Jay's got the fine print. Jay wanted to go into the fine print here. <laughs> well, no, I, I don't need the fine print. I mean, the fine print is basically then Bob's like, well, I'll give it to you if uh, if you're in trouble. Yeah. Well, Kenny, a lot of people don't remember this. Ken immediately says, my plan tonight is to get the idol from Bob and then vote him out. Uh, so that's some more of the fine print there. Well, if you were going to vote me out, then I'm not going to give you my idol. Well, it's also interesting as well, giving a historical connotation to this, because I believe they left for Gabon shortly after Survivor Micronesia finished. What happened in the second to last episode of Survivor Micronesia? Someone was convinced to give up the immunity necklace. He did, was voted off, and was labeled the stupidest Survivor player ever. So I feel like that moment is resonating in Bob's head. Uh, where even if he wasn't watching the show, he at least heard about it, where he's now sort of seeing this play all over again of someone's planning behind my back, trying to get me to give away the necklace so then they can vote me out. No way am I doing that. Yeah, and this one's going to get especially nasty here, where you know Ken is just gleefully talking openly. He goes, yeah, I, I just need the idol. I need the idol, Bob. I'm so insecure. I'm going to be voted out. And behind his back, he's like, I'm going to vote this old dude out. I'm going to take his idol. I'm going to backstab him. It's going to be awesome. And, and then... uh Bob is even starting to get suspicious. Ken's like, I need the idol. I need it so bad. And Bob's like, why? You don't need it tonight. The vote's for Maddie. Why do you even need the idol? And Ken's like, I just feel insecure. And you promised. And and this is where Sugar is going to go full on Sugar, where she she's going to do her little Sugar thing again, where she sees Kenny doing this. Kenny's going to blindside the old guy. And she hates this. She's like, that's absolutely despicable. There's no need to do that. You don't need to humiliate someone on their way out, which is very rich coming from sugar but uh yeah she's like i don't want to be aligned with kenny and sugar she tells us 
I want to be allied with the good guy. She's going to go full Tina Wesson here. I don't. I can't be aligned with evil. I'm too pure. I'm a paladin. If this is Dungeons and Dragons, I have to be with the the good guys. So, so she goes to Bob and she squeals. She's like, Kenny is going to vote you out tonight, Bob. I just had to let you know. You don't have to do anything about it. I just want you to know. It's only fair that you're aware of the situation. So, again, Sugar just left and right, just fucking up everybody else's plans. Well, it's also important to note as well that Sugar this whole time, has the idol. Everyone knows she has the idol. She wears the idol around her neck at Tribal Council. So it's sort of like what we were talking about last time with Sugar choosing to blindside Ace partly because she has the immunity necklace around her neck. It's this idea of when you are safe in Survivor, you have more of a chance of making a bigger move because you're saying there's no immediate repercussions on me. You can't vote me out for getting wind of this plan because I'm already safe. So even though I don't know when Sugar in her mind decided I'm going to give this idol to Maddie, but you had to figure out, like, she figured she was safe because of the idol no matter what. She said this could give me some leeway to sort of make another opportunity happen in this game. Yeah, which is smart. And I think it was smart to blab to Bob. Like, I, I think, you know, for, for Sugar's game, she's doing it very well. But even so, this you know, for as, for as much as Kenny is good at things... He's terrible at this. Like, he just is very bad at trying to play Bob. And it's like it's almost working. Like, if you just laid off a little bit. But even Bob is sort of getting wind of how weird Ken is being. And then when Sugar is like, no, Ken wants the idol because he's going to vote you out. And Bob's like, well, yeah, that makes sense now. <laughs> yeah. And again, this is just the Ken downfall. It just could not be more spectacular coming up here after the build-up. Probes gave him a couple episodes ago. Yeah, so... uh Sugar, again, is just full-on. She's complete sugar mode at this point. She's like, I just think the good guys need to win in the end, that the forces of goodness should come out ahead. And she's like, uh, she promises Bob that she won't vote for him. And she's like, I have a big place in my heart for him. And she starts crying. And again, the whole the whole issue with this being Bob, like her surrogate father, her, again, she just lost her beloved father, maybe the most important person in her life. Now she's out here with Bob. He, she has a huge place in her heart. You can just see the psychology working here, as Paul brought up earlier. And uh, yeah, so it's gonna it's gonna go to tribal council here, where basically Ken is just still begging that Bob's gonna give him the idol. They get to tribal council, and Bob Bob and Ken get in this big argument over what if if I really had to give it to him, unless he's in danger. I don't feel he's in danger. I don't have to give it to him tonight. I don't think I owe, owe him. Ken's like, well, you're just not a man of your word. You're just a horrible person, Bob. You swore. And then uh, yeah, so in the end, Bob keeps the idol. Ken hates him for it and from what i hear still hates him to this day i heard a while back that bob has said that ken still has not spoken to me ever since gabon because of that issue but uh yeah so uh we get to the vote and then this is the the final one where sugar can play her idol so bob has his immunity idol you can't vote for him sugar has her idol this is the last time she can play it and in true sugar dramatic fashion has to of course adopt a character where she says oh maddie oh take this cursive thing away and she gives it to maddie to play so they can't vote out maddie so sugar has now protected her two men and maddie and bob neither one of them can get voted out tonight and with that it's goodbye either kenny or crystal and with that we see the end of the immortal crystal cox as she is voted out and and the jury cheers the jury cheers openly when crystal is voted out yeah corinda some sort of weird lasso motion but strangely enough I'm sure we're going to talk about Crystal as a character in a second, but I feel like after the Randy episode, we really don't see that much of Crystal, which again is crazy because Fong went to so many tribal councils. We saw so much of her as both a character and a strategist for the first half of the season, but I feel like the past couple of episodes, she sort of has been 
a literal second fig- fiddle to Kenny, who has gotten so much more of the focus that it's interesting to sort of see her peter out in this way. Yeah. And you can make the argument, I probably would myself, that I think Crystal was a better player than Ken. She She's very underrated. She's very perceptive. She had some yes. really good moments earlier in the season. And I again, a lot of people have mentioned to us, I saw the feedback in parts one and two of Gabon, that you go, know, you guys are, you aren't giving Crystal enough props. She was actually a pretty good strategist. And I will flat out admit, I think I Crystal was that. pretty good. Oh, that was you? I don't really listen to you when you talk sometimes. Oh, yeah, number no four. Number yeah, number four. four. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no wonder I'm number I, four. I do remember, I remember Jay saying that. And, and you know, I, I made this point earlier um, in one of our podcasts, I think about Ace. It's almost like Gabon had too many of these really complex characters that you could classify as villains. You really have, with the males, you have Ace, you have Randy, you have Kenny... With the females, you have Corinne, you have Crystal. You could even make the case, you know, that Sugar is villainous in a way, but obviously we're going to portray her as a hero. But there's just like there's so many of these complex characters that have all these kind of negative connotations to them, or or you know would be considered a villain in most Survivor senses. That it's just kind of a shame that you know people like Kenny and Crystal we never kind of see them again, just because I think it was too much all at once. It's funny, I hear people ask me, who who is the audience rooting for in Gabon? And I'm like, that's a really interesting question. You try to put this in a little historical context. Like, I remember there being a lot of Ken fans. I remember there being some Crystal fans. I don't remember there being a whole lot of Sugar fans, although I loved Sugar. There was always some, you know, some uh, under-the-radar Bob fans, but no one was ever thought he would win. He's like, yeah, well, I like Bob, but he's not going to win or anything. The old guy doesn't win. So it was kind of interesting. There really wasn't one big fan favorite. I'm Kenny, if anything, but I would never say he was like a beloved hero or anything, but I think just most of the internet audience related more to Ken because he's kind of more like them. But yeah, it was one of those things. There never really was a big hero or villain in this season. At least once Corinne went, yeah. I will say, though, I think that Crystal might have been like, I don't know, like the the survivor sucks sort of like sardonic internet commenters favorite just because of like the meme potential Mario, you brought up massive crystal cox we brought up icho rice we brought up like the gifts of her dunking the basketball i mean there's just so much fun in crystal cox as both again a character and a strategist this character you have this olympic track star who is not able to compete really in any challenge that doesn't involve tackling someone and dragging them across the sand and then at the same time you have her being able to you know essentially bitch people out and yell at them and get aggressive and scream in a voting confessional which the entire purpose is to maintain secrecy is just fantastic television and then at the same time as we're mentioning she had a good head of the game she had a good sense of where things were I think Crystal's main issue was an execution. It's when that personality butts up against that strategic persona where she's saying, okay, I know what the right move to make is. I just can't do it in really a tactful way. You know, that doesn't burn people the wrong way. I mean, when Sugar votes out Crystal, she's going to say, like, you don't know how to handle people. And I think, while again, that might be a little hypocritical coming from someone like Sugar, I think it's a little true in that, like, Crystal wore her heart on her sleeve. She professes to not having a filter beforehand, but the negative side of that is that, you know, when you're voting people out in a game, especially when you get close to the end, that can really backfire on you. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up, that now I realize the closest parallel to Crystal might be someone like Twyla in Vanuatu. Good strategist, knew what she was doing, just 
doesn't really have those skills to finesse people when she needs to sometimes. But she knew what she was doing. But like she needed a Chris or a, a schmoozer with her that can help her get those plans going. And Crystal just didn't have that. Kenny, you know, for all his strengths and all the hype he got, just wasn't all that great a player for the most part. No, I mean, that's that's the problem is that her her main ally was Ken, who's a bridge burner himself. So it's kind of like, you know, you need the you need the person who runs hot and the person who runs cold, you know, like someone someone gets fired up. The other person can kind of calm down, keep their head, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And it's like both Crystal and Kenny ran hot, you know, so it was just, you know, they couldn't do damage control for each other. They just, you know, when things were working, they were working. But if things didn't work, it just they, they couldn't they couldn't course correct. No, I think that's a very accurate way of saying it. I'm glad that I said that before you did. <laughs> number four. No, number four. All right, so yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we give a lot of respect to Crystal. She gets a lot of, she's the butt of a lot of jokes. She gets the memes. Of course, I've funny one fifteen her to death. But as a player, she was, I'd say, easily one of the top two or three strategists of the season. I mean, I, I don't know if she ever could have won, but, you know, had she got there up against Sugar, maybe she could have. You never know. So... It's one of those things I think we all respect Crystal here, and I, hopefully people get start to look at her in a little different light with a little more respect, because I think she was actually a pretty good player in this season. Well, we're all coming up on three hours here. Let's get to the finale. Let's say goodbye to Gabon in an episode called Say Goodbye to Gabon. Yeah. So, okay, we're in the finale, the final five of Gabon. And it's, you know, for all the, the, the talk of Gabon kind of being a parody of Survivor Seasons, where the unlikely people get to the end and all the strong players don't make it, you actually have some pretty big characters here. I mean, Ken is one of the bigger characters of the season. Sugar, clearly one of the biggest characters of the season. Bob, I'm not sure if he's one of the biggest characters, but he's, he's finale-worthy. You can see, okay, he got some good moments. Maddie had some good, good moments. And then, of course, Susie is still here. And we haven't seen Susie in a couple episodes. I thought it was um, funny. We, like, we, we did that whole last uh, episode. I don't think we mentioned Susie once. Yeah. Yeah, Susie, Susie has a... The most uh, interesting survivor edit of someone who comes within one vote of winning. <laughs> I just can't, but can't. Okay. Okay, so here we go for the finale. So we go through the recap, and Jeff Probst talks about here's what happened all season. Of course, Ken and Crystal get credit for everything. He loves Ken and Crystal were running the show, which Sugar was really running the show. I don't know why Ken and Crystal get all the props, but okay. So anyway, Ken, we start the finale, and Ken, of course, is still pissed at Bob because Bob wouldn't give him the immunity necklace. And so Ken's like, well, after the, if you win the next immunity, will you give it to me? And Bob's like, how about you get your own? Which <laughs> is a great quote. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And so, yeah, so Ken, so Bob even knows. He's like, yeah, since Ken tried to embarrass me last night at Tribal Council, all deals are now off. Like, he specifically brought up that deal to make me look bad in front of the jury, to question my character. Like, the kid's a little weasel. Like, so he, Bob wants nothing to do with Ken anymore. They're, that bridge is burned. Again, as right. Jay said, Ken is a bridge burner. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's tough with him, you know, and and it's 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 interesting that you bring up the fact that apparently Baba said that Ken has hasn't talked to him even even today since Gabon, you know, for the reason for for the necklace. I, I what's funny though is that I just feel like the necklace is just that's not even the issue. It's it's a symptom of the larger issue, you know. It's it's the thing where Ken tried something, you know, he tried because. You know, they figured Bob was going to win immunity, right? And they wanted to vote Bob out. So they were like, well, if I try to trick Bob into giving me the necklace. So he's like, Bob, I, I feel insecure and I feel hurt. You owe me something. Uh, you know, give me the necklace. And Bob's like, yeah, sure, whatever. And then Bob's like, well, I'll only give it to you if, you know, you're in trouble. And it's like he wasn't in trouble. They voted out Crystal, right? So it's like technically Bob was right. And, and as you said, Kenny was gleefully saying, like, 
I'm going to I'm going to get the the idol from Bob and then I'm going to vote him out, right? Like this is his big play and it didn't work. You know, bluff was called. You know, just like no, no, and then Bob, you know, not only that, but then Bob learned of of Kenny's plan, right? So it's like Kenny's doing this really like dastardly thing. Like I want to take away your idol and vote you out, and Bob figures it out and says no, and then Ken's like, I'm so mad at you. Yeah. It, this is very similar to Yao Man and Dreams, right? Basically the exact same thing, except it just didn't work out this time. He didn't get the idol. Right. Is that to the on trying to remember Fiji, but I'm pretty sure it's very similar. So yeah, it's just like can you imagine if Yao Man didn't get the idol if you would have if you would have held a grudge and gone off about it for the next two episodes like Kenny did like just kind of a sign of maturity there that like can just kind of grow up it didn't work let it go and it's, yeah. it's interesting too because i believe Kenny said in his AMA that we're going to get a little bit of intrigue here where like it gets portrayed as sugar tries to placate Kenny and then apparently she does but then she turns on him but according to Kenny he said after crystal was voted out he just basically gave up so this is sort of him just sort of just venting his frustration towards Bob and just sort of going along with what Sugar says, even though he might not believe it. But Kenny's pretty much DOA at this point from his perspective. Yeah, and the way I always viewed that is I always viewed this as, I could be wrong, this could just be me pulling stuff out of my ass here, but I always viewed this as Sugar knew that Kenny was an underdog, that he's dead meat now. So she's going to go and give him hope. Maybe I'll save you tonight. And she'll put herself in the middle again. And it's to me, it's just Sugar giving herself more airtime. I'm going to make sure I'm the swing vote and I'm going to make sure everything's done properly. So again, I don't know if how much true this was or if it was just editing, but to me, it seems very, very, it's very strongly of sugar, just kind of giving Kenny false hope so she can make sure she's the swing vote again. I don't know if it's that. I mean, I, I feel like you're, I feel like you're sort of like trying to drive some sort of narrative in there yeah. that may or may not be there. I mean, I'm not saying it's not necessarily the case, but I feel like sugar. It's and it's not necessarily damage control, you know, because because Lord knows it isn't that. But I think that sugar has a has a has a want to insert herself into uh, situations, right? So like, if there's a hubbub going on somewhere, she's got to be a part of it, right? Yeah. So it's like, you know, which which has the ramification of more airtime. It has all these ramifications that probably she's thinking about. But I don't think it's I don't think it's it's so like, well, I'm gonna try to make myself the swing boat for TV. It's just. Oh, Ken's upset. Let me go talk to him. I think she just has a soft spot for the underdog. She's going to feel bad for him. Yeah. Maybe it's not airtime, but yeah, she definitely, when it's three to one, she will always think of the one, like, yeah. well, okay, the, do they deserve to go? It's empathy, you know, yeah. and, and I, th- I think that that's, that's, that's a way to go. Okay, so basically Sugar tells us here, even though she has a soft spot for Ken, she wants to be in the final three with Maddie and Bob. This is where she flat out says it, and this is what Jay and Mike have been alluding to. And then, uh, yeah, so this at this point, that's her plan. Maddie and Bob, her surrogate father and her surrogate brother, which, again, there's no way in hell Sugar's ever going to win that vote, but I don't think she really cares at this point. She's like, you know what? I'm just here for the experience. I'm going to make sure it ends in a nice way. I'm going to make sure someone I like and respect wins the money. I ain't going to win, and I don't, I'm not, don't, I don't fool myself into thinking I'm going to win. Well, that's a good question, though. Can we postulate at what point in the game do you think Sugar says, there's no way I'm winning this game. Let me just make it as much of a fun game as possible. Fun being a very operative term at this point. Yeah, That's a fantastic question. I would be curious about that myself. At what point does she think she can't win? It may have been very, very early in the game. It might have been like day four. Who knows with Sugar? I mean, you don't know exactly what her agenda was out there. You never do. Right. But I think that that's, 
and again, I think that's legit. Like, again, when people try to game theory this game, and I and I know I've gone off on it and stuff like that, everyone's thinking that everyone comes into the game, they all have an equal shot to win, and that everyone is got their eyes on the prize to win, and and they all are going to play within some confines of strict rules. Whereas none of that is true, you know. And how many times have you played like a board game with somebody where you know some people like some people just want to win and they want to do everything to win and they and they try to min max everything to the winning strategy and then there are people that literally don't want to win they just want to be a dick mm-hmm. like you know playing monopoly just buying up random properties just to screw up other people or you know um what's the what's the one video game mario party is like is like the king of this where like you know, it's it's like a board game on the uh, on on the on the screen, and then and then you play these mini games, and it's like there was a friend of ours back in the day we played Mario Party, and there was a friend of ours who was way better at video games than the rest of us, and he won a lot. And so there were a couple of my friends where when we played Mario Party, like they literally weren't trying to win the game; they literally were just in the mini games blocking my friend so that he couldn't win. It's a good strategy, you know, and and and. At the end of the day, they didn't win, but he didn't win either, and yeah. someone else did. And it's like people do that in Survivor, you know. And I think that you know, Sugar's basically saying that right now. She's like, "Well, I don't really think I'm going to win this game, but I'm going to try to affect it in my own way, you know." And and I and I think that that's and you know drives people batty, right? And they're like, "Oh no, she should be you know doing everything to maximize her efficiency chance of winning the game." And it's like, yeah, but that's not how she's playing. Yeah, and that's not going to happen. I mean, she's smart. She's no idiot. She knows exactly what her standing is in the tribe. She's like, what am I going to do? <laughs> like, all right, so anyway, so we go to the uh, final five immunity challenge. This is one where they all get to dress up in face paint and stuff. They get to color them. Yeah, what color does Susie get? Oh, Susie, Susie blue? Matches her boobs. Susie looks <laughs> like she walked out of a hot topic. <laughs> yeah, seriously. She's still like, she's like ready for Halloween. All right, and then Bob's in red, and this is the one where Probes kind of makes fun of him. Like, I, I, I bet you've never dressed up like that before, Bob. He calls it very village people, which I, is it, I might be veiled to say Native American. I'm not entirely sure where that came from. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what exactly Probes was insinuating there. It might have been a very veiled gay joke, too. We're not sure. But they gloss over it real quick in the episode. All right, so then we go into the final five immunity challenge. This is the one where they run into this maze, and they go in these little huts. And they get uh, puzzle pieces, right? They have to build a little hut puzzle. So, uh, you know, puzzles involve physics. And guess what? The physics teacher is surprisingly good at building this puzzle. And Bob wins his fifth consecutive challenge. And again, if you had told me Bob won five challenges in a row in Gabon, I had no memory of that whatsoever until I watched this. I'm like, really? I completely forgot about that. But yeah, he goes on a huge run of immunity wins here, and or challenge wins in general. This is his fifth in a row. This is a cool challenge, too. And again, it really takes advantage of the space in that it's not just one maze, really. There are two mazes because they start doing this sort of what they call an elevated plank maze where essentially you're walking along wooden beams and trying to figure out a maze there. And I will say, you know, as much as we're talking up Bob being this big challenge beast, I believe Susie is the first through the plank maze. And I think Sugar is the first back with all the puzzle pieces. But the the art direction is amazing in this challenge. The huts are just so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It just aces to everything for this season. It just seems like they really went out with this new location and everything like that. And I, I, I give props to the production team for everything here. 
All right, so Bob has won immunity at the final five. He's going to make it into the final four. And uh, at this point, everyone says that Susie is going to be the one voted out tonight. Why Susie? I don't know. <laughs> what kind of a threat is Susie? But Even they decided, Susie knows. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> she's trying. Right. So we're all going to vote out Susie tonight. And so Ken feels safe because everyone's convinced him that it's going to be Susie. And then now Sugar starts changing her mind again. She's like, well, Kenny's actually smart and dangerous. Plus, he's kind of a bad person because he would team up with, with Crystal to bully people. He tried to play that prank on Bob. I don't want like a, a mean person should be in the Final Four. So Sugar is going to flip it up yet again. And now we have uh, the vote is all of a sudden going to turn around against Kenny. So a couple things on this. First, I know that you said, like, I don't know why this turned on to Susie. But again, you have to look at this from the perspective of, according to Kenny, he thinks the final three is going to be him, Sugar, and Maddie. With Bob having one immunity, there's one person left that's out of that equation, and that's Susie. So I think he's the one that floats Susie's name out there, and so Sugar's just like, yeah, baby, yep, Susie. Uh, We actually, as much as we've sort of been uh, griping that we don't see much from Susie, we do, I think, see a pretty poignant confessional from her. Maybe it's here at Tribal Council where she says, like, essentially her game plan is to wait for the plan to come to her. And she says that there are benefits of that and that, like, she feels included in on the plans. But one of the drawbacks of that is that she's not really perceived as someone who is actually making moves in the game by waiting for people to come to her. So, again, it's just a nugget of what we get from Susie's game. But I think it's interesting nevertheless. Yeah, and you did, I was a slight correction. You said we didn't feel we'd seen enough Susie. I think we've seen just enough Susie. Yo. <laughs> um, I, I also want to point out here what's what's funny, ironically, and I know I'm I'm slightly spoiling the next immunity challenge, but it's like, again, they the vote turned, like, it's going to be Susie. They vote and, and turn to get rid of Ken. And it's like, this almost is the biggest thing that, that Sugar does wrong if she wants the final three to be her, Bob, and Maddie, because... Susie is actually putting more of a fight in these challenges than Ken is. Mm-hmm. So they're actually leaving the better challenge threat in. That's a good point. All right, so we go to Tribal Council, and uh, Ken is still harping on Bob about the necklace deal. He's <laughs> like, you were supposed to give me a necklace. You broke your word. You're not a man of honor. And basically, Bob, you suck. And so Bob is just sick of this shit. He's not going to take this anymore. He just calls Kenny out. He's like, I just want everyone to know that the plan was he was going to take my idol and then blindside me. Everyone told me, so if you're going to point your finger at someone, Ken, you might as well point it at yourself. And so basically he nails Ken right there in front of the jury, makes him look like an idiot. And then Ken is blindsided out 4-1 to and he becomes the next jury member. And with that, we lose Kenny, the e-gamer. And it is interesting here, too, where Again, I think this shows like the height of Kenny's ego trip where he says like, oh no, Bob, the necklace deal was essentially you sacrificing your life for me, which again, (laughs) was not the deal, but Kenny's trying to pitch it like, oh no, Bob knew that he would get voted out if he gave up the necklace and he laid down his life, but he reneged on that deal. Uh, I guess segueing into Kenny, it's interesting, on his AMA, someone compares his game to Walter White from Breaking Bad and... Spoiler alert for Breaking Bad for people who haven't seen it yet, but it is a sort of this interesting type of plot of where this very meek, sort of mild-mannered guy who fears very out of his element in this sort of environment not only comes into his own, but gains this high sense of ego and mania for it. And the thing that I love about Kenny is his growth narrative, but at the same time, it could be so frustrating to watch, especially these past couple rounds, just him 
get too smart and too cute and try to pull off these maneuvers like, oh, I'll use Bob's fake, uh, use Bob's idol and then get rid of Maddie or we'll, you know, get Bob to give up the necklace and then vote him out. I think he was thinking like three steps ahead when he should really be focusing on his own feet at this point, place in time. Uh, but that being said, from a storytelling perspective, it was so much fun to watch him really rise and then fall. Uh, I, it sucks that we've never seen him again. I know he said he was in real consideration for heroes versus villains. I think him and Jenny were in consideration for blood versus water as well. Hopefully we'll, we'll see him back one day. I would be interested to see what a mature Kenny would look like. But looking at him purely from the perspective of Survivor Gabon, such a fun rise and fall arc that I feel like we don't get from many Survivor characters uh, in completion. Yeah, I always feel like he should be a bigger character than he really is in my mind. Like When I think of Gabon, I don't always think of Ken. I always think of Bob and Randy and Crystal. I always kind of forget that Ken was there. And I always think I, that shouldn't be the case. He should be a bigger name. But it is. But I agree. He was a good character. He drove a lot of the narrative. He had a good story arc. He was a good uh, symbol of early Fong, kind of the the young nerd that didn't know it was bashful around girls, couldn't even do do anything around camp, and kind of like figured the game how the game figured out how the game worked. But yeah, then he kind of gets turned on by his own uh, arrogance and youth, and uh, basically just turns into a little bitch by the end. <laughs> just it's kind of his little turns into quite a little villain. So in fact, I've heard so many people this week saying. Oh, you guys are recording Gabon Part 3? Make sure to laugh at Kenny's story arc. I love that story arc. So apparently people love how quickly he completely turns from the hero of the story to the villain and just crashes out. But yeah, it would be interesting to see him a second time around. I'm curious, with a little life experience and a little maturity and a little more social skills, how he would do. Because he really was pretty good. I mean, he was limited, but he did pretty well for himself in the game. But you, Paul? You an e-gamer fan? Yeah, I mean, I I feel like, you know, go back to what I was saying about, you know, big characters and big villains on the season, how there's too many of them, uh, that there just was an opportunity for all these people to come back. And I think, you know, Kenny falls into the same pit of of Crystal and of Ace. And I, it just kind of sucks because I do think he is uh, a good character that the show believed in a lot. So it's kind of surprising that, that we never did see him again. Yeah, and, and what's... What's interesting to me is that Kenny was, I feel like he was a success. Like w- whether or not you you bring him back or something is a question here or there. But I, I think that Kenny brought a lot to the season, uh, and and the season's so top heavy. I think he just kind of got lost in all that. Whereas if he, he was on a another th- season with a little bit of thinner talent, maybe he like extra stars. But it's funny because Survivor, you know, especially in more modern times, dips into this well of like ex professional sports athletes. Uh, for their things, and it's like, why haven't they gone back into esports? Like, and esports is bigger than ever. You know what I mean? It, it seems like they could grab somebody to to go out there on an island for a bit. They're trying to get a visa for Jinho. <laughs> oh boy, Starcraft. Oh, you know, I got like, I got There's Sorry. counter. There's there's CS:GO. There's Dota. There's 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 more relevant games. Sorry, all Starcraft fans. I know. I'm number four. Don't worry about it. I know. Yeah. Number four is moving up to number three soon, though, so there's hope. Default. Default. (laughs) Two best words in the English language. (laughs) So I have to uh, reiterate something that I had mentioned earlier in the podcast that a couple years ago, I think it was at the Nicaragua finale, was one of the finales around there in the 20s, 20s, mid-20s, somewhere in there, maybe after Nicaragua. But Bob, Bob Crowley is famous for going to pretty much every finale. So I went to one of them in L.A., and Bob was there, and I got to meet him, and we talked about Gabon for quite a while. And that was the one bit of nugget he dropped on me that, that I had brought up in the podcast that Bob said, 
you know, to this day, Ken still does not talk to me about that idol, about that idol that I did not give to him. He still holds a grudge. And it's the weirdest thing. Bob's like, I don't know how you can hold a grudge that long, but he apparently does, and it's the silliest thing. So I don't know if this has been broken. It was a couple years ago when I heard this, but yeah, so this was apparently a thing outside the game, that that, that idol thing stuck in Kenny's craw, and he did not like it. So there you go. All right, down to the final four. And everyone at this point agrees on one thing. Bob cannot be in the final four. Do not <laughs> let the nice old guy part of the Onion Alliance, who's amazing at everything and everyone loves, don't let him into the finale. So that's our, that's our, that's our strategy here. Just remember that. Bob cannot be there. All right, so we start the finale, and they, they get their uh, map, and they're going to do their little rites of passage, the torch walk. And I, I could not love this scene more. You know, everyone, how much I love the rites of passage. I think all of us love the rites of passage. Not only do they do it in the season, but they have the map where they, they it specifically spells out where they're going to walk. And it says right on the goddamn map, it says rites of passage. It doesn't say fallen comrades. It even says rites of passage. So there you go. So they're backing up what we said all along. That That's the name of this torch walk. It's the rites of passage. Oh, God. God only knows if Dan made the final four, what would have happened if he led the expedition. They're walking through the water. They're pulling a Moses <laughs> trying to cross the, cross the Red Sea. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, so they all do the little torch walk, and Sugar, of course, cries at most of them. She cries at Ace's torch. And then, uh, but, by the way, I had something when I was watching the scene. Where did Sugar get the lipstick all of a sudden? I was point, I was thinking about that because I think she wore that to the final five tribal council as well, and I don't know if she wore it before, but, yeah, I... I'm not entirely sure where exactly she got cosmetic supplies out there in, in the Gabonese jungle, but she was she's wearing lipstick for the final two rounds here. I Maybe. bet it was for that final five immunity challenge where they got all the different paints and stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's true. The red. Because yeah. she that's was red. Paint, yeah. I thought maybe Bob made it. He like rendered down some of the rhinoceros fat or something and made some lipstick. <laughs> Su- well, Susie gave up on the black lipstick. She had it for a little bit, but... Yeah. <laughs> All right, so yeah, so Sugar, of course, emotional, and, you know, they're talking about the torches. Then they get to Randy's torch, one of my favorites, where, you know, this is to honor all your former contestants that are no longer here, and Sugar's tribute to Randy is... So I do appreciate that. And let's see, what else here? And then uh, we get to Corinne's torch, and Corinne, in a little overlay, says, having no filter makes me endearing. I'm like, really? Endearing? Is that really the word, Corinne? And then they get to the end, and they take the little wooden masks, and there's a bunch of little Gabonese guys there, right, chanting mm-hmm. for them and stuff. And then they burn the little masks. It's a nice little moment, and Sugar cries. And All right, here we go. Final four immunity challenge. Again, Operation Stop Bob. Bob cannot get into this final. Let's build a house of cards. Yeah, this is funny. The Let's do a physics challenge. <laughs> And this is, you know, Paul was speaking before about how the dominoes were really, like, one of the the templates of the Redemption Island challenges. I feel like we get another one here, two in one season, in the House of Cards, which functions as a, as a Final Four immunity challenge. There's an interesting wrinkle in it. Uh, so, essentially, they're each given 200 wooden tiles to build a House of Cards, and it's either the first person to build a house to 10 feet or the person who builds the house the highest in 30 minutes wins. So, there is some interesting strategy in there of... You know, do you build it high enough where if you feel like you're good enough, you can stop? Or do you keep building it and, you know, increase the risk of it toppling over? It turns out, essentially what happens is uh, Bob, surprisingly, again for a physics teacher and a challenge beast, completely fails at this challenge. 
And it's Susie who starts right out of the gate, builds an eight-foot tower, and basically just holds it there for the entire 30 minutes. And Maddie gets close, but Susie bookends it. She wins the first and last immunity challenges of the post-merge. Uh, yeah, little trivia note for our listeners out there. How many people remember that Susie won two immunity challenges in Gabon? <laughs> I would like to I see did not. the data on that. Yeah, I'd like to see the data on that one. I certainly did not. But yes, as you pointed out, it's hilarious that Bob's challenge streak finally ends on the most basic physics challenge possible. <laughs> Build a house of cards. Yeah, Bob just completely crashes. He's terrible at this challenge. So Susie wins, and that throws a wrinkle into it because because uh, Sugar's plan was to take Maddie and Bob to the finals and not Susie. And now Sugar is going to have a little emotional breakdown because now she has to vote out either her, her uh, Gabonese brother or her Gabonese daddy. And this is not going to be easy for her. All right, so just skip through here since we're going to close in on a four-hour podcast if we don't. Okay, so we get to the vote, and basically, yeah, uh, the plan is everybody votes out Bob. That was determined before the start of this episode. Bob can't reach the finales. The finale, it's going to be Maddie and Susie and Sugar in the in the final three, and it's all set to go. And now Sugar, and even you get Bob is even starting seeing his goodbyes. He's like, all right, well, this has been a great run. I got as far as I got. Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. And Sugar cannot stand this, that Bob is going to go out like this, and she feels horrible, and Sugar is going to do something very Sugar. She is thinking about mixing this vote up and forcing a tie. Uh, I remember when I watched this at the time, this made me furious, for a variety of reasons. One is, I was and am a big Maddie fan, so essentially to have him basically gets screwed over by one person's flippant decision. Still kind of makes me a little miffed to this day. It's also this idea of this weird sort of narrative where, again, the onions all get voted out. So you think like, okay, all these like sort of rude, nasty people get voted out. But then in the end of the day, they end up, their like proxy ends up winning. That's a weird, inconsistent narrative. And just the fact that, again, Sugar was flipping back and forth and back and forth. This is the perfect culmination. She decides to make it like a, a snap decision of, you know what? I like Bob. He doesn't deserve to go like this. Let's at least force a fire-making tiebreaker, which you have to assume that she knew he'd win, right? Of course. Now, it's funny that you say that. I, I have never encountered someone that is enraged by this ending. And it's funny because it's complete opposite with me. Like, I watched this finale, and when it happened, and when I rewatched it yesterday, like, I get teary-eyed. I find this so emotional and moving that Sugar is going to give the old guy a chance. And again, it's it's I don't know why one of us has such an extreme reaction, one has the other, but like this is one of my all-time favorite Survivor moments where it's like I just think of it from Survivor history. The old guy never gets a chance, they never win. This is the nicest guy, everyone loved him, he made no enemies and like Sugar's going to say, "You know what? I'm going to go against everything that's in my better nature and I'm going to give the nice guy a chance and we'll see if he wins." It's again, one of my favorite moments, and this is one of the reasons that, like Paul said in my early MySpace days, I used to rank a bone so high. It was this scene specifically right here that I thought was just so awesome. Yeah, I was definitely more Team Mario, like Mario's vibe on this, is that I think when I was watching Gabon, one of the appeals of it, I'm not sure exactly who I was rooting for, but I think I was not rooting for Maddie because <laughs> what was really appealing about G- Gabon is that you had all these outsiders who had made it to the end and you had all these kind of non-traditional types of people who could potentially win the game. And I remember thinking I was going to be super annoyed if just like the alpha male won in the end. So I was very excited about having a different type of winner when nothing like that much against Maddie, but I just kind of thought 
that was going to be the you know the too boring of an ending for me. No, I can yeah. definitely see that. I mean, it's a very unconventional final three. And I guess when we eulogize Matty, if we can talk more about it. To me, I just thought it was, for me, my heart sort of went out to him because he was the guy that essentially had started, if we're going back to this idea of the underdogs, he was on Fong the entire time on this really shitty tribe, and he's never really had been dealt a good hand in the game whatsoever. So I thought, like, I was using the D word. I was saying, oh, this guy deserved to make it to the finals. He deserved to win because he dealt with so much shit throughout the course of the game. But I think looking back on it, I can absolutely appreciate this final three in terms of really a sense of oddballs. And I do agree with Mario. I think that in a game that usually from the very beginning where the first two people voted out of Borneo were the two oldest contestants, to have the oldest guy be given a chance to make it to the end and win a million dollars is really cool. Yeah. And it's just one of those things, like, I'm just a hardened Survivor fan. I've seen all these seasons many times now. I don't. There's nothing on the show that I haven't seen before. It's all been there, done that. And so I find myself striving to be moved by Survivor. I want to feel something. I want to feel anger or happiness or rage or cheer or something. It's hard to do that with me anymore. And this moment, this episode moves me. I, I, I really find it touching. And again, I, I can totally get why some people might be enraged by it because Bob doesn't deserve to be there. He does nothing. It's not his story. It never was his story. But I just find this Sugar's inner turmoil so fascinating here. And I see the, the, the little father issues. Like she sees the parallel with her father and she wants to help this guy out. And she knows he's a good guy. I want to help him out. I just want to do this thing. It's completely against my best interest. But it really would just make the story better if he was there. And that's the thing. It's like I just... Again, I I just look for Survivor to move me. This is one of the rare episodes that can still move me. I mean, you say that that this isn't Bob's story. It's not Maddie's story either. Yeah, I it's mean, sugars. <laughs> well, and not just that. Like, okay, so Maddie was on a crappy tribe at the beginning that never won. So he's not driving anything because, well, he's losing all the time. And then they get the tribe swap, and then you know it seems like, as you said, like his best friend was Kenny. And he was aligned with Kenny, but yet they plotted to vote him out a couple times. Like, uh... listen, no, I'd agree with listen, you. I'd agree with you and Paul. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say, listen, we're not really dealing with any of the the sharpest narrative crayons in the box at this moment outside of sugar. So, I mean, I, I think you could say of these final four, we got a late Bob surge, but really outside of sugar, between these other three, none of them are really drawing well in terms of the edit perspective. Right, you know, it's it's sugar, and then and then Bob and Maddie are like tied for second to last, and then Susie. Yeah, and it just it comes down to me again that at the start of this episode, it just seems like a GG Bob. Well, Bob, okay, we can't let him in there. He, we he's gonna he was the big fan favorite. He's gonna be the Sesternino, the Kathy O'Brien, the 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 Rudy. He's gonna he's gonna go out right before the end. That's just kind of his edit. And then you kind of get it in your head that Maddie's going to win. And again, Mike makes a good case he loves Maddie. I, I never saw it like that. I was more like Paul. I'm like, okay, well, I guess this alpha male guy is going to win again, and it's going to be one of these seasons. So then all of a sudden, just Sugar turns on a switch right towards the end and flips the narrative that you don't think it's in a way that you don't think is going to happen. And that's why I just really appreciate it. Because again, it's, I do think Maddie winning would have been kind of a blah ending. And again, yeah, Bob winning is kind of a blah ending too, but it's a different kind of blah ending. We don't see those. <laughs> Right. So, you know, and Sugar's like, well, I don't think I can vote you out. I'm going to force the tie. And then Bob, like, you know, practices fire making because he's totally going to need it. And then we get to Tribal Council. It's a 2 2 tie. They have a fire making challenge. And I mean, we don't need to talk about it too much because Maddie doesn't even bother to get a fire started. So, you know, we'll just we'll just say Bob won. Maddie's gone. Yeah. And by the way, does Jeff Probst have green pants on at this Tribal Council? 
So what if he does, Mario? Maybe Bob <laughs> maybe Bob fashioned them for him out of the, the sarang he was wearing before. I'll be green balls? Yes. I'm sorry, I don't mean to green pants shame, Jay. I know that you're a fashion connoisseur of your green pants. Look, Jeffy Green Pants will wear whatever he wants to wear. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but yeah, if anyone finds the screenshot, Jeff has green pants for some reason. These bright green pants. Okay. But He's is he go, wearing uh, a... Is he wearing is he wearing uh you know pleated pants and a blouse denim shirt with a with a with a with a chest open because if not he's no general. <laughs> yes, he's just a fucking pied piper with his little flute. He's gonna get all the rats out of Ireland. All I know is I am the general, <laughs> and that's that. All right, yeah. So yeah, the fire making challenge comes, and Bob, given a second inexplicable chance to save himself, saves himself, and just like that, we now have Bob in the finals again. Against Susie and Sugar, which is the most unlikely final three you ever would have predicted coming out of this season. And what's funny is that, like, when it happened, and at the time, like, you look back at this now, like, you you look at this and you're like, well, Bob's gonna win because there's no way Sugar wins, and probably there's no way Sh- Susie wins. But at the time, you weren't even thinking that clearly. You're just like, that's the final three. Mm-hmm. And that's sort yeah. of the reaction of the entire uh, jury as well. And it's so interesting from a historical connotation that we just came off of Survivor Micronesia, where it was very blatant that, with the exception of a couple people, the jury in general was saying, we have to choose between these two. And now we get that attitude and essentially multiply it by 100, where you have much more vocal people on the jury saying, I don't want to vote for any of you. Yeah, although it is funny that, that when Bob wins the, tire, the fire-making challenge, the jury goes crazy. They start cheering. You think, Bob's going to win 7 nothing, which isn't what happens. It's just kind of funny. Like They're all excited for Bob, but... It's not going to be as much as a blowout as you think it might be. Mm-hmm. No, but we'll get to that. All right, I guess we can eulogize uh, Mike's best friend here, Maddie. <laughs> well, what I will say about Maddie, and I think, you know, I don't know if you guys have, like, I want to say come around on Maddie, but just realize that what I liked about Maddie is that, first of all, he's very endearing. I know that you know there might it might have been a little more of a blase ending in the uh, traditional uh, annals of Survivor if an alpha male ended up winning, but I do think Maddie, which just was very endearing the entire time, very sincere about like his, the situation he was in. You know, he was working for Jamie the entire time, and I think at the same time there are these really weird manic moments from Maddie between his maniacal grin, the gobbling the cackling, all these random surfer bra moments. I think Maddie is more memorable than people think upon first glance. Granted, I think compared to the, some of the other characters in the season, he doesn't really compare, but I think he's still a, a fun little nugget in there. Yeah, the first time I watched the season, I got almost nothing from Maddie. I barely remembered him. He was just that guy. I mean, he was like, he's basically the Fong equivalent, equivalent of Dan. There's not a lot going on that stands out about him. He's just kind of one of these generic white guys. But the more you watch it, the more you realize he's kind of a quirky little oddball. And just his, he's got some odd ways of talking, just his, his surfer lingo, especially in the final tribal council where he's going on to full surfer mode. But it's kind of funny. So, again, he's not an A-plus character, but as Gabon goes, he's a necessary character. I think he does a good job. And uh, I actually have an email I want to read about him. I don't wait until you guys give your speeches first. I'll save this for last. All right, I'll go. Um Maddie did marry Jamie. Just, just, just in case you were wondering, I looked it up. It happened. It's a thing. Yay! That's all. all. That's all I have to say about Maddie. (laughs) That's it. And I have even less to say than that, so you can just skip me. (laughs) Okay. 
Here's a cool email. I want to read this. This is not something I would have ever thought about, but this is uh, from a reader named Joshua M. who sent this in. He was really insistent. He wanted us to mention this about Maddie, and maybe this will this kind of open your eyes. and It changed my mind a little bit. He says, Back during the Survivor Africa podcast and in his book, Mario went on to say that Silas was one of the most gracious contestants in defeat. Considering what happens at the end of Gabon, I think the same needs to be said about Maddie. Maddie absolutely had the game and the million dollars in hand. If things go the way they probably should have during the final vote, then Maddie makes it to the end and destroys Sugar and Susie in the finals. But for no real reason, Sugar basically takes the win away from him and gives it to Bob. I love that Bob won, but Maddie deserves some credit. Not once did Maddie ever complain about not winning Survivor, and he came way closer than Silas Savage or Stacey Stillman ever did. In his final words, his day after comments, his jury speech, his reunion show comments, and in his exit press, he never says anything negative about the game or Sugar or anything. Every interview he ever did was about how great the experience was and how amazing Survivor was. Even when people say, dude, Maddie, you should have won, he always says, nah, I wasn't meant to win. I would argue you needed that attitude from Maddie, especially when you remember Gabon as contestants like Randy, Corinne, and Kenny bitching about how stupid it is that they didn't win. Maddie never complained, not even once, about losing Survivor, and I think it's criminal that he doesn't get respect for that. I think that's a pretty cool email. Uh. <laughs> oh, Jay's going to be a curmudgeon about that one. Jay doesn't like that? I don't know. I mean... It's I, there's nothing about that email that I disagree with. Like I I think it's true. You know, he's, he's he's it seems like he was gracious and defeat and stuff like that. But I don't know. Do do we need to? Is that something we have to celebrate? Um, and also, and also, Maddie came from money, and I think that that makes a difference in your attitudes toward things like that. Doesn't doesn't take doesn't take away your drive to win. Or, or or be the best or something like that, but you know, Maddie's doing okay. I don't think that being gracious. I don't think that being gracious in defeat is necessarily a, a necessity when it comes to you know having favorite players. But again, I think I think it just goes back to sort of the. I think Maddie's very endearing persona, where he's just sort of like, yeah, you know, case sarah sarah, things things happen and didn't yeah. end up going my way, and I think that. I do think if we look back in the pantheon of like people who got voted out right before the final tribal council, you could argue he might be in one of the most screwed situations because like the email said, he had a spot in the final three and then Sugar changed her mind and essentially it was that that sent him home at the end of the day. But I appreciate it. I, I don't think it's necessary to say like, oh, isn't he great because he's so gracious about missing out on essentially $1 million. But it's one reason why I like him personally. I think more, it's more the comparison that nobody else in Gabon is like that. Everyone else just bitches about stuff. Oh, yeah, so. yeah. Oh, well, if, if we're talking that, yes, he, he seems to be, you know, and I think that he was a lot more self-actualized than a lot of people that were out there uh, on Gabon and, and things like that. But, I mean, I, I think that, you know, Maddie, you know, Maddie's had a decently comfortable life for the most of his life and, and things like that. And and that's that I'm not saying that's a that's a disadvantage or, or something that you should go against him, but. You know, Maddie's had time to find himself a bit. You know, even at at a, at, a, at his younger age. I mean, he was all not, all not quite thirty when he was on Survivor, um, but you know, he proposed to his girlfriend and you know, moving on to another stage. And I, I think that you know, Maddie's a, a go with the flow kind of guy. Uh, but but at the same time, you're talking about Maddie had a spot guaranteed. It was it was a plan, that it, but it was also a plan that fell through. You know, like I he didn't have a spot guaranteed. It's not like he won immunity and it got taken away from him. 
or or something like that. It was just they had an agreement that they were all going to vote out Bob. And, you know, you're saying if they did vote out Bob, then Maddie beats Susie and Sugar in the final three and wins a million dollars. But Sugar then was like, well, I don't know. And, you know, then she, he made, she made Bob, who was going to beat, you know, clearly he beat both Susie and Sugar in the finals to won a million dollars. She basically made Bob and Maddie have a fire challenge for a million dollars, and Maddie lost. I don't know. I, I, I guess that makes me curmudgeonly. It's one thing. I don't disagree with the email. It's a good email, and I think there's a lot of good points in there. And I don't think that there's anything necessarily wrong with the email. But, you know, I, I to say that, you know, Maddie definitely had a shot spot in there and it got taken away from him for no real reason at all. It's like Sugar had her reasons. She wanted Bob to win or, or to go to the finals with Bob. Like she she didn't want Bob to go home. Yeah. Like it's not it, it may not be a reason that you like or agree with or necessarily needs to necessarily be logical, but it's a reason. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm not I'm, I'm not saying that there wasn't a reason. I'm just saying that I think. This is the first time in a while that I think we've seen an about face happen. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the things in going from final twos to final threes is that you very rarely see this happen nowadays, where usually in going to a final three, it's done by consensus. You don't have yes. you remove the convention of here's one person making a decision. Final threes kind of remove that. Here's a case where we sort of get that final two element in here where Sugar says, you know what? I'm going to be the decision maker here. Even though I didn't win the immunity challenge, this is my decision to make. Let me force this tie, which is cool. Yeah, I've found over the years a lot of people's enjoyment of Gabon really deter- depends on if you think Sugar's thought process was legitimate or not. <laughs> right, to which I would use the Kenny line earlier with the whole Marcus deserves to be here. And Kenny's like, it doesn't matter about deserve. He's not here. And my thing would be, it doesn't matter if you feel like Sugar's thought process was legit or not. It was her thought process. And she was a person in the game. And the thing is, is that she was inconsistent in a lot of her things. She did a lot of flipping and a lot of, you know, voting from this group and voting from this group and changing her mind and wanting this person this. But in a, in a way, she was consistently inconsistent. Not that she was predictable by any sense, but she was a wild card from the beginning all the way to the end. So if at any point you're like, well, she's just going to fall in line here. No, that's not her her M.O. And I feel like if you were like, well, this time she's going to be cool and just vote with me and everything's going to go to it's like when when has that ever been the case? Yeah. Yeah. If Sugar's messing up your plans. You should have voted it out earlier. Like, what, yeah. what are you doing leaving her around? <laughs> All right. We get with that. We get to the final three. And this is where I have to phrase the question. And I direct this right at our friend Paul. Is Susie the most forgettable finalist ever? Possibly, but you know, she tried. You know how many times she says try uh, before <laughs> Tribal Council? She says it four times. At Tribal Council, she says the word try or trying seven times, or a total of 11 times. If you count her Ponderosa clip, she says it about three more times. So, you know, closing it on 15 times, she emphasizes how she tried, which is like the worst approach ever when it comes to Final Tribal Council is, you know, just really highlight the fact that you tried. So, yeah, she's not doing much for being a memorable finalist here. You know, Paul had those stats. Paul had those stats ready to go. That's why, that's why he's not number four anymore. That's why he's moved up to number three. Thanks, Sugar. This Final Tribal Council is so... So interesting because we talked about the unconventionality of these three finalists. At the same time, these three finalists all give horrible pitches for why they deserve to win the game to the point of where, like, Bob sort of ends up winning for a variety of reasons. But one of them is sort of because, like, he's explaining his game. It's not a good way of explaining his game, but he's explaining his game, which maybe the other two don't do. But essentially, I'm sure we'll get to some specifics of the final Tribal Council, but I feel like the general... 
uh, philosophies they take on are that Susie, as Paul said, is all about the effort. She said, I came in. Nobody expected me to do well. Look where I am now. I just wanted to show that I can try. I tried. Here I am. Bob, I think, flat out says at one point, like, you know, I, I didn't need to make my own decisions. I let people do that for me, and I just wanted to be necessary, and I'm here now. And Sugar says, starts off pretty well by saying, like, hey, I controlled this game. But then she's, when people, you know, start talking to her, she essentially pulls the Katie from Palau when talking to Janu and essentially says, I, I'm not getting your vote. I don't need to talk to you. I'm not getting your vote. I don't need to talk to you. Which, again, goes back to this idea of who knows if Sugar thought she was losing going in. But she certainly didn't make things easier for herself by essentially, like, swearing off anyone who tries to say something to her. What I love, just from a, an editing choice in this episode, is that, you know, when the players are walking to the final tribal council, they'll sometimes have the a little uh, overdub of the jurors talking about what their thought process is about these finalists. Like in Borneo in the early season, they have every juror give their thoughts. Well, you got two people here, and one did this, and one did this. But no, not in Gabon. In Gabon, they only have three jurors do an overdub, and the only three are Ken, Randy, and Corinne, who all basically have the exact same speech, which is, fuck all three of them. <laughs> it's a very curious editing choice. Yeah, but I, I think that's the thing, is that they didn't love it, but... You know, for all the vitriol and, and fire, it, it, it's funny because I do think that sometimes things that happen at fi- Final Tribal Council matter, and I feel like this didn't. Like, I feel like this is just this is just a thing that had to happen, and it's like, I think that you're right, Mike. I feel like all three of them give really poor Final Tribal Council performances, and I feel like the people in the jury were being extra vitriolic, so it was this weird mix that eventually just ended up with Bob winning 4-3. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's funny going those... into Tribal Council, they really kind of try to sell that, oh, Sugar, you know, if she comes in and says the right thing, she can win. Because I think even, <laughs> you know, Randy says something about, the only person who could change my mind is Sugar. And so someone, I think, and Ken mentions all the moves that Sugar has done. I think, like, which I think at the time, you don't even realize it. Now they were like, you know, the, the editors know, like, what a train wreck she is and how she has no chance to win. But when you're watching the first time, you have no idea. You think she's, you know, a front runner. I thought she very much, you know, could have won the game. And then they see Tribal Council and you kind of throw that out the window. But, um, you know, they, they built her up going into this final Tribal Council as a viable candidate and funny that she gets zero votes. Yeah, it's funny. To this day, I still hear people argue that Sugar should have won. I'm like, no, yeah. she shouldn't have. She got no votes. Like, are you kidding me? But the, the edit really kind of sells her as, you know, maybe she is going to pull this off. Like, nah, I don't think she is. All right, so let's go through. Yeah, basically, Sugar's or Susie's whole jury speeches. I tried. Bob's uh, whole jury speeches. Nah, I didn't strategize. Didn't need to. Sugar's whole jury speeches. Whatever. So it's yeah, it's pretty much. It's the people who like Bob against the people who don't like Bob, and that's really about it. You got Kenny and Crystal don't like Bob; they're still kind of pissed at him. And then Randy's still kind of pissed. Randy's kind of in the middle. A lot of people think it was just a straight fong vote. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if Randy was that enamored with Bob, but he hated Susie more, so whatever. I mean, we are we stick up for Bob in a lot of ways here, but in his opening thing, when he mentions that. He doesn't feel like he outwitted or outplayed. He just outlasted. How could he not make the argument that he outplayed after all those challenges he won? Come on, Bob. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You think Bob is going to dominate this this vote, but he doesn't. And it's just shocking how close it is and even more shocking who the second place person is. <laughs> all right. Yeah, but, but I think that Bob does a thing, and it, it's something that I do – quite a bit at times is 
I think that Bob is not super great at selling himself in 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 certain ways. And and what I mean by that is that, you know, he he's trying. It's not that he's trying to be super self-deprecating. You know, not like trying to make fun of himself, but. You know, part of Final Travel Council is, you know, you just basically got to go up there and own yourself and own it and own your game. And Bob was just kind of like, well, you know, other people did good things, too. You know, and, and he didn't say it just like that. But, you know, he he's he's, you know, I didn't know. I didn't know. You know, he's trying to, like, give the jury some respect, whereas, like, the jury just wants you to just kind of, you know, go. Yeah, I was up there. Now I'm yeah. here. Well, you wouldn't you wouldn't expect someone Bob's age with his job from his area of the country to walk up there and say, I kicked all your asses. I'm amazing. I mean, he would be very if you're from Maine and you're a science teacher in like rural Maine, you're going to be fairly humble. Well, it's interesting because I think that when it comes to jury management, I actually feel like there are two sides to it. Part of it is also is, you know, managing people's moods as you vote them out and send them to the jury. But the other one is what, you know, Todd and Chris mastered, which is getting a read of the jury at Final Tribal Council and figuring out what you need to give them. And like you're saying, Jay, I don't know if Bob necessarily has that latter portion. Specifically, yeah. you know, we're going to talk about Corinne's jury question, I'm sure, in length. But one of the things that she says to Bob is essentially, like, tell me something mean about sugar. And Bob says, well, you know, I didn't like the way that she voted out Randy. But I do think she's a nice girl. And, you know, Corinne stops her and as tops him and says, like, no, 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 don't give me anything like that. And I think it's just very representative of, like, I think some people came in here wanting someone like Bob to tear the others apart because that's what they wanted to do. And Bob yeah. was not able to provide that. They still voted for him. But at the end of the day, I think that's what they wanted him to do out of that final tribal council in a way. How well do you know Bob if you think he's going to do that? Oh, Bob, he's going to go crazy and madass and just start dropping F-bombs and everyone. He's not going to do that. All right. So do we want to talk about Corinne's speech? I guess. <laughs> any other I, jury I, speeches? I'll tackle the first part because it's actually a pretty funny thing what she says to Susie before she even lays into sugar is the first thing she says, she comes up and asks Susie, um, you know, I'm going to ask you a question. If you can answer yes to this question, I will give you my million dollar vote. If you win the million dollars, will you agree to have your vocal cords removed? And I love how Susie just takes it really seriously. Just like, nope, sorry, I'm a talker. I talk a lot. And then, you know, she moves on. But I think that's an underrated uh, little caveat to her speech. It is pretty funny. I will agree that it, that the, the Corinne speech starts off pretty nice. Or not pretty nice, but pretty fun. Pretty snarky, I would say. I think it turns from snarky to nasty when we get to sugar. Oh, is the sugar part nasty? I don't remember that part. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. So here we go at what some have called the worst thing anybody has ever said to somebody else on Survivor, the nastiest jury speech, the most l- lowest blow anybody could have on Survivor. Uh, take it away, Temp. I, I, I'd like people can quote you on this one. You get in trouble for this one. God, all right. This is a direct quote. Uh, Sugar, you are an unemployed, uneducated leech on society. The only thing I would give you is a handful of antidepressants so that nobody else would need to be subjected to your constant crying anymore. Maybe if you got some, then you would sound sincere when you cry about your dead father. This is where Sugar flips her off. You don't deserve the million. And then she sits down. Now, a couple things. I mean, obviously, nasty thing to say. Now, I have heard, you guys have heard this rumor as well, that when Corinne sat down, they applauded her. Have you heard that? I've no. heard it in our discussions at some point, but I don't know where it came from. But I have heard I have... the jury was absolutely 100% behind what Corinne said and agreed with it. And again, I think that goes back to sort of like this perception, or at least the majority's perception of Sugar. And I think... Corinne, 
does an admirable job for a certain portion of the reunion of trying to explain herself, of saying that, like, you know, I think uh, she sympathizes with Sugar's loss, obviously, but this is something you're subjected to 24 hours a day. And obviously Sugar had a tough time out there. It's Survivor, and you had this major traumatic event happen in your life. It's not exactly a good way to cope with it. So I could imagine that she's out there crying every day, and that could wear on somebody. So I I could understand why people would applaud it, because they're like, yes, you're saying something that we've always wanted to say to Sugar. This is not the right way to go about it. And Jeff pointed out at the reunion, too, like, why take this time now? You're given, you know, however many minutes to talk to the jury about why they should win the game. Why should you take this time now to instead make very personal attacks, even past Sue Hawk, who is going more so, like, poetic than it was, you know, very literal? Why take this time to really dig deep and dig into traumatic experiences in someone's life just because they got on your nerves for a month? Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, that's not how I would do it. I'd... I'm a big fan of people saying nasty stuff on Survivor. I love it. This isn't something that I would personally say to someone. But the one thing that comes back to my mind is that theory I had earlier. I still think that Corinne was jealous that Sugar was getting all the airtime and being the star of the show. And I think that was Corinne's one big chance that I'm going to take this airtime back from you. I'm going to hit you with the lowest blow possible, and there's no way they won't show this on TV. And I just think that was there was something so personal there. Although there is something else I wanted to add is that I hear a lot of people to this day always say, oh, Corinne made fun of Sugar's father, Sugar's dead father. That You, know, you hate to defend Corinne. I'm not the, I'm the last person that's going to defend Corinne. I told you about my one experience with her. I didn't find her especially appealing. But she isn't actually making fun of the father. She's making fun of the tears. So that's it's a, it's a fine line, but I should at least point that out. Like it's just – yeah, but uh, you, I think a lot of no, people remember that speech wrong. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. I no, you keep no, no. That's that's that that's now you're you're trying to parse the the thing going. Well, the 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 focus is there. She brought him up. Well, of course, yeah, but she's bringing no. up the tears. She's saying you're faking the tears to make us feel bad for you. Yeah, but if she just left it there, that's one thing. Yeah, but she went further. And again, so it's not my, I feel again, like yeah. I'm saying it's I, not my style, but I think people misremember the speech. I don't know because because you're you're now saying well when you think about it and parse it she's going here but it's like the instant she brings up Sugar's father it's about Sugar's father yeah. it's not about the tears anymore it's about the Sugar's father and I, and I feel like when you're going well she brought up Sugar's father but really it was about the tears no because you can just bring up the tears she's you know she's she's purposely making a low dig there which 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 is very intentional mm-hmm. yeah, and then that's that's the thing as well is that not only you get the intention out of this, but, you know, leading up to this tribal council, you get Corinne and Ponderosa saying, like, oh, I can't wait to finally go to final tribal council and tell these people what I should have told them when I was leaving. And you could tell, like, she prepared this, which I think also makes it... It it turns me off on it even more. Uh, And again, like, it's Corinne's prerogative. She can do whatever the heck she wants with her jury vote and her jury speech, but I don't know, something about this idea that, like, she was stewing for days ready to attack her dead father. It just does not play on me well. Well, again, go back to day one when Corinne says she's going to be the biggest villain of all time and she's going to own it. So, you know, she puts her money where her mouth is. And again, I hate that I'm the one defending Corinne since I didn't like her. <laughs> and in the end, the onions vote for Bob. Yeah. Surprisingly, Bob wins. 
Yeah, it's very close. A four to three vote that you know probes absolutely messes with the audience at the end in the in the live reveal when he pulls out Bob and then three Susies. Like what the fuck, Susie's gonna win? Like usually it's one vote and then everyone else. So it's like it looks like it's gonna be a six to one Susie vote, and then then the parade of Bob votes kind of slipping at the end, and Bob gets that last one and wins four to three in a vote that was way too close. Although great moment here, I completely forgotten about this where. You know, Crystal, of course, you know what I'm about to say, where Crystal earlier in the season when she voted for Randy went out there and yelled her vote so everyone could hear it. Randy, not one to be outdone, does the exact same thing, which I had forgotten about this, so I know a lot of other people will forget it, too, where Randy votes for Bob eventually and he holds it up and you don't see his vote. You just hear him yelling. All three of you, kiss my ass. You can hear them and see it in Tribal Council, all of them hearing it. It's a great little callback to Crystal. And again, one more time, I just appreciate Randy for knowing a sense from TV. I don't think we also mentioned the fact that I think after, uh, maybe after, I want to say Corinne got voted off, Randy shaved his head and got a mohawk. And he's still wearing his, like, glasses too so this this really interesting look of this old man with a mohawk and glasses yelling kiss my ass in the tv screen (laughs) and randy's like i'm not doing anything funny i don't know why people are laughing (laughs) (laughs) yeah no randy just a character and again just the perfect end of the season where everyone hates each other just randy screaming kiss my ass in his final vote and with that we have crowned bob the winner of survivor gabon to this day, the oldest winner ever. I can guarantee probably if you listen to the, this podcast in 20 years, he will still be the oldest winner ever. I can't imagine that someone's going to beat him at 57. But uh, yeah, it's a very memorable ending to a very memorable, I'm not sure great, I'm not sure how we describe Gabon, but a very distinct and different season. It's just one of those I can't really think of a parallel for. It's got elements of a lot of other seasons in it, but nothing is a perfect match. And then you end with you know the the kind-hearted pinup model giving the win to her surrogate father who replaced her dead father just recently. And it's just a very interesting ending. It's definitely interesting. And as I kind of try to think about how Gabon falls, like in, in the overall evolution of Survivor, I think we talked a lot about in Micronesia about how this really is the turning point for modern Survivor. But I do think as we move into Gabon and Token Chains, we still it, it's like an awkward growing phase here because we still have a lot of elements of old school seasons. You know, we're still going to Gabon for one season and really into the location. Token Chains where we are really honed into the location there. We're trying to figure out how to have this overarching winner story, winners, you know, stuff that we talked about earlier. So I think that even though we are moving into this modern era of Survivor. It's very much of an awkward growing phase here with Gabon because it has elements, a lot of old school elements to it still with a lot of new school elements to it with just a lot of like very interesting, bizarre casting, which really makes for an interesting season to talk about. We should also point out in terms of Bob's win, it's it's a little strange and I'm sure we're going to talk about sort of the ramifications of Bob's win in a little bit, but we get into the reunion here, which again, I don't know how much we want to talk about the reunion, uh, but Bob does win the sprint $100,000 fan favorite prize. It was between him, sugar and Maddie. Again, I'm a little surprised that he won, but I guess he did have a growing edit, a growing positive edit in the past four or five episodes. So I guess it sort of necessitates the win, but yeah, Jeff brings it up here that, you know, the, at least four people on the jury loved him and the, 
audience loves him as well. And one of many Jeff Probst dick moments over the course of the reunion, uh, Bob is so stunned he has no reaction, to the point of where Jeff has to walk over to Bob's place, crouch down, and pretend to be Bob, having a genuinely excited reaction to that news. <laughs> little mannequin moment. But okay, first off, I hate that Sprint fan favorite award. It's the absolute bane of my existence once we get up to Russell and he starts winning this shit. So uh, I don't want to talk about that too much. But I am shocked that Sugar did not win the fan favorite of that season. I'm not. You're not? No. Just every episode was about Sugar's Dilemma. Let me just Every I, every episode was about Sugar's Dilemma, but here's the thing. Sugar came across as is I think overwhelmingly positive. And I think that that you know, you, you can also see how they framed her in a sense for the fact that she comes back for heroes versus villains and she's a hero, you know. So so that, I think, you know, does give you a little bit of of insight. But I think that Sugar in her story, even though it was, it was the driving narrative, I think certain people at home were probably annoyed by it. <laughs> by the way, just to back up what you just said, I was watching the Gabon finale yesterday. My wife is watching with me. Here's all she says at the end of Gabon. I hate sugar. Here's yeah. my daughter. My 17-year-old daughter walks in the room, watches the episode for five minutes. I hate sugar. I can't stand her. So, and here's the thing. I don't right. agree, and I love sugar, but here's the thing. Bob didn't piss anybody off. And I, that I feel like that's Bob's entire life, right? Like, like not just Survivor, but in life. It's just, oh, Bob, he's a great guy. Yep. And, 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 and the thing is, is that I like sugar, and I'm a big sugar fan. And, and and sugar drove this season and and was great and and I will I will defend sugar uh 100,000 million percent but I'm not surprised that Bob won the fan favorite because you just you know some people can say a bad thing about sugar and no one can say a bad thing about Bob yep what can you say that's bad about Ethan nothing yep. the quote T-bird yeah so it's one of those things like I'd never disrespect a winner I think everyone who wins survivor is amazing I think Bob takes way more shit from people who think Survivor is more of a sport than a TV show. Like, it's not a sport. It's never going to be a sport. Bob won fair and square. Deal with it. But at the end of the day, Gabon is the sugar show. Like, if I think of Gabon, mm -hmm. I always think of sugar. Like, that was her season. I'm really happy that Bob won. Good for him. He's a great guy. But, man, do I appreciate that we got to watch Sugar play Survivor. It was very interesting. I agree. I mean, I, I've said it before. And, I, and, and, and to talk about Bob, I, I think I've talked about sugar enough and, and – you know, sugar, uh, big sugar fan, and and all that sort of stuff. But uh, for Bob, um, you know, he he's one like you said, Mario. He's he's still out there. You know, he he co he, not that he's like you know he, he pops up on Rob as a podcast like you know occasionally and things like that. But but really, it's 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 not about you know uh, media stuff with Bob. It's just Bob goes to Survivor events. He goes to charity events. He 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 is involved with things as a winner, and he he now has been doing that thing up in up in Maine. Cause like, yeah. didn't he like? Yeah, he got he got into like yurts. I don't know if he was into that before he was on Survivor. Probably, but but after he won and got the million, he he like he didn't he start like a yurt company. Yeah. Well, so to describe what uh, Bob does sort of nowadays with Survivor, I think it's called yeah. the Dur Durham Warriors Survival Challenge. And essentially what yeah. happens every year is that Bob has a tract of land and he invites uh, both big fans of the show and former contestants to essentially sort of run like a mini game of Survivor. 
out there on his tract of land, and he like does the, the builds of the challenges. Like he essentially runs the entire game every year. I've heard nothing but fantastic things about it, but I think it just shows that he just has such a passion for what he does that again, it, I use the term endearing so much when talking about Maddie. But I, you know, what can you, what negative can you say about Bob? You know, outside of maybe he lacks a sense of strategic dominance, but the fact that. You know, he's been so inspired by the show that he goes on to do this thing for the fans and to get alumni involved as well is super cool. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you're right. You're right, Mike. It, it's it's just like a crunched down version of Survivor. They, they do it over like just a couple days uh, or so. They like they sort of do a whole season. So it's not 39 days. It's just a couple. So, you know, they do multiple travel councils in a day. You know, they do basically they have some time to interact with their tribe and then they do it. They do a challenge and they get immunity and then people go to tribal council and they go. But I mean, it, it's all on Bob's yurt, yurt's tract of land or whatever he's he's got out there. And like they plan it. And like it, it's Bob, the tinkerer who like built everything in his camp. They they like create these challenges. And, and it's not just like, oh, you know, they went to Target and bought some, you know, nerf guns and blah blah like it's it's actual stuff that they've built that's sturdy and strong there's clips of it it's amazing it's amazing that someone has gone to at least this level of 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 attention so that people can experience survivor i gotta tell a bob story you guys will appreciate this this is funny i I, the same finale that i went to where i got to hang out with bob and he told me the thing about kenny i was at the finale that night my wife wanted to come she couldn't make it she doesn't go to survivor events very much she's very uh introverted she doesn't talk much but she loved bob bob is like her favorite survivor of the past couple seasons so i'm talking to bob at this event and my wife is at home and i get a flash of inspiration i'm like hey bob would you mind talking to my wife at home she would get such a kick out of it she loves you he's like all right so he picks up my takes my cell phone and, and talks to my wife they talked for 25 minutes. Like, what the hell were they talking about? Like, so he was, he was the nicest guy. He just sat down and they just started talking Survivor and talking about all the stuff he did and just doing trivia and all sorts of insider stuff. And yeah, it's like, and so I was like, my wife doesn't talk on the phone that much. She's an introvert, very quiet. Like, I, I was shocked, but it's just, just one of my favorite Survivor stories that Bob would just randomly sit down and have a 25 minute phone conversation with someone he's never met. He has no idea who this person is. They just, because I asked if he'd talk to my wife. So. What's a prouder accomplishment for your wife that, you know, she talked to Bob for 20 minutes or talked to me for about an hour? Oh, probably the hey. Bob. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's on the same. It's on the same. That's Before, why he's number three. We love exactly. it. <laughs> Power. Big, big move by Paul. Before we, I guess, start, like, wrapping up Gabon, can I just uh, list out some key Jeff Probst dick moments from the reunion? Because they, they are plentiful in this reunion in particular. There's a lot. You know yeah, I love a good it. Jeff Probst dick moment. There's there's a bunch. So uh, there's when they're doing the 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 you know now traditional vote of if Maddie was in the final three, who would win? Obviously, he would by the show of hands. Jeff says like, "Hey, audience, do yourself a favor. Don't be like Maddie. Learn to make a fire before you come on Survivor." Uh, we talked about this before, but he is flabbergasted at the idea of Susie getting three votes. Uh, I believe his his question to her is essentially, "How did you get so far in the game?" Uh, which I don't think he's ever actually asked a contestant that before. Uh, we talked about the fan favorite reveal, but Jeff does it in such a digging way where he says, you know, Sugar, the survivors may not have liked you, but the audience definitely liked you. Unfortunately, they didn't like you as much as Bob. Bob wins, which is just <laughs> so cutting. Uh, there's this, uh, fortunately, we had to go to Michelle Chase in, uh, uh, you know, in, the, in the corner to talk about her weird ass termite dream 
Uh, and Jeff just, res- you know, they're, they're talking about Kenny, like, oh, Kenny's getting with the ladies. Hey, Michelle, what are you up to? Michelle gives her weird response, and Jeff says, Kenny, you should stay single. Uh, so there's just, I already talked about the one where he s- s- squats as Bob and tries to m- mimic Bob's response and asks them to go to bob.com to learn how to tie a bow tie. There's, this is definitely one of the more wacky, chaotic reunions, which I think ties together a nice, wacky, chaotic season. Yeah, and with that, I think we've pretty much wrapped up Gabon. Do you guys have any more comments? Any uh, Anyone want to eulogize Susie or anything? Paul? I mean, I don't think so. I mean, black boots forever, right? We love you, Susie. Susie is a big listener. I know she is. <clears throat> All right, I have one email I want to read here about Gabon, just to challenge something that we brought up in part two. I'm just sure, curious what you guys think Let's about go. this. Yeah, we're almost there. <clears throat> All right, so this is uh, what I was talking about. You know, they had that random swap that just fucked up the onions, and just was. And we theorized it was thrown in there just to just to break up the pagonging. We have a, an email from a reader named John DeBono who thinks we're actually looking at it backwards. I'm just curious what you guys think about this because I think it's fascinating. Okay, John writes. Uh, There's one theory I wanted to propose to you guys about the second swap. I fully buy that the producers threw that swap in to try to fuck over one tribe. I just think they accidentally fucked over the wrong one. With Probes having some creative control for the first time and his intense hatred of Fong, I never bought the idea that he intentionally threw in a twist just to stop Marcus from dominating the season. In what universe is Probes rooting against the attractive male doctor who is the leader and strategic mastermind of his tribe and a challenge dominator? My suspicion always was that the producers were afraid Susie was going to flip over at the merge and the Onions would lose out on rocks. So by swapping and having a tribe challenge where Marcus could save himself without relying on the three dumbasses to screw it up was the way to make the Onions 5-4, so Susie becomes irrelevant. In the end, Probst gets the big fan-favorite alpha male winning like he wants from his first season as producer. It's just a weird and hilarious circumstance that Maddie pulls off this unexpected win and Probst is responsible for the worst-case scenario happening. I have no way to confirm this is true, but unless Renee Seiler can clarify, it is the story I go with. It just seems perfect for the clusterfuck that is Gabon that not even the producers directly interfering could stop the craziest scenarios from happening. What do you guys think about that one? That's our conspiracy theory of the day. I didn't hear hear anything from Renee, so I'm not sure. Well, I don't know if we really are the right people to comment. We don't have any more information than what you just read, but there's one alternative take on that swap that seems fishy as hell like maybe it wasn't meant to break up the codas maybe it was meant to save them and they just it just didn't work out because nothing worked out in this season so who knows it's it's a weird season and and you know sometimes when you have a season where there's a bunch of swaps and things like that you know little mini alliances form so then they kind of just you know sort of glom on to other things and and things are more fluid but like with this season it just the battle lines got drawn quickly and they just stayed real rigid so really what the swaps did, like, I, I feel like sometimes they add a swap because they're like, hey, come, come on, guys, shake it up. And it's like they're not actually shaking their alliance up. They're just, you know, providing ways in which people can get voted out, which I don't know. Maybe I don't know if that's necessarily their intention, but I think they're just basically like, hey, come on, we're switching it up. Switch it up, guys. And they're like, nope. I mean, if, if that's the case, as John is alluding to, it would be interesting because like you said, Mario, I know that we sort of get the narrative of, like, God, isn't Fong the worst thing ever? But like you said, the post-merge is all about, here comes these these underdogs, they're, you know, dominating the game, and, you know, here's Kenny and Crystal. But I think even outside of that, that final three is made up of a pretty big group of underdogs, as it is. You know, you have 
an older male, uh, you know, a, a mother, one of the oldest females out there, and you have this uh, not the most athletic young girl out there too. And it's so interesting that looking back on it, all these kind of young, beautiful, athletic people who might do well on other seasons of Survivor just don't fare well here, which I think just shows how generally unconventional of a season Gabon is. And you can love it or you can hate it for that very reason, but no matter what, you can say that it's unconventional. Well, I think that, you know, you, you when when you were going in there, there were these two really rigid tribes with these alpha people, and then you throw in the element of sugar and her unpredictability. And, you know, a lot of times it's sometimes you get winners like Bob or like Sandra or like like some people that, you know, you would feel like would be an unlikely winner if you were like stacking down odds as it goes. But it's like when a lot of the big alphas go head to head right at the merge, they're the ones that fall. And then the people that are left are the people that kind of go to the end. And I feel like Gabon is sort of a, a case of that with with sugar sort of, you know, throwing a, more of the chaos entity into there is that, you know, Marcus falls you know, Randy falls and then Crystal and Ken, they survive that, but then they can't survive getting to the end. You know, like everybody just sort of fell. And with that, I believe we have finished Survivor Gabon. Oh, my God. This was a long one. It actually wasn't. Technically, I, I, my timer says 345. We're under four still. Oh, we my God. Well, late. okay. <laughs> so our Gabon are almost last four hours, but not Gabon. exceeding. So we're okay. We, we don't right. have to call a doctor. Right. Yeah, see a doctor if you have a Gaboner lasting four hours. Dr. Marcus? All right. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, he, may, he might have something to do with that in particular. <laughs> yeah, it's floppy. All right, so you know what that means, guys. You know what we're up to. Stephen Fishback getting No, no not Stephen Fishback. Coach. We're up to Coach. Yeah, this should be an interesting one because I think a lot of people remember Survivor Token Sheens as essentially revolving around four people. Coach... Tyson, JT, and Steven. But I think that there's more in there than we initially think. It's also interesting in the context of Survivor history in that I know we said that Survivor China really felt like a back-to-basic season. Survivor Token Sheens, you can really feel like it's a back-to-basic season. Two tribes of eight, no swaps. We have some idols in there. We have Exile in there, but it's pretty much an untempered game. This is the last time they're going to do it. We'll talk about reasons why. I think uh, Joe Dowdle might be one reason. But it's super interesting to sort of watch. Again, nestled in this period of experimentation, we are going back to the purest game of Survivor that we have seen in quite some time. Which is fitting because it has the purest human being who has ever lived, wouldn't coach. Boy, we got to get ready for (laughs) ten and a half hours of coach jokes, aren't we? No, my nipples are so hard, it's ridiculous. I'm so excited about this. You're right, Mike, in the sense that I think the people remember those four. They remember Tyson, and they remember Coach, and they remember Steven and JT. Um, but, I mean, there's some good other people that go far. I mean, Sierra is is a, is a really interesting sort of foil for some people. And I, I think that Taj provides a ton of good uh, camera time and was somebody that I actually really loved watching it. And I, I can't wait to watch it again for this podcast and sort of see how my feelings change or not change on that. Hey, I'm Team Aaron all the way. Big Aaron fan here. She just sits there and bounces insults off Coach. I love it. But that that smile that she has. <laughs> we're gonna have so much fun with token teens. You know what? You know what's funny is I had mentioned on Twitter that we're doing token teens soon, and maybe I can get Coach involved some way. And Coach liked the tweet, so we'll see. <laughs> I wonder if we can get Coach involved. I don't know. Like, here. I also get the feeling that this is gonna turn really quickly into the Chris Farley show. 
where like oh, yeah. it's just gonna be like us and Mario's gonna be like do, do, do you remember that one time when coach did that thing it's awesome <laughs> yeah kayaked in the river that was a hoax right <laughs> it may not- it may indeed turn into that you know what I don't think token teens is that interesting a season so I'm fully on board with just turning it into the Chris Farley show because I think it's a horrendously overrated season. So we'll have a lot to talk about. Overrated? I think people don't like co- token chains. Really? I think a lot of people love I, it. See, I've argued for years. I, I flat out think JT and Steven are the least likely or interesting final two I ever want to see on TV again. Oh, boy. Amen, brother. It's interesting because I, I think when I like survey the reality TV community and people are saying like, hey, I want to get people into a Survivor season, where should I start? Of course, I think it is the impetus of this podcast to say start with Borneo, but a lot of people say start with Token Sheens because they say it's this old school simple mentality in the new school structure of the game. So if that's sort of the conventional wisdom and you're looking to defy it, that, that should make for some interesting podcasting. I love how you want to start someone's survivor career with coach. <laughs> There's your baseline. Start with him. Well, and I think that that uh, sorry. I think that we're going to need to talk about JT quite a bit in a way and I know that no one is like super like wanting to do so, but I, I think I am because JT's such a an interesting character and I I feel like he's almost exhibit A on probably sometimes if they ask you back you should say no. Yes, probably. Maybe right. not, not, not necessarily as bad, but it's just the fact that I mean he's so good in token chains. Yeah, and he has then, nowhere to go but down. Yeah, and he goes way down. Yep. All right. Well, we'll save some of this discussion because clearly we've gone long enough on this one. What? Anybody have any final words on Gabon or pre-token teens or uh, Susie Black boobs or anything? All three of you kiss my ass. How dare you steal? That's exactly what I was about to say on my sign off. How dare you? That's what Jay does usually. All right. <laughs> does that make me number four now? <laughs> yeah. Well, you'll be gone soon enough, so whatever. Oh boy. Yeah. Default. Default. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So I think that is it. Thank you. We appreciate everybody who listens to our podcast, who sends in emails, who critiques us on Reddit and says we suck. We appreciate any feedback we can get. And uh Again, just remember Gabon was an interesting season. It might not be the best season. It's really not a strategy-heavy season, but, man, it's a distinct season of Survivor that makes for some really unique TV. So, uh, again, hopefully we uh, we will talk to you soon with Survivor Token Teens. We're going to hopefully have a quick t- turnaround because uh, the temp is bailing on us soon to go become important. So uh, we have to squeeze out, I think, Token Teens in the next month and a half. So we will try to have a quick turnaround. And until then, you can reach us uh, on up here on Twitter, you can you can tweet us. Uh, we have a Survivor uh, Facebook page, Survivor Historians. You can email us at survivorhistorians.gmail.com, or you can just write to uh, Paul at Montana.gov. They all know him up there. <laughs> so, as always, um, I'm Mario Lanza, and uh, I don't know why I yawn and why I can't yawn and not make a noise. I'm Jay Fisher. Remember GC. I'm Mike Bloom. <laughs> I'm Paul Otzelson, Denim Queen Kelly forever. All right, and we will talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Susie, I have one question for you, and if you can answer yes to this question, I will give you my million-dollar vote. If you get the money, will you agree to have your vocal cords removed? (laughs) Uh, No, because I am a talker. Sorry. Okay, thank you. That's hands down for a slap.